Okay, hey everybody, this is, so this is me in the past and the future, I guess, because I decided to kind of mix up the, you know, since this is a pilot episode, I'm trying to figure out, but but I wanted to kind of focus on the main reason I chose this episode. And so this, I guess, will be the first sequence, is this one scene that happens at about 20, let me see my notes here, 25 minutes into the episode. Because uh, not only did I, I just think it, it, it is such a, it's just a great scene. And, and and at this point, I had watched maybe, I don't know, but when I saw this episode, 20, 30 episodes of The Next Generation. And I don't know, there's just something about this scene that kind of relates to, I guess, well, there's a bedtime story. So, I mean, that's the main reason, spoiler alert. Uh, but I think just Picard's acting... And Paul Winfield and just their interaction. And it's just like, a, I don't know. So I just want to cover this scene first, uh, which takes place at a campfire at 25 minutes about into the episode. And our two friends are there, uh, Jean-Luc Picard, captain of the Starship Enterprise, and the other character uh, what I'm seeing here is Dathan. I don't know. I don't have a confirmation on that, though. Uh, this is just where I could do, uh, uh, but they're sitting around the campfire and the, the Paul Winfield's character is not feeling well. And let me just read through my notes and I'll read through some of the dialogue. Uh, well, first, uh, he has a giant uh, thumb. Is that a 20? Is this when they're in bed? Let me just double check. No, this is too early. So it looks like it's uh, 30 minutes in, in about 30 minutes and 50 seconds. My phone's now booting up the video for some reason. Uh, but, you know, it's a, like a little bit of a fireside chat scene. Picard is very fatherly. He uses, we'll go into the dialogue, but he's very thoughtful and interested. And he says, tell me more. Then he says, give me more about Darmok. And then he draws a rock. It's just like this quest for understanding which I think is reflective of one of the things this series is about and one of the things the podcast is about. These two are becoming friends beyond the binary, really. And it'll be a short friendship beyond the binary, but uh, I don't know. So so uh, let's see. So it kind of starts out, let's see, I'll kind of quote and paraphrase. Uh, but the guy's lying down, Paul Winfrey, who says, Darmok and Chilada Tanagra. And Picard's starting to understand the speed. He goes, oh, yeah, we're in the same spot. They were in a tough spot. We're in a tough spot. I get that. But he goes, they need more. You must tell me more about Darmok and Jalad. Use Temba the arms wide. Does that mean give Temba his arms wide? He goes, and then he, But he means about Darmok. He goes, give me more about Darmok. And so he goes, Darmok on the ocean. So, uh... Okay, but Picard kind of goes, Darmok, uh, the ocean, Darmok and the ocean, a metaphor for being alone, isolated, uh, Darmok and the ocean. And then the guy says something else, uh, and then he says, Picard says, Temba, now it's playing too, Temba, my, my arm's open, give me more about Darmok and the ocean. And then he says, Tanagra and the ocean. Uh, Darmok and Tanagra, and he goes, oh, it's an island. Okay, okay, you tell Temba, his arm's wide, tell me more. And then he says, Jalada on the ocean, Jalada, Tanagra. So he goes, okay, Jalada, Tanagra, Darmok and Jalada are at Tanagra. And then Darthan says, uh, 
one of the dudes from whatever that show, Power Rangers on Tanagra. He goes, oh, that dude, the Triceratops, the Trice Power Rangers Triceratop on Tanagra. And he goes, okay, so they dealt with it. And the guy says, okay, and then Darmok and Jalad on the ocean. He goes, oh, they left together. And then he goes, yeah, he goes, but I'm not feeling good. Uh, but he likes that, uh, the ocean. And then Picard's like, oh, wait a second, you wanted this to happen, huh? You wanted us to be here together. And you knew this was going to happen. Uh, you knew it from the, this myth, this tale. Sometimes uh, these things bring two people together. Uh, Darmok and Gelada Tanagra, you and me here at El Adrell. And he says, Kiribashi Temba, his arms wide. And then Picard means, oh, you want you? Because the guy's like, hey, tell me a story. I want to go to sleep. Tell me a bedtime story, Jean Luc. And Picard's very good. He says, uh, my turn. No, I'm not much of a storyteller. Besides, you wouldn't understand. Shaka, when the walls fell. He goes, well, perhaps it doesn't matter. You, you want to hear it anyway. He goes, there's a story, ancient one, Gilgamesh, a king, uh, Gilgamesh at Uruk. And he was a bad king, kind of a jerk. So they said, send a Kidu to deal with, uh, you know, to give him somebody to uh, deal with. And then, you know, Gilgamesh and Kidu, first they didn't get along, then they became friends at Uruk. And he likes to say, he goes, Uruk. And then he goes, yeah, the, and then they went out into the desert and uh, the great bull of heaven was out there messing with people. And, 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 and Kidu caught the bull by the tail and Gilgamesh took it out. And the guy last he goes, oh, that Gilgamesh taking those things out. And he goes, yeah, they they won, but you know, and Kido didn't didn't win, kind kind of like you. And then he quotes, he says, he who was my companion through adventure and hardship is gone forever. And Paul Winfield, being a great actor, he he is. He says, well, it's my time to go out. Then we go back to the bridge. It's just a wonderful fireside scene. Uh, two, two, the two captains or commanders. I don't know, and just, just, just fine acting in in a bedtime moment. I mean, a big sleep it ends up, but uh, it was sleep nonetheless and comforting. Yeah. And then they go back to the bridge, and Worf and Riker and Data and everybody in the forge are trying to, you know, they they said, okay, let's just uh, the Tamarian's not in good shape, so. We got to get Picard out of there. So they figure out how to Picard, get Picard out uh, before the entity, you know, the, the Triceratops. Oh, there's Triceratops from uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers on the planet with them. You, you'll hear that in the explanations later. And then, so then Picard lies out this guy, Paul Winfield Dason, I guess. And then he goes, uh, hey, I understand your sacrifice. But he goes, he goes, if he goes, if I don't win. He goes, I don't know what's going to happen to us or my ship. And then they're back on the bridge and everybody's worried about getting commander off the ship. And they get Picard, they beam, they get the, like they, because, oh, this, this will find out during the episode. But the other ship, I guess it's not important right now. We're concentrating on these, this scene and then this is a bridge. I'm watching the Gilgamesh, a king, as Picard says, Gilgamesh, a king, uh, at Oruk. He's using a lot of body language, concrete body language. 
really great. I really love this scene so much. And he's like overacting, but in an acting way. I think in the, like, I had already done one recap. I think I was wrong, but I had rewatched this a couple of times since then. But then they get Picard back on the ship. Then the enemy ship, you know, the captain ship, they go after the Enterprise. And they're really kicking the, kicking the Enterprise's butt. And then Picard rolls, like, super, like, alpha mode or something. He rolls, they're like, we can't take another hit. And then, uh, Picard says, hail the Tamarian ship. And they say, aye, Captain. He said, the Tamarian gets on. He goes, Cinda, his face black, his eyes red. And then Picard's right on. He goes, Tamak, the river Tamak in winter. And the guy goes, what, Darmok? And Picard says, of course, Darmok and Jalad, uh, Tanagra, Darmok and Jalad on the ocean. And the guy's like, what? He goes, Sokov. His eyes open, like this guy can kind of speak our language. And then he says, dudes, there was like some triceratops from Mighty, I don't know if you have Mighty Murph and Power Rangers where you are, but we do. And that was a triceratops down there from that. So that was no good for, for your darm, you know, your guy. So he goes, Unzani, his army, Shaka, when the walls fell. And everyone kind of like uh, looks down, and they say, "They say, I think they say Shaka when they 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 cry, you know they do a little ceremony, and uh, you know they're sad that uh, Shaka when the walls fell." And then the second in command says, "Picard and Dathan at Aldrell, Mirab sails unfurled with sails unfurled." I like that line. And then Picard goes to give the guy Spork back, which he had. He goes, Temba, his arm's open. And they go, no, 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 Temba at rest, you keep it. And then Picard says, thanks, and then everything's back to normal. And then he kind of f- finishes out with, like, Riker saying, do you think those are new friends? And he goes, I don't know. Picard says to Riker, I don't know, but at least they're not new enemies. And then I cover this in the recap, but, like, uh, Riker goes back and it's captain's quarters and, uh, like, uh, what do you call that at the end? Uh, epilogue or whatever. He says, she's doing me to walk in on you, Captain. He goes, I got the, the damage reports. He goes, what are you reading, some Greek? And he goes, hey, uh, these uh, Homeric hymns, the root metaphors of our culture. And Riker says, for the next time we encounter the Tamarians, and Picard says, you know, being familiar with your own mythology might be able to help us relate to theirs. He goes, that Tamarian was willing to risk, uh, like, everything for a connection and communication. He goes, now the door is open. But he goes, he goes, that commitment to communication between cultures meant more to this guy than, you know, his own ego. And he goes, thanks, number one. Hit the road. I got to, you know. And then Picard goes and looks out the window and salutes uh, the guy. A couple more notes on the last scene. Picard, uh, Data was really impressed when Captain Picard is speaking in the other culture's metaphors. You know, Riker says, I have no choice. I need those phasers. And the entity's getting close to Picard as Picard's putting his buddy to bed. And now I'm going to hop back to the beginning of the episode, just run through the rest of it. But that was really like the main thing that stuck out to me. And I don't know if this is how it'll always go, but let's see. So it opens... uh, Captain's log, start date 
four five zero oh four seven I have five two. Uh talking about Alan Drell's system, this enigmatic race uh known as the children of Tama. And then they say, geez, we're getting, uh, they said they've been here four weeks and they're transmitting a subspace signal to the Federation. And data goes, it's not a message, so it's a standard mathematical progression. Records like, oh, so they know we're here. And uh, says, yeah, they want to communicate with us. So there's great star motion outside the windows. Uh, then someone says a cause for concern. What does that mean? C- c- colors of the crew. What do they mean? Let's see. Let me look. Uh, yeah, there's only been seven encounters, and uh, they're called incomprehensible by Captain Silvestri. Are they tr- Picard says, are they truly incomprehensible? In my experience, com- communication is a matter of patience and imagination. I would like to believe these are qualities we have in significant measure. Uh, then they go to the bridge and they're on screen with the guy, Dathan, and he's talking and they're like, we can't understand him. And uh, the, the Troy, Counselor Troy says, well, I can only sense good intentions. And they say, Data, what do you think they're saying? And he says, proper names of individuals and locations. And Picard says, yeah, but what does it mean? He goes, I don't know, boss. At this point, Picard's playing straight. He goes, would you want to do a mutual non-aggression pact between our two peoples with a trade agreement and cultural interchange? Does that sound like a reasonable course of action? And that cracks the crew up. And then Dathan says, a river to mock in winter. And Riker says, geez, we're trying to communicate. And then they say a bunch of stuff. Sales unfurled, Darmok at Tanagra, that whole thing. And then they transport uh, Picard and uh, the, their other captain down to the planet, and then they block the planet so they can't be transported off. Particle scattering field in the ionosphere. And Riker tries to figure out a way to deal with it, but, you know, it, it's... Uh, also, the guy has giant long thumb thumbs. <laughs> I guess they put a... They put, don't you tamak me, the river tamak. He says, oh, snap. Uh, they had a great co- cut to Troy's reaction around there. And then when they when they did that, they secretly transported uh, Picard and, uh, and the other guy. I'm like, why don't they do that all the time, those secret transporter moves? They've seen it in a couple other episodes. Uh, they end up in a very Earth-like planet with wildflowers. It looks great in HD. Uh, but it's not, uh, it's 4-3, at least the one I was watching. I was watching Amazon 4-3. And we're back in the ship, you know, so Dathan and Picard are on the planet. And Riker's like, uh, Data, I want some analysis on this. And he goes, well, everything's looking good. Then they say, uh, get, they try to get a hold of the other ship, and they say, the other ship says, you know, no way, bro, we're not. His eyes are closed, Janazga Court, the Court of Silence. And Riker says, well, what do you think, Data? He goes, well, we got to study this. He goes, we'll get to work. You and Troy figure this out. And Riker says, i got to figure out some other things. And then we got the fire. Dathan has a fire where Picard doesn't at the planet. And Datha says, uh, Shaka, when the walls fell. And Picard says, Shaka, indeed, what are you going to do? Why are we here? 
because I'm cold too. And Dayson says, Darmike of Kanza. And Picard says, Picard of the Enterprise, Starship Enterprise, Planet Earth. And then I'll cover this in the next, re- you know, after this. But, you know, Dathan gets ready for bed. And then he gives Picard some fire to stay warm. Uh, so then you think, okay, this Dathan's an R.A. character. We, you know, he did all these things to get ready for bed. What else do I have in my notes here? Oh. I like this Picard says analysis. What in the hell is going on? And that made me raise a question that we'll probably not look up tonight, but of like, Jesus, is this, do they have a Judeo Christian influence? Like, do they believe in hell? I mean, presu- I guess so. But like, once you've seen all those other planets, I just wonder. Uh, but then on, but Picard's a little too suspicious, I thought. Uh, oh, the guy has a great vest on. It's got like, uh, Multicolor knitting and different, very, very beautiful vest. Knitted in against great ship versus other ship talk, Zinra. I don't know what that means. And then Riker's walking around. I don't, I don't know what any of that means. I think that was, oh, that was when they were talking to the other ship, and he says, Shinra, Zinra, and Riker's just pacing like the bridge. Uh, then Parkard's using like a spinning, like he's trying to light it when he tries to do the campfire. It doesn't work. Uh, I guess I'm skipping around, but uh, I'm like, D- he he didn't watch any Survivor. Oh, this is another because the guy says a lot of times they say Shaka when the walls fell, and I was like, does that mean? And so it goes, like when the walls fell, because he's like, you can't light a fire, Shaka when the walls fell. And I'm like, oh, and so it goes. When the walls fell, Shaka, when the walls fell, and so it goes. And then that's when the guy takes off his things and does this little prayer-like ceremony to protect his bed space. Then he pulls a Prometheus. He says, Temba, here's some fire for you, Picard. His arms wide because he's holding, and Picard says, his arms wide. He goes, yeah, because his arms are wide, Jean-Luc. That's why. I put, I mean, I loved, but don't take this as a criticism. I did put no duh. And then he says, thank you. And the guy got it. So I'm like, well, thank you. It's universal. Uh, then there's an act break. Then the shuttle goes in. It makes a big turn, uh, like it just when it comes on screen. And then we're on the bridge. Uh, Data's, you know, trying to come up with a plan. Uh, and like, or he's selling the plan. Okay, this is what's going to happen. And all's going well, but then the shuttle, you know, the other group's like, no, no, that shuttle's not going anywhere. And Reich, Riker's very impressed. Uh, and then Jordy and the other officers are trying to make plans again and debating, like, the moves they can make and the consequences. Riker uses the word hell again. Who in the hell are these people? Uh, then we're down on the planet. Picard wakes up, looks around for his buddy. He investigates. He looks at his pins, and he sees this notebook. First, I thought it was an iPad, but it was a notebook. It's a captain's log. We don't see it, though. Or actually, we do later. I think they do show a drawing from it. And then Data and the crew, Data's watching the other crew with Troy. Troy's changed. She's in red. She was in gray before. Uh, Data drops it. He goes, so these are proper nouns. There's also a sculpture on the wall. I was like, is that Earth? Uh, I couldn't count the planets because I guess I don't know why I didn't freeze it. 
And then, oh, then we see the log. Very good handwriting. This Darmachian has. This Tamarian. Picard's in gray. I also was like, okay. Picard had this jacket on. Maybe we'll cover that. Knocks, he goes, he knocks uh, the pad out of it. He goes, Temba, man, we got trouble. Then that's when I noticed some multicolored speckles on his vest, not just the, the knitting. It's Temba, your arms wide. And Picard says, well, I could go with that. Uh, then Worf and Geordi are trying to figure out this variable induction field. Then we see Ashley Judd, of all people, who we just saw in another episode where, but, um, I didn't even realize she was in this one, but I had watched the other one. And she says 53 at the very least. I didn't know. Jordy wants to shunt something. And he says, well, she says, that's a chance. Riker says, Jordy's like, I've got, you know, we're shunting down here. And he says, that's a chance we got to take. That's, And then we realize that the guy, the, the reason they're on the planet is to deal with this uh, tomorrow, like the tomorrow and Picard are supposed to deal with this. Triceratops from, uh, why do I keep forgetting that show? Um, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Uh, so then they get, they get to deal with this, this, uh, Triceratops. So he tries to communicate with, uh, uh, Picard. He says, you know, sails unfurled and Picard says, and he says, Shaka when the walls fell. And then, uh, Picard says, Shaka, you said that before. Is that a failure and inability? To do something in the days and says Darmok and Jalad and Picard says Tanagra. I know, I know, but I don't get it. And then they cut back to the ship, you know, because they're trying to the ship, they're trying to get Picard out. And then Dathan says, Lashmir, his army at Lashmir or something. But this is when Picard's like a little bit hammy. He's like, Lashmere? Like, was this like a Lashmere? A similar situation to the one we're facing here? And he says, it was on his fist, army fists open. And Picard says, oh, strategy, fist open. With open fist. And he says, his army with fist closed. He goes, fist closed. He goes, okay, so we got to lure this closed. And he goes, oh, that's how you communicate, by citing example, by metaphor. Unaz, and then Picard says, you want me to move away from you? And then uh, Dathan says, his eyes uncovered. And he goes, you're like, oh, you get it. Uh, but then they start dealing with the triceratops, and right when things get uh, intense, uh, you know, Mighty Morphin Power Ranger style, Picard gets uh, like... Uh, half transported off the ship. So then his buddy's there by himself to deal with uh, the Triceratops. And that's why they later they have to lie down by the fireside in the upcoming scenes that I talked about first. So that's a little bit. And then we're just going to cover two facts, which I guess I could cover right here. I'll just open Evernote while I'm talking. Live podcast production. And it's hanging. Uh, so... But I, I was like, I guess this is maybe early in the series to look this up, but I was like, man, what's up with the colors of the uh, Star Trek Next Generation uniforms? What do those mean? And so, of course, I went to Wikipedia. Where else would I go? According to Wikipedia, the rank and insignia, the royal rank system of the Star Wars universe resembles that of the U.S. Navy and the British Royal Navy. In contrast, other science fiction shows that might use an army system. 
uh, and later, uh, that's about movies, uh, original series are bins by, and later television series ranks are indicated by the number of pips on, or bars on univer, individuals' uniform collars. Uh, insignias are worn on the left breast by all personnel. And uh, the different shape based on the shipper base to which the person has been assigned uh, as seen in uh, different series. Uh, a symbol within the insignia, insignia can indicate the wearer's branch. A star with an elongated top point, indicate, I didn't know this, indicates command, a circle, crossed by an oval, science and medical, an angular, angular spiral, operations and engineering. And there's been other slight variations. Let's see, Star Trek, the next generation. Uh, Starfleet officers and crew members of the next generation wear a jumpsuit suit with a Starfleet communicator badge or a comm badge, as it's sometimes called, on the left chest. And the rank insignia on the right side of the collar. The uniform sleeves and abdominal area are colored to indicate the individual's branch. So this is where I was questioned. Red indicating command and helm. Uh, gold for engineering and security. In operations, blue for science and medical. Uh, but there's people in gray, so it doesn't really... The division colors for command and operations switched from those used in Enterprise and TOS. In early episodes, some crew members can be seen wearing a tunic version of the uniform with bare legs and boots. Uh, uh, sometimes Beverly Crusher wears a blue lab coat. Uh, sometimes the blue would be teal. In some episodes, uh, uh, this is what we're going to talk about. Uh, Jean-Luc Picard would wear a different uniform that consisted of a gray shirt with ribbed black shoulders and a bomber jacket with red. That was red kind of velour. With, and this is the first episode he wore it. And they said, what the heck's with that jacket? It looks sweet. It was a red jacket with black ribbed shoulders without buttons, like an open jacket. Uh, and I looked up, there was a lot of debate about this, but they basically said, Picard said, you know, I think the captain should have something sweet to wear from time to time. That's like, well, the captain can, and they, I think the most, like most of the writing about it said, well, this is like kind of the captain's casual uniform. Unlike F at, you know, F Friday, you know, something Fridays or whatever, he's Picard's like, you know, whatever. Uh, uniforms could have pouches for stuff, uh, gear pouches. In the early seasons, uh, the suits were made of spandex, but they were and they were small, so they would stretch and look smooth. But the cast didn't like that, and no pockets. Uh, so they were placed, replaced with wool uniforms uh, from the third season onward, and two-piece uh, shirt and pant designs. That didn't have colored piping on the shoulders and the pant legs. And the collars of the shirts have a colored edge of width similar to the original diamond-shaped shoulder piping. Uh, spandex uniforms continue to make appearances by extras, and they were later altered to lack the piping uh, so they would match and include a raised collar as a cost-cutting measure. Uh, admirals would wear different uniforms, uh, and by the, uh, sixth season, they had a final design featuring an untucked jacket with gold piping, a centered enclosure, and pips. 
encasing a gold square on the sides of the collar. Uh, the this next generation dress uniform, which continued to be used in Deep Space Nine and Voyager, is a colored wraparound robe-like coat of a solid division color, save for black shoulders. The edges of the robe-like coats are piped in silver for field officers and gold for flag officers. Uh, other uniform designs appeared briefly from other ones. Uh, the costume designer from the original series returned to design the initial Next Generation uniforms, and then Robert Blackman took over in Season 3 uh, designing the uniforms. Uh, during all the shows set in the 24th century, a consi- consistent insignia scheme is used uh, for the officers. Gold pips uh, worn on the right collars, like we said. After the first season of Next Generation, a consistent scheme is also used for the Admiral insignias that we kind of covered. Uh, Starfleet on the left breast, also the communication badge. Uh, cadet ranks are rarely ever seen, except when Wesley comes, uh, you know, back from school, back from the, uh, what was that place called? Uh, Starfleet Academy. So that's just like, we'll, we'll do that. Maybe we'll find more time. We're going to do another run through here, but, you know, maybe we'll, as we go on and we get through this pilot of doing a few of these, we'll see how much we like, uh, we can balance out learning stuff. But it was just a little bit we could learn about the uniforms. Uh, all right, let's run through the episode one more time, which I did first, so it'll be disorienting maybe. You know, it was my first run through, so I figured I'd use it second. Uh, you know, always improving. All right, thanks, everybody. All right, so I'm going to run through the episode here. It starts off 45, I think start date 4504712. Which is this? Uh, that, that was a phone number that in my childhood had four seven two in it. Uh, first thing I noticed because I already had watched it. Like this wasn't the first uh, Next Generation episode I watched, but it, it was Picard's jacket. It, it like was layered. It had velour, some leather. It was a new jacket, and this was. Uh, so I don't know if you had it on season five, episode one, or what the story is behind it. I'll look into it. it had leather shoulders. They're talking about the children of Tama. They use words like incomprehensible, are the truly. Um, Picard goes to Troy and then to Data. I'm in the right spot here. Uh, you want to talk about en- enigna- enigmatic. My notes are in enigmatic. Enigma. I can say enigma. Enigmatic, enigmatic, enigma, enigmatic. I don't know why I have trouble with that. Is that a normal thing or is that just me? <laughs> don't answer that. Uh, Picard goes to Troy, then to Data. At some point, tr- tr- Troy is like uh, behind Picard. She has a good look. Uh, they co- they talk to these uh, children of Tama on the mic, and they're cracking the dude and his sidekick up. Uh, Paul Winfield, uh, the great actor, uh, stars in this. And that's when I first saw it. Laughter is universal, uh, but they like they didn't pick up on them. They say, Darmok, when the walls fell, sails unfurled. Uh, then we see Picard at some point. They, they, so these are my first, this is my first year, so please be forgiving of me. 
because they didn't even know. I said, geez, how am I going to take notes on Star Trek? Uh, so then I missed some stuff, I, but, but they'll come up on my next run through. Then Picard's on the planet with the dude. Uh, two, oh, they both had, he had two utensils, the dude. Dharma, I don't know his name is. Dharma, we, we could call the character. And then they had act, like ad break one, or act break one, and then the show opens. So in the first, like, uh, whatever this is called, uh, first, I don't think this is the first act. I don't, I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't know that much about structuring these TV shows. Uh, but we did find out they were going to see the children of Tama. They met with them. And then they said, hey, they were having trouble communicating. And then the next thing they know, Picard and the leader of the other group were transported to a planet. Uh, and then Picard, for Picard, he also, the next thing he knows, he's transported to a planet with this dude who's got two uh, sporks on him. Uh, then it opens Darmok. They're on a ship. They're on. Uh, this is on the uh, Enterprise. Riker's there with Data and Troy, and they're trying to get a plan, an idea. Then Worf says, uh, "Contest, perhaps." They're having like a staff meeting, saying, "She's okay. Why do you think? What? Do, what should we do?" Riker's commanding officer says, "Why did they bring? What? What are they doing with our with our commander?" And what should we do? So Worf thinks it's like a battle of champions, and they're trying to get to the bottom of it. Then back on the planet, uh, the guy says, uh, he says, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. And so a lot of this is, what I really liked about this is this, it's about this difficulty to communicate. Uh, then he throws the utensils to Picard. Picard says, I don't want your spork. Uh, then we get back to the Enterprise, and they say, well, geez, everybody's in good health down there. Uh, Picard calls ship. Uh, so they call the other, uh, they call back to the, the children of Thomas' ship. And the second-in-command talks right into the camera. He, get, he, he gets his face, or they get their face right up in the camera. But they don't know what he's saying. He's just disagreeing because they don't have the language can't be interpreted. Oh, that's like a main thing about the show. This episode, this is my first time, so I got to give myself some some leeway here. But they they're not. I'm having trouble communicating about the episode. But so, the main hangup is there's no way to translate the language that the Darmanians are speaking, or the Tamanian, the children of Tama. Uh, but they do sp seem to speak in some sort of English. <laughs> Spoil like uh, it's just uh, like some sort of figurative language. I think is what we learn. Okay, so where were we? Darmok on the ship. Uh, Darmok and Jalada Tanagra. Picard's in a good. So then they say, "Hey, let's send down a shuttle." Uh, then we're back on the planet. The dude, like this, the Darmok has this great fire going. It's nighttime on the planet. And Picard pretends he's a character on, like, a Boy Scout or Survivor TV show. And he gets he, he gets his fire just about started, but then it goes out. But then he gives up. I said, what, which Captain Picard is this? Because I never met this one. And Darmok guy just kind of laughs. He says, uh, Shaka, when the walls fell, and he cracks up. And you see they cannot communicate in... 
Ricard's getting cold. Then this guy does this very ritual thing, like uh, where he takes his pins off of his, uh, like his uniform, and he touches his forehead, kind of in a prayer, and he kind of creates a protective circle. Then he goes to sleep with his spork. But Picard, Picard says, "Well, let me try. Let me try one of the things I learned at the academy: passive aggressive pacing." So he starts pacing around, and the dude's like, "Yo, I'm trying to sleep over here, Picard." Uh, but he couldn't communicate, so he couldn't say that. Like Shaka, when the walls, when my eyes but fell, because I'm trying to sleep. So Picard's pacing around. So the guy says, "Well, you know, WTF?" So he says, "Hey, why don't you just take some of my fire? You know, use it to light yours." He says, "Temba." Uh, Temba arms wide. And I mean, I did watch, this was like my, this was my second time watching it. And then I watched it a third time. I said, well, that's pretty, uh, Temba arms wide. That's pretty non-threatening. Uh, but Picard, he's like, like kind of command, uh, and I love Picard. So don't take this as any criticisms. Just this episode. He's like kind of overreaching. And the dude's like, Temba arms wide, man. It's simple. Just take the friggin' fire. And, uh, you know, uh, then Picard says, thank you. And the guy cracks up. So then Picard starts his fire and then we have another ad break. Then we're back in the print, uh, uh, enterprise and, uh, Picard's like, this is a first officer's log supplemental and Worf's on a pan- panel thing, uh, like in the shuttle, e- they're in the E region of the atmosphere headed towards the D region. And making no, they're they're like, oh, they're making no attempt to stop them, the other ship. Then they are, so they say evasive maneuvers Delta, and they the the shuttle gets damaged just enough that it has to turn back, uh, but not enough to harm anyone. That's what Riker says. And then they close up on Riker. He says, nice shooting. Uh, then there's another staff meeting, and Riker Riker he uses some strong. He says, who the hell are these people? And then Jordy comes up with some great idea, and he says, do it. And then uh, it's the next day, it's morning, Picard wakes uh, it wakes up, his fire's out, and his friend's gone. There's a lot of wildflowers It looked like, uh, you know, they could have been somewhere similar to Southern California. And he walks over, since he walks over the fire circle from the other guy, checks out the other guy's pins that he had kind of created this protective safe place. And at first I thought the guy had like an iPad, but ended up was just like a, like a notebook. It was his captain's log. And what does this say? Oh, then we go back to the ship data. I thought that said dads. Data studying the communication with uh, Counselor Troy. And uh, there's like freezing the video. It was it was cool. I mean, this was like modern day, you know, in the future. Like they're probably, they say, okay, rewind that video computer. And they're trying to pick out words, and then they recognize a couple uh, proper nouns, and they have the computer. They say, computer, search for the meaning of that word. And they hope have hope for a second, but then there's too many uh, like definitions. Like one was a frozen dessert. I don't know if that was Darmok. Uh, and then Counselor Troy seemed uh, very frustrated, but then Data's not giving up. Then they say Darmok at Tanagra, and they realize it's got some mythical meaning to it. And then we're back. Uh, then the ad break, another ad break. And then Picard's head, uh, looking at the captain log, he gets busted by the dude. And Picard thinks the guy's mad at him, but really he's like, dude, there's a snarl snarl coming. 
I know that's when the act break it comes. And then we're back on the planet. And Picard's like behind Temba, his arms wide. He goes, okay, I'll go along with that. They say, let's get these sporks. This is like a, like, this is like a snarling, like ice cream thing. So we got to spork, like some of the ice cream out of it and eat it. Uh, then we see war, then war back in the ship. Worf's like, oh, there's trouble down there. There's something else. So then Riker says, Riker to the forge, how much time we got till you fix this? And he says, I don't know, two, three hours maybe. He goes, I don't care, get it done now. And he says, okay, two minutes, I'll get it done. Not sure if it'll work. So then they go back to the deck. Then they go to O'Brien and, and then the planet. And then it's like that we see this cloaked thing. It's a shackle in the walls. So the, it ends up the ice cream, ice cream creatures from... Uh, What's that show called? Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It's a character, some ice cream character from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And then they say, LaForge says, I'm almost there. He says, shunt, shunt the overload. Then O'Brien says, Link confirmed. Then the planet, they get Picard. And they're trying so hard to get Picard. But Picard's trying to help his buddy with his Power Rangers because they're not Power Rangers. I mean, Picard's pretty close. So is this other guy. Oh, no, wait, they haven't tried to get Picard yet. I jumped the gun. Because uh, then they, they're communicating. He says his army with fist open, fist closed. Uh, Paul Winfield's character's trying to communicate with Picard. And then Picard realizes, he goes, oh, you communicate by metaphor. And Picard's so happy. And then the dude's happy. And he says, Sukkot, his eyes uncovered or something. I did like it, though. His eyes uncovered. That makes total sense. He goes, oh, you get it. Uh, this is when the Power Ranger shows up, or the Power Ranger cre- ice cream creature. And then Picard gets transported away. He says, no, no, no. But then they can't keep him, and not enough of him gets down. Uh, so then we're back in the ship. Uh, Kurlash, when it rises... I don't know what that meant. And then Picard's back. He runs to the dude. He goes, Shaka, when the walls fell. And then we have the fourth break of officer's log. Uh, something about a plum nomen. Palace gone. Alplan nomen palace gone. First officer's log. No, no, when we do the dialogue. But then they have a staff meeting. Dr. Crusher gives some options. Uh, more dra- dragons of atmosphere. Uh, they're discussing the atmosphere. Then they say something about the polarity coil drive. And they say, okay, get, it's going to take a few hours. And then uh, Riker says, make it so. And then Data and Troy are onto it. They say, geez, it looks, it seems like they communicate by narrative imagery. The problem is that we can understand the grammar, but not the vocabulary. So we're kind of nowhere. And then this great line, without the details, there is no understanding. And then it's nighttime again. There's a fire. I don't know who started it, but the guys on the ground, Picard's there protecting, like watching over him. And they really have a great one-on-one scene. He goes, you know, just a really nice scene. Uh, he says, hey, tell me more about because the guy's not feeling so good. He ate too much ice cream. So Picard says, tell me more about Darmok and Jalad. 
And then Picard kind of breaks down. He says, Darmok on the ocean. He goes, okay, it's a metaphor. And he slowly figures it all out. Kind of obvious. I, I mean, I'm saying that like I am actually a jerk, I guess, for saying that. But, uh, like, uh, but again, I have the advantage of watching a TV show and not being in there. Uh, but then there's this bonus, you know, it goes deeper. Then Picard has this extra realization. He goes, you were hoping this would happen. You knew a danger shared brings two people together. And then Picard tells a bedtime story. So that's why I chose this episode is like, cause it was about communication. And then Picard tells a bedtime story from Gilgamesh. Uh, something, I, I don't know, something about living on a farm. And the guy, Paul Winfield, Darmot cracks up. He goes, Gilgamesh. That's hilarious. He finds him. And then there was all this foreshadowing. And then there's an act break. And uh, we come back from the break. And uh, it's time to break the stalemate. Uh, oh, they call them the Tamarians. Uh, so that's what you call them. The Tamarian may have gone to the farm, they say. And then the Power Ranger guy shows up that goes after Picard. Uh, but then they uh, they get him out. So then the battle doesn't go well uh, with the other ship. But then Picard rolls up on the bridge. And then he just totally aces the communication by metaphor. Uh, and he goes, what do you think, boss? This is how the episode ends. He goes, what do you think? Is these new friends? He goes, well... At least there's no new enemies. And then there's an epilogue with Picard reading, and uh, uh, Riker comes in with a damage report. He goes, what are you reading, some Greek, sir? He goes, yeah, the Homeric hymns, uh, one of the root metaphors. Commander connection, that commandment. Something, that commandment, that commitment meant more than his own life. He goes, uh, thank you, no. Yeah, I'm going to, I'll read through these, the, another set of notes. But then Picard goes to the window and he kind of signs goodbye uh, to his friend, the Tamarian. And, and that was our first uh, ever run through of a uh, uh, next gen episode. Thanks. All right, so tonight we're going to be talking about Encounter at Farpoint, which is a two, two, it was the first episode. Let me just read a little bit from Wikipedia to set the mood here. A series premiere and first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Premiered in syndication, wow, December, September 28th, 1987. That is even more impressive. I had no idea. I mean, holy mackerel. That is so, I mean, I, wow. It was written by uh, D.C. Fontana and Gene Roddenberry and directed by Corey Allen. Uh, Roddenberry was the creator of Star Trek and Fontana was a writer on the original series. Uh, the series was made as a pilot for the new Star Trek series in a double-length episode for Paramount at Paramount Ten Television Group's insistence. Uh, after the show was initially announced uh, in 1986, Roddenberry put together a production team. Uh, new actors were hired. Uh, and sometimes they had to rehire. And sometimes people, you know, the, the, that's not important. So what's important was the year, uh, September 28th, 1987. Uh, a couple of the extra uh, actors are... Uh, 
John Delancey, who plays Q, who, you know, we'll be talking about it probably a lot over the next couple months or years. Michael Bell, who played Groppler Zorn. And I think that's probably it. DeForest Kelly played um, um, Leonard McCoy, Bones. Is that Bones McCoy? DeForest Kelly, but that was like the, like, uh, but that was a kind of tribute to uh, the original Star Trek. And maybe we'll do a run through. Uh, this is kind of like a two parter for me. I mean, this is like a, you know, double length, uh, so about an hour and a half. And so we'll talk about, we'll run through the whole episode and then maybe we'll talk about like, cause I, it, what I was really struck by was a lot of interesting things. And, uh, I'd never seen this episode before, like the first time I watched it, which was like months ago when I decided I've been watching Star Trek next generation for months to, you know, uh, now that we're doing this in the lead up, uh, you know, get my feet wet and make sure this was viable. But, uh, so the first time I watched it was a few months ago. Once they decided, okay, we're going to do Star Trek Next Generation for this show. And so it was really informative. Uh, and it's a really different episode uh, like uh, than a normal episode, I would say. So not just the length. Uh, and it, but it gives us a little glimpse into certain characters, just like a pilot would. And in some way, real in a really not too terrible way, like a lot of stuff. And a couple of things I really loved, like the first time I saw it, the fact that uh, Picard doesn't like, here's a spoiler, Picard doesn't like kids. The fact that uh, they make him uncomfortable, it just really struck me as like, uh, okay, I really like the, uh, I don't know if it's the, like the being of this program. Uh, now, now I get it. Uh, I don't know. I guess that would be an, an endearing thing. It endeared it to me. And then having Q on the first episode is another big plus. Uh, and it's just a lot of great things. So let's do some run through. Um, encounter at Farpoint. It opens with the opening. Well, I put opens with open. Uh, the ship in center screen falls in to the screen. And Picard walks out of the shadows, and uh, Picard uh, walks fast. Is is the new command of a galaxy class ship? Uh, their shortest uh, first officer, who's at Deneb Four, and their task their their task is to solve the mystery of Farpoint Station. Uh, Data does not know Snoop. Oh, they're talking about oh, what what are they doing? And uh, like they say, okay, we're we're gonna snoop. Uh, we're gonna try to get clues. And he goes, you mean like seek covertly? And then Troy, Counselor Troy, uh, senses a powerful mind. And then the ship's alarm goes off. There's something strange. It's a force field. He says, and then Picard starts to get irritable, which is great. He goes, shut off that damn noise. And then we see the Enterprise is caught in some kind of energy net, like a force field. And again, this is 1987, so these effects, they really stand up. I've been watching on Amazon, but I think it's also on Netflix. It says HD. Now, I don't know what that means as far as the 1080, whatever, but uh, really this show, man, talk about a show that has legs. 
Uh, okay, they say, come to full stop. Uh, there's a flash appearance of a man in a giant hat with a feather in a breastplate. He looked like a battling painter, like a Renaissance painter with a breastplate. And he had jacket with high boots. And he goes, you've gone too far to return to your galaxy. And then they, they say, well, what are you? What are you? I don't know who said that, but he goes, we call ourselves the Q. And then he kind of locks the crew off the bridge. Everybody's trying to come on. And Q's walking around like he even has like a foil, like a, for fencing style. Uh, and then at some point, uh, Q, Q says, you know, if, if captain to captain, uh, he goes, go back to where thou came. And then somebody tries to come at him. He says, stay, stay while you stay where you are. He freezes that guy. Picard says, stay to get a hold of medicine. And Picard's kind of exasperated now because he says, what are you, what are you doing, man? Uh, this is just wrong. He goes, he wasn't up to anything. Uh, but he, he kind of has this face off, face off with a Q, you know, like, uh, his Q's like, hit the road or else, and Picard's not happy. Then there's an ad. They come back from the ad, and it says, Captain's Log like Supplementary. You know, he froze one of our guys. And we're, we're see, seeing this powerful Q being. Do we dare pose it? And then Q is a WW2 officer, like smoking cigarettes and talking about, uh, oh, 400 years ago. He goes, go back to your, uh, you know, world. You know, you guys have been up to no good. Human beings are no good. You're not good to each other. You're not good to anybody else. You've got your tribal god images, and you're never going to change. Which I guess is this is a great theme for the opening episode of the series. Like the humans aren't going to. I mean, I guess it's so, like is this a like what is a jingoism for all of humankind instead of just for your country? Where you say, hey, let's make a TV series about how great humans are. And they say, well, we're the only ones in exit. We're the only ones going to watch it, Gene. Yeah, but we're the best, you know. Okay, wait, wait. Say, yeah, it'll be a series about how great we are for the universe, better than we are now. Big, big plan. And I mean, because it, but it is a, I'm being, I'm being facetious, you know. Uh, really is good. Also, I forgot we got a view of Worf, who's a, a, a I don't want to say who my favorite character is, but it's Worf, I think. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it. I'm doing a podcast about Star Trek Next Generation. I'm still not. Worf. I just, I just, I do like a lot of the characters. I just think I connect with, there's a couple of good episodes about Worf, so we'll leave it at that. Uh, but, you know, whatever he says, Q's whole thing is, will humans never change? And then he says, you want to see your rapid progress? And uh, then he changes to another weird outfit, like post, uh, post-winter on Earth. And he keeps criticizing humans. Same, same old story. Uh, over and over again, but Picard says, "Oh no, the same old story as you—some self-righteous life form that's uh, not just here to judge, uh, not try to understand or tolerate." And Q says, "Great idea. Let's do some judging. Uh, you know, what if we figure it out?" And Picard says, "I'm not afraid of being judged by you fairly." And then uh, Q says, "Great idea, Captain. You're a veritable fountain of ideas. Preparations to make. Uh, I'll be back, and uh, we'll proceed." 
And then the flash is going, and Worf says, "All right, we got to take. You know, we we got to be ready to rumble. Uh, you know, should we should we rumble or should we escape?" Uh, and Counselor Troy says, "We should." Probably, she says, "According to you know my my sense is that we should avoid contact with these beings." And Picard says, "All right, let's see what this ship can do." And he says, "Let's get some maximum acceleration uh, to see if we can outrun this." And he says, "Engage." And then they get to 9.2, and then uh, Q's still on their tail or something. Then they get up to 9.3 warp. And then at some point, Picard says, hey, any guesses about what this is, Troy, Counselor Troy? She says, uh, beyond a life form, very advanced. And then Picard says, we got to go faster. And Data says, uh, faster Data's project, too much risk. So then they do a, they say we'll separate the saucer and protect the families and the uh, the rest of the crew. Worf will command the saucer, which Worf doesn't want to do. Of course, he doesn't want to run. Uh, so then they take Data and Worf. Uh, every they they clear the bridge. Uh, I didn't and never they, they go to this battle bridge, I guess, or something. Yeah, Picard heads to the battle bridge. Then there's a commercial. Uh, then we see lots of uh, civilians and families. Everyone's walking very fast. Something about torpedoes and separations with music or something. Sepititanian music. Uh, but then I think this is when the thing's separating. We get all these reaction shots of the crew. Successful. Maybe that's the getaway. Then more reaction shots. Uh, then a separation shot. Okay, we're with steam stem turns. I think this is when the thing separated, the saucer, and then they, they turn different ways. And then Picard and the ship, they wait for the queue, and Picard talks to Tasha Yar, who is the head of security. He says, uh, this, she says, what do you think we should do for a plan? And then they say, well, he says, send us out on all languages and frequencies. We surrender with no terms. And then the ship starts shaking because the queue's caught up with them, and they surround the ship in the barrier. And the next thing you hear is laughing and jeering, and you see this red banner with a black eagle on it. It's Picard, Troy, Data, and Yar. And this is like a holy Terry Gilliam Batman. This was like a get Terry Gilliam, like a scene from a Terry Gilliam movie in a good way. I mean, definitely, I would have liked to, to you know, it's a good thing they have Twitter in 1987 because man, I can imagine the, the harshness. Like maybe people were judged. They say, "What is this? Is Star Trek?" Uh, but I, I think it was cool, and and it was very. Uh, is you know like this uh, dystopian feel to it, which was like like a past Earth. Uh, but let me get into it. It's a strange crowd. There's a man in a Rob Santa hat, Santa hat, man in a robe. I didn't put an E there. I put R O B. In a Santa like hat, a staff with a ribbon on it. And he's talking to Picard and the crew. He says, the prisoners will stand. So Picard says, hey, let's sit down. And Data finds this intriguing because it's so accurate. The post, uh, um, what do you call it, the dystopian Earth uh, that's in the past now. And Troy says, this is not an illusion or a dream. 
even though it's in the past, you know, she, she goes, this is real. It's not uh, fake. It's mid 21st century. Is that where we're, we're 20? We had 21st century, but we're not the mid 21st century yet. Uh, there's also like very Terry Gilliam things like someone in the crowd has an umbrella or maybe that's a Mad Maxian with no claw, you know, just an umbrella or skeleton. And they say, make way for the, uh, judge. And they say, get to your feet. And then Q makes this grand entrance in like this giant floating throne. It's got like white face paint on or very pale skin, this red gown, it reminded me of like something out of a, a, a like an Amadeus like uh, opera, and there's red cape and gloves. That's uh, that's on on cue. Lion's heads on the throne. Uh, then Tashiar gets out of order, and uh, everyone cracks up because they freeze her. It's very Gilliam. Just the way the audience is, and they just. Just a strange, just as a level of good kind of strangeness uh, for me. I don't know if you could say it's a cohesive strangeness, which would be like it, like something like Twin Peaks is a. I don't know. Let's not get into semantics of str- semantics of strangeness. Gingerbread Press thirty thirty. Uh, they're worried about the Freyer trial. Oh yeah, they say that, and then they. Uh, you know, they're there to answer for their species. Then Data objects. Uh, then Tasha Yar objects to the whole court. So she gets frozen. Then everyone laughs and jeers. They say, you've got a lot to learn. And then Q yawns uh, at how boring a trial is. Uh, and Picard is not happy. But Q's like, concentrate on your trial. And he says, because if this is a fair trial, you're going to lose. Uh, but then, or maybe that Picard says that, but then they get to, to Tasha thought out, which the crowd doesn't like. Then their bells ring uh, to, to, you know, to, to silence the crowd. And Q says, legal trickery will not be permitted. And Picard says, well, what is this? We're guilty until we're, pro- you know, guilty until we're proven innocent. And, you know, it is. And Q is kind of like, well, that's what the humans have earned. And Picard's like, well, I'm going to only answer specific charges. So then Q says, well, present the charges. Oh, also, there's a little bit we learn about Tasha Yark. She says, I grew up on a world with courts like this. Uh, and so uh, Starfleet is what saved me from a world like this. And Picard, like, reads the charges suspensefully. Then he hands them back. Uh, and he sees, I see no charges uh, against us. And they say, you are out of order. Then there was like this weird camera angle. I'm not sure what happened. It almost looked like there was like a blanket over the camera when it's on Picard. And Q tries to make uh, make Picard plead guilty. He does something one laughs. He does a lovely one laughs. Provisually Q. Uh, yeah, let me look this up. I don't know, but... uh. Let's see, provisionally Q, but Q lounges in the chair. Oh, Data plays back recordings of Picard uh, saying, will this be a fair trial? And, Picard, you know, he's like, we're proof humans have, have advanced test us. And Q's like, oh, yeah, great, great. Farpoint will be an excellent test for you. Uh, court adjourned. Uh, stand respectfully, everyone.
bonus. Bow, oh, everyone bows as Q leaves. And then Q has this great line. He says, Captain, you may find you are not clever enough for what awaits you. And then the next thing you know, they're back back on the ship, the normal ship. Uh, and, like, O'Brien, no one even knows they were gone, I think. Uh, and then we have Person Log Commander Will, William Riker, Stardate 4115, 41, I don't know how they say it, 41153.7, dropped off by the USS Hood, by, you know, USS Harry Hood. And uh, says, I'm waiting for the Enterprise, or I'm going to be the first officer. Meanwhile, I'm supposed to talk to the administrator in the old city. Uh, so but Riker goes to meet with this grappler Zorn. He said, talk about a name to, for me to grapple with, grappler Zorn. Uh, Zorn's easy, but grappler. Uh, this guy had a great voice, grappler Zorn. They share an awkward, awkward handshake in the... The mystery of Farpoint is uh, that Riker's trying to figure out. It's like, oh, this is incredible. You built this perfect station. And then Zorn's like, you want some fruit? And, and Picard, or Riker's like, well, I could go for an apple. He goes, oh, well, there's no way. He goes, oh, wait, no, there's here's a magical bowl of apples. It was behind this other bowl. And Riker's like, I don't think that was there before. And uh, Grappler Zorn's like, well, doesn't it make you feel welcome? Or something, and he says. Anyway, he goes. Uh, he goes. I just want to, you know, uh, get my questions answered. And uh, Zorn's like, "This is a great station. You don't need to ask that many questions." And then Riker says, "All right, I'm gonna eat my apple. I'll see you later." And then after he leaves, uh, um, let's see. Easy answers won't make it appreciate any less. Oh, then yeah. After Riker leaves, uh, Zorn's like mad at some mysterious force, kind of uh, chastising it uh, for making those apples appear. And then we meet Wesley and uh, Beverly Crusher. Riker meets them. Via, you know, we meet them via Riker. They go for a stroll in the shopping district. And Wesley's kind of funny. He goes, if you're wondering about my mom, Commander Riker, she's not unfriendly. She's just shy around men she doesn't know. And then she's, you know, she's like, Wesley, you you little, uh, you know, and she says, I think that just means he wants us to be friends. And then Riker's like, I want to investigate some stuff uh, while we're here. I want to be useful, you know, get some stuff done. And then Crutcher's also looking at this material. She says, geez, I wish this, like, uh, material would have gold in it. And next thing you know, there's some, like, uh, like a bolt of, uh, what do you call that stuff you make clothes with? Cloth. Uh, but Crusher said, yes, yeah, sorry, I'm just giving you a hard time about, uh, you know, creating work to curry favor with our new captain. Uh, but she says, maybe this is something weird going on here with this, uh, uh, Stuff uh, and she said maybe Jean Luc would would like us to check it out and Riker says Jean Luc you mean Captain Picard and uh, Wesley says yeah yeah he he helped with, with when my father passed he he helped us and Doctor Crusher says that was a long time ago anyway Commander we got a roll and he says yeah my problem meeting you both uh, see you on board. And then we meet Jordy LaForge, uh, and he says, uh, sir, the Enterprise is arriving. And then, he, you know, Riker gives him a little business. He says, is this an official report, Jordy? 
And he goes, oh, sorry, sorry, Commander. Sir, Lieutenant LaForge reporting. The Enterprise is rising, but without the saucer section, sir. That's tough to say, saucer section, sir. Riker says, star drive only? What happened? He goes, I don't know, but Captain Picard said for you to beam up immediately. Riker says, our captain doesn't, new captain wasn't waste time. That's a great idea. Thanks, Lieutenant. LaForge says, aye, sir. And next thing you know, Riker's beam, you know, ready to beam up. Also, I missed a note here. When he says there's no saucer section, it's like one of those YK moments, which I love. What? And then Riker beats, beams up, and then there's a commercial. Uh, Orbit San Saucer or Sansa. I think, I don't know if I was writing about the poetry about Sansa Stark in here. Sansa Stark, Saucer Sir uh, section. Sansa Saucers section, Saucers, sir, in the snow. Uh, but Tasha waits. Uh, I don't know what she's waiting for. Lieutenant Yar. Oh, she's waiting for a cat, Picard, or Riker. She says, all right, let me take you to the battle bridge. And Riker says, something interesting must have happened, huh? And she says, yeah, when we get to the battle bridge, the captain will tell you, uh, you know, Mr. Mister Questions, I'm security. And then they're in a standard parking orbit, and uh, Ricard says, let me bring you up to date on our little adventure. This was funny. They showed him, like, video highlights. Again, very futuristic. It was like a YouTube video. And he said this a saucer's on its way, but after watching video with uh, Q's, uh, Riker's totally stumped. And so then we have the captain and uh, his number one alone for a little convo. I think, or maybe they're, uh, maybe, maybe, let me see. Yeah, let's see. Captain plus number one. He goes, the, the, the Picard puts the pressure on him right away. He says, Commander Riker will dock the ship. Uh, and then they get right to work. Uh, crew and Riker, oh boy, they're doing this manual docking. So I assume this was to kind of show off the potential of the ship and the wonderful special effects, uh, but also show off Riker's effectiveness and uh, high-pressure situations. He really does well. Oh boy, plenty of shots. Riker rolls in, and then he says, Her inertia should do the job now. And he says, lock it up. And then they do, like, uh, reaction shots of data or data. Data, they call them on the show. Tasha and O'Brien, they're all really impressed. And they smile. somebody smiles. Riker's pleased. But then Riker's drinking tea. And he starts testing Riker. He says, well, that was a fairly routine maneuver. Maneuver. And Riker says, well, thanks, man. I hope I showed promise. He goes, I have some questions for you. He goes, I, he goes, I thought you would, sir. He goes, I saw Captain DeSoto likes you. He goes, one thing. He goes, you refused to let him bring him down to Altar 3. And Riker says, well, it's too risky for the captain. And Picard says, well, I guess captain's rank doesn't mean anything to you. Riker says, the reverse. He goes, captain's life means a lot, uh, and Picard says, well, don't you think a Starfleet captain can make a, isn't that presumptuous of you to second-guess the captain's judgment? And then you get this, you know, moment. It was permission to speak candidly, sir. One of these moments with these officers were always waiting for. And Picard says, always. And maybe Picard was hoping he would say, well, Captain DeSoto's a buffoon. But, you know, that would uh, incriminate Riker. 
Uh, but Riker says, well, I guess you were a first officer once, and uh, you must know that uh, the safety of the captain, you know, I can follow rules, but I'm not going to compromise your safety. And Picard says, really? You, you, you put me first. I like that. Uh, and Picard says, one more thing. Uh, he goes, well, since you, this was, this is a wonderful, wonderful moment. I don't have the timestamp, but really important uh, to for me to be like, I'm really going to enjoy this, watching this Star Trek Next Generation. He says, using the same kind of strength you showed with DeSoto, I appreciate if you keep me making an ass of myself with children. And Riker says, what do you mean? He goes, well, I'm not a family man, Riker. He goes, but this is a ship with children aboard. I don't feel comfortable with children, but since I have to be a genial captain, I got to project that. Riker says, don't worry, bro, I got your back. And then I says, sweet, you guys are going to get along great. Uh, then we get like a little uh, backstory, like not backstory, but exposition about Geordi's vision and how that works. And, uh, the, you know, because he's with Dr. Crusher getting an exam. What's in, another interesting thing we learn is that Geordi, in order to see with his visor, it's painful for Geordi. Which is just an interesting thing in that uh, Crusher's like, well, you could take painkillers. And LaForge says, well, without then I wouldn't be able to use, like, C. And then Crusher says, well, we could desensitize your brain. And he said, no, 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 I, I live with the pain so I can, you know, have this electronic vision. Uh, then we got Riker on the bridge. Uh, he says, where's data Data at? He goes, a oh, special assignment, transferring our admiral over to a, another ship. And then this is when we see Bones. And we just get a little uh, McCoy, a little comedy routine. Uh, and we learn about, like, he thinks that Data's a Vulcan, but Data can't explain to you, know, I'm an android. And McCoy says, you know, make sure this is, ship's got a great name, so don't, you know, don't mess it up. And that was like a that was like a spot where I took a break. Uh, but yeah, so so it's just kind of like a like a, I think that's like the middle part with this little comedy routine uh, with Data seeing Bones off board. Uh, so there's an ad break after Data and Bones go start their walk, and then uh, you see two starships and one flies off. And Picard says, "You send that message, Riker." He says, "Oh yeah, bon voyage, mon ami." And Picard seems very chipper, I put. And then Q shows up and says, hey, you're wasting time, Captain. Uh, and then, uh, uh, what's his name? Worf, Worf uh, tries to go after the viewer because uh, Q's on the viewer. And he says, 24 hours, Captain. And then, uh, you know, Worf apologizes. Uh, he says, we must proceed at our own pace, I think Picard says. Then it says, Picard, chippy futility. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, Picard, chippy futility. And they, but they say, well, geez, what are we going to do, Captain? He says, we're going to do what we do if Q never existed. He goes, if we're going to be troubled, let's be troubled. Let's get trouble for what we're supposed to be doing. And then we have a personal log star date, 41153.8. 24 hours, Captain Picard says, uh, and 11 have gone by. But I'm waiting. I think we're going to be tested. 
And then Riker and Picard are still trying to figure out how they built this far point, which is the mystery of the kind of show. I mean, you have the mystery of the queue. And then you have kind of, especially in the second half, how did they build this? There's this kind of like uh, more uh, basic planet, but they have these uh, this great station built there uh, to start uh, to, uh, whatever, uh, you know, the, to, to exact specifications. None of the materials exist on the planet. And so Picard and Riker are kind of discussing it. Uh, and then beaming down, move to it, sir. Uh, but Riker also has this thing about uh, uh, that he th- says, I think this grappler's Zorn and the people are, they're trying to please us. That's like kind of a hint, you know, because in his reports, you know, they said what well, that thing with the apples. And then Ricard and Riker getting ready. He goes, oh, he goes, yeah, ask Counselor Troy to join us. And that's like all these funny takes. Oh, boy. Uh, you could see on their faces there's some awkwardness. And then this one, I guess I haven't, like, uh, watched enough. But Troy starts speaking uh, to Riker, and she calls him, um, um, let me think. She says, can you still sense my thoughts, Zindi, or Mazdi? And Picard says, what are you, have you two met before, or are you just communicating by mind already? And I think Picard, or uh, someone says, I too could never say goodbye. Maybe that's Troy. But so we get that learning moment. Picard doesn't like kids. Uh, Date is an android. Uh... Uh, Jordy, so we're getting all these little hints about the characters that'll do as well. Uh, but the end of it, the planet, uh, desolate, uh, we see they're in a meeting with grapplers. Who doesn't like betazoids? That's what Counselor Dro- Troy is, a betazoid, because uh, he feels like they could read their minds. But Counselor Troy says, no, 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 I can only detect emotions, uh, grappler. I'm half betazoid. My father was my father. Hello, mother. Hello, father. No, no. She says, my father was a Starfleet officer. And counselor, uh, whatever, not counselor, uh, whatever the dude's name is. I can't believe I just forgot it. Grappler Zorn says, uh, well, I got nothing to hide. And then they're like, well, we'd like to hire you or learn your techniques. And Grappler Zorn says, well, we just kind of want to be left alone. You know, just want you to use this star base, but we don't want to do everything else. You know, we just want to, he goes, we're the bandy people. We like staying home. And he goes, you know, if you can't get that, we'll, 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 maybe we'll make an alliance, allegiance with the Ferengi. And something about that makes Counselor Troy take a, a breath. And they say, well, geez, what's going on? She goes, pain and loneliness, uh, despair. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's a grappler or the people, it's something else. They're very upset. Uh, uh, grappler's, you know, was irritated. Uh, what else? It feels they might be. Oh, and then also Picard says, well, Jesus, Ferengi would love you, grapplers. They love, they, they find, uh, uh, Ferengi or whatever, the, because they find you tasty. 
then Riker goes looking for uh, data on the ship. He gets directions from the queue, uh, uh, from from the crew. Also, we see kind of this mapping system they have where it can guide you. Also, the person he asked, the woman he asked, she looked right at his butt, and, and, and I mean, that caught the hats. Uh, then we get a taste of the holodeck as Riker goes into the forest on the holodeck. His mind is blown. He does this hello across the river. Uh, Data is practicing whistling. So that's another cool, like, say, well, Data practices whistling. Pop goes the weasel. And him and Riker do a du- du- duet for a second. And I think that's his date it's practicing. Then Riker says, let's roll, man. We got we got work to do. Uh, but then they talk about, uh, like, Riker's like, what are you, a machine? Or what do I call you, it? Should I call you it? And Data says, what, you, don't you trust me? He goes, Riker goes, nope. And he goes, well, prejudice is very human. And Riker goes, what, do you think you're better than us? He goes, well, actually, I am. Uh, but you know, he goes, I don't, uh, you know, all my superiority give up to be a human. And he says, nice to meet you, Pinocchio. And then Riker's like, that was a joke, by the way. And then you see, they're going to get along great. Uh, like you just get the sense, okay, they, they get each other now. Uh, then Wesley comes in. He's so excited. Uh, wait, they talk about the woodland. Oh, there's an ad. Then they talk about the woodland and how simulation actually is real because of the replicators. That was interesting, too. I do, you know, at some point we'll get back to that. Uh, Wesley shows up. Wesley's so excited he falls in the river. Data rescues him. Uh, Picard doesn't like, you know, a wet Wesley. He says, what the heck? Then Wesley's with Mom. He's all jazzed, but he really wants to see the bridge. And his mom's like, well, that's against his standing orders. Wesley says, what are you afraid of the captain like everybody else? The captain's kind of not so nice. And Dr. Crusher says, well, your father liked him. Great explorers are often lonely. No chance to have a family. And then Wesley goes, come on, Mom, I'll stay in the elevator. Just let me look at the bridge. Asking for trouble. Then we see a Farpoint model. Maybe that was a shot of it. And the crew... Uh, Riker sends Troy, oh, Riker's like, Troy, Tasha, Jordy, are you gonna, you're going to go below the station and check the passages underneath it. Uh, me and Data are going to roll in another way. And, uh, they start doing readings like this stuff is off the charts. And then Troy t- tunes in, Counselor Troy, she detects a lot of, uh, uh, pain. And then they beam down. And Riker says, what in the hell kind of place is this? And uh, uh, Jordy says, this is like no place I've ever seen. Uh, so they go, let's go deeper. I think there's an ad break here. I can't read my handwriting. And then we see the Enterprise. And we get another what the hell as uh, Riker sees uh, Dr. Crusher and Wesley standing, and he says, no children on the bridge. And Crusher says, permission to report to the captain. And they say, well, geez, uh, he's not on the bridge. He's just looking. She goes, that's my son, by the way. Crusher says, or uh, Picard says, your son? Holy cow. Les, he goes, come on over. Because I knew your, uh, your dad. He goes, you can look around, but don't touch anything. 
And then we see Wesley's a bit of a prodigy, you know, he knows everything about the ship and how to work everything already, how things work, multispectral imaging. And then they say, that's when Picard says, how the heck do you know that? And then Wesley says, perimeter alert, Uh, he's like touching stuff. And then Picard says, off the bridge. And then Worf says, sir, you got a, a perimeter alert, a little bit of comedy. Also, Picard was really humbled and kind. He when he meets Wesley, cleared his throat. He said, "I knew, I knew your father, Wesley." Uh, Wesley is total maze balls. Uh, there's even like a Picard. There's like this VR moment. It's like POV because Picard says to us, to the camera, "Hey, sit in the chair." Uh, then they get off the bridge, and Worf says, You have a perimeter alert, son. And Crusher says, As my to- son told you. Then they say, Inbound and vessel, like actual UFO, unidentified vessels coming in. It's covered in purple light. They go to add. And then you, you, Captain, they're on the bridge. Uh, they say, Give me Grappler Zorn. He goes, Grappler, who the heck's coming here? Frankie or what? Uh, and he grabs and says, nobody. That was, I made that up. There was no Ferengi. I was lying. And the ship, they say, I think Jordy says that this just ships 12 times their volume. So it's a massive, massive ship. And they shoot a purple beam onto the Enterprise. The sense, uh, uh, and they say, geez, I think the sense was, I think we just got scanned. Uh, next thing you know, we're below the planet, close to an answer. Uh, someone does not want us in touch with our ship because they can't get a hold of their ship, obviously. Uh, then we're back on the bridge. The computer's got no record of a ship like this, and our sensors are bouncing off of it. Uh, then the ship starts sending purple beams down to the old western town. And the crew on the planet, they're trying to get out, but then the, you know the purple beams are coming. Uh, Troy is like, the Riker's like, we'll split up. Me and Data will go to the dangerous spot. You get back to the ship. But Troy's worried about Riker's safety. He says, hey, follow orders. Uh, then we got Grappler Zorn's freaking out. He says, tune that down. What does that mean? Tune that down in my notes here. I don't know. But then Picard says, go get Zorn. And he maybe he has some answers. What do you think that means? Tune that down. And then Picard and Troy talk. This is a good conversation. They talk about the Prime Directive a little bit. Because uh, Picard says, well, geez, what are we supposed to do? Uh, is it, And Troy says, uh, well, it wouldn't be violating the Prime Directive. Uh, you know, they're not allies, but we're in the midst of diplomatic discussions, so we should protect them. So Picard says, fire it up, Tasha. And she goes, phasers locked on. And then Q uh, shows up with, uh, Q shows up as the judge, Judge Q. It's hard to say. And he says, typical, you're just going to shoot that other ship with your phasers. And Kevin says, this is our, pro- you know, this is our protocol, dude, to protect my crew. I'm not about to do anything. Safety precaution. And Q says, I know what you're up to. As plain as the nose on your face, uh, you're not civilized. 
And uh, if you were, you'd be doing something about the people on the planet. And Picard says, hey, Dr. Crusher, what are you doing? She said, getting ready to go down to the planet and help people. And Picard says, what do you think about that, uh, uh, know-it-all? Uh, meaning of what is that? I don't know. I can't read my writing here. Meaning of S, uh, uh, but he says, uh, some meaning of something not trained in clear thinking. I think that's what Q was saying, that we're not trained in clear thinking. And then Picard says, I got an idea. Let's uh, block, we'll get between the ship and the planet. And then they say, well, we don't have control. Something happened with that scan. And then Data and Riker, they're in a bunch of dust. And uh, Riker says, Data, are you undamaged? And Data jumps up. He says, systems are operating. Then Grappler Zorn's under Grappler Zorn's desk crying. And Riker shows up. He says, you can drive them away. And uh, Zorn tries to explain it because Riker's like, drive who away? And Zorn's like, never mind, I don't know. And Adel goes, you do, you do, because you were in charge of all contact, bandy contact with other worlds. And Zorn's like, we didn't do anything. And Riker's like, well, I guess we'll go then. And Zorn's like, no, 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 please don't go. And then uh, Zorn just gets beamed away. And then Riker says, some sort of transporter took uh, a purple transporter. And uh, sensing satisfaction, that's what uh, Troy says about it. And then Picard yells at uh, Q. He says, this is enough, man. And he says, temper, temper. Uh, Q says this, temper, temper, mon capitan. He goes, I'm trying to uh, assist here because maybe I'll just deal with Riker. And Picard says, don't do anything. And he goes, well, he goes, what are you going to, he goes, he goes, by the way, what are you up to? And he goes, well, I'm not risking my cue. He goes, uh, we're going to go over to that ship. He goes, you should know what you'll find there. Or perhaps it's too adult and a puzzle for you. And Riker's like, Captain, I want to get over there and uh, check it out. Too adult a puzzle. Uh, I'll attempt to my, I'll attend to my duty to the bitter end. Oh, that's what Picard says. I'll attend to my duty. And Q says, to the bitter end. And uh, Picard says, I see nothing so bitter. Uh, and then there's this, I, put, I had to put WTF, double question mark, because then in the height of this, so they're about to, the bandy planets are getting hit with purple beams from this giant ship who has uh, taken over the controls of the Enterprise. And Picard says, you know what, this is a perfect time for me to apologize. For, and Q was just on board. Said, I got to go by and apologize to Dr. Crusher, uh, and uh, which is just strange. <laughs> he goes to Dr. Crusher's office, and he goes, she said, I don't want you to think I was harsh and cold-blooded. She goes, why would you think that? He goes, well, I didn't welcome you on board. And then I yelled at your kid. And he goes, but he's a sharp kid. And she goes, well, he just won a mother's heart. And he goes, you can see some awkwardness. They say, were these two involved or not? And I'm not looking up spoilers. So you think of they, yeah, I've seen moment. I've seen them share looks. Oh, yeah, and they danced in one episode. But she, she says, uh, he says, well, why'd you, you got assigned here. Couldn't you have turned it down? And she goes, do you have a problem? He goes, no, no, you're the perfect chief medical officer. 
And she goes, you got a problem? And he goes, no, I'm just worried about your feelings, doctor. You know, when you're commanding officer and you're husband and she goes, I requested this assignment. He goes, what? And she goes, I can serve on this vessel without worrying about my feelings. He says, welcome aboard. And then they shake hands. I hope we can be friends. Then we have Data, Troy, Riker, and Yar. They head over to the other ship. It's the same tunnels as below. And they're like, there's no power and no equipment on this ship, so the mystery deepens still. And Counselor Troy says, I'm detecting some hate, but only for the old bandy city. And Data said, most, he goes, most intriguing. Yeah, because it was firing at Star, not at Starpoint, but at the, old, the home of those who constructed it. And then there was like this wicked cool stoned moment, like almost like Data stoned. Because he goes to Riker, he goes, sorry, sir, I seem to be commenting on everything. I mean, this is really gold. It's hard to pinpoint uh, how, I, I don't know, it just really stuck out to me. He goes, sorry, sir, I seem to be like, uh, it was both meta humor. It's also something you like when you're wicked, wicked high. Maybe, it, uh, not that I would know, but, and kids don't do it, but they're like, wait a second, was I commenting on everything? Or like, I don't know, I just thought it was funny. And then Riker says, don't stop, man, I love it. And then uh, there's uh, nothing like any nothing like any vessel. And then uh, they see Zorn in this, like, uh, purple, purple holder, uh, like energy vortex. And then they say, that's it. Uh, and, like, uh, Troy says, there's only one alien I'm sensing, Zorn. And Zorn wants out of the ship, but... Uh, like, so Riker and Data kind of phase Zorn onto a, uh, like, out of the thing. And in the bridge, the ship starts up. Uh, Captain says, get them out of there, because they say, what is this ship going to do? Then the Q shows up. Oh, no, then Picard says, you know what, Q, get my crew back safely, and I'll do whatever you want. He goes, my people are in trouble. And Q says, whatever I say, he goes, yeah, I'll make that argument. You know, I'll make that bargain. Uh, but the away team, like, came back right around the same time. And Troy goes, oh, by the way, it wasn't Q that did that. Uh, and then Q says, you better do something. And Riker says, it wasn't. He goes, uh, he goes the ship sent us back. Uh, and Troy says, it's not a vessel, sir. It's a, it's an actual being. That ship is a being. And then Q says, you know, do it. Let's strike while the iron's hot. And they says, no, no, no way. And then Zorn says, yeah, yeah, do it. It's shooting purple stuff at my planet. And Picard says, well, why? And Q says, because, you know, don't, it's an unknown. And Q's also dressed as a Starfleet officer. And he goes, if you earned that uniform, you'd know... The unknown is what brings us out here, Q. And Q says, well, wasted effort considering the human intelligence. And then Picard says, well, let's do some deductions here. It goes, starting with those tunnels under Farpoint Grappler. How come they're the same ones, Riker says, on the ship? Uh, he goes, why was the ship punishing you, Grappler? And Picard says, were you doing something to another creature? Because that ship's a creature. And Zorn's like, well, no, 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 we were helping it. Uh, and Ricard says, helping it. Uh, and then uh, Ricard says, let's beam some energy down to Farpoint. I think it's a creature. 
And and they say, oh, and Riker says, Captain, he goes, oh, wow, it's a creature that can convert energy into matter, which we kind of saw with the forest uh, in the holodeck. That's how the data explains it to Riker. Oh, this converts energy into matter. And Picard says, yeah, specific matter, just like our transporters do. And it becomes like these space jellyfish or uh, like like in a little bit. Uh, I mean, this was the 80s, so one's blue and one's uh, pink. And Picard says, you know, geez, you caught one. And they love each other. They're a pair, and Troy says, yeah, there's a pair of creatures, one in grief and one with anger at the loss of love. And, you know, just trying to get their mate back. And so uh, Q says, oh, it was too simple a puzzle. Generosity is always our weakness. And then they say, Grappler Zorn, there will soon be no Farpoint Station. And then so Farpoint turns into another jellyfish. I guess I got ahead of myself. Let's see what else. Caption me, Troy and Riker. Oh, Troy and Riker share a look when it says you've captured its mate. It's saying, well, it used to be my mate. And they energize the station. The creature takes off. It's brilliantly blue. And then they hold hands. They have, like, feathered tentacles. And they say, hey, let's fly off together. Uh, this is great. And they, they close it out. They say, oh, you must have been using the creature. You know, you say, well, if you make this space station for us, we'll, uh, and uh, Zorn says, yep. And then Troy says, I feel feelings of joy and gratitude from both of them. And then Picard goes, cute, why, why do you use life forms for fun? You know, who do you think you are? And he goes, well, I'm the best at providing fun. And, t- and then Picard says, get out of here, man. Refresh your test. And Q says, temper, temper, mon capitan. And this is really good when you think about, you know, human interactions. Because Picard says, get off my ship. And Q is kind of superior. He says, oh, yeah, only because I want to leave, though, not because you told me. Uh, but maybe, maybe I'll be back. And uh, then I think it just goes to captain's log. Uh, it's the agreement for rebuilding uh, our fire points been set up. And then we have this, like, uh, whatever you call that, post thing on the bridge. Regards says all stations and data says ready for repart- repart- departure. And Regards says, what do you think, Riker? He goes, well, I hope this isn't how our usual missions will go, sir. And Picard says, oh, no, number one. It'll be much more interesting. Let's see what's out there. Engage. And with that, the Enterprise sailed into its second round of history. As you sail away on the bed sheets of the night. Good night. All right, so before we run through the whole episode, I wanted to stop and talk about this amazing scene and moment. I mean, there's a lot of good moments in this episode, the big goodbye and really, like, uh, unexpected wonder. When I started watching this, I said, oh, this is going to be very this. And this episode defied all my expectations. Uh, But in particular, there was just this unbelievable moment. It was at around 41.09. And it won't really make sense, so this won't be so much of a spoiler. Maybe it will be, but I don't think so. Plus, this is from, like, 1989, so... 
but it's at the very end of the episode and says so much about Jean-Luc Picard in, in a good way. Uh, but Picard and this cop that he's kind of friends with, uh, it'll make more sense when we're talking about the episode, or in uh, Dix's office, T-I-X, and they're saying goodbye because Picard's going back to the Enterprise, and the the cop, spoiler, it is just a simulation, or maybe not a simulation. I guess this will be this will be stuff for an interesting podcast to discuss. Uh, but Picard puts on his jacket and his hat as he gets ready to return to the Enterprise, and his cop friend's standing there looking out the window, and John Luke says, "Geez, I wish I could take you with me." Uh, you know, back to the Enterprise, you know, because almost like they've struck up this friendship. And he kind of says, well, I got to, you know, book this guy. Once a cop, always a cop. He's trying to put on a brave face. Uh, but really, these characters, uh, their interaction with the Enterprise is kind of like for some of them, even more so, uh, unhinged their grasp of what reality is. And I guess they won't really remember it, which says that's what to me was so striking about what Picard does here is that, uh, I don't know, I really, and I'm not trying to be a fanboy, I guess, because I'm not, I, I, like now I hold the utmost respect for Picard uh, because his makeup here. So he puts on his jacket and his hat and he says, geez, I wish I could take you uh, with me. And the character, there's sad music playing, uh, cops looking out the window. And then they turn face to face. They said, once a cop, always a cop. Picard says, well, yeah, I got to get going. So, and the cop looks down and says, oh, yes, this is the big goodbye, huh? And Picard's kind of speechless and they shake hands and they hold hands. And the cop takes uh, Picard's hand in both of his. And then uh, the moment comes. And you got to see the acting here because he, he says, tell me something, Dix. When you're gone, will this world still exist? I mean, holy Inception Matrix. He goes, the the police officer, with real fear on his face, this subtle uh, fear. He says, will my wife and kids uh, still be waiting for me at home? And Picard turned back and he's looking looking back at him. And he's really well laid. And there's just a split second. And in that split second, it literally, I don't know if I paused it the first time I was watching it. I don't think so. Uh, but for me, the, the moment stretched out in time because they said, what is Picard going to say? There's this real fear in this character's face. He says, geez, what happens to me when you turn the computer off, basically? And Picard, because he says, I mean, to me, I guess I'm not, I'm not, you know, I clearly if uh, they, they start up a, a Starfleet Academy, don't, you know, I won't be getting a call. Because they said, okay, is Picard going to lie? Is he going to dismiss the question? Or is he going to answer it honestly? And he really has nothing to lose except for what what makes him Jean-Luc Picard by lying or not answering or telling the guy what he wants to hear. I guess there's two kind of lies, you know, he could tell him. But instead, he he gives him the real truth. He says, uh, because he says, so the guy says, geez, what's going to happen to me? 
Amplic cards could say, oh, you're going to be fine, or, oh, yes, this simulation goes on forever, just like it was real. Don't worry one bit. And then, boom, he shuts it off or whatever. Uh, but he has this look on his face, and he says, honestly, I don't know. And he has this unsure, pained look on his Oh, man, I'm looking at it right now. And they cut kind of back and forth, and they both, the character looks down with pain on his face. A fear of the unknown, I guess. And Picard says, goodbye, my friend. And the character, uh, whose name, of course, I can't remember. He can't even speak back. And then Picard walks off and the the lights go out and the doors close. And then we might as well go right into the conclusion. Then Picard, in a raincoat, uh, a suit, uh, in a hat, he comes out of the ship. And they're waiting for him to broadcast this message. He loosens his tie, puts his hands on his hips. He's got suspenders, and he does this perfect uh, uh, Yaradan uh, greeting. And, and I guess we'll talk about it because there's a couple more interesting things. But that that was just the moment for me. That, that just, just uh, I don't know. It was a great, great moment. Uh, but let's go to the top of the episode. This is called uh, The Big Goodbye. I, I didn't write down which episode it was. Uh, but it's from season one, like in the seven, eight, nine episode range. And this open the Enterprise pulls into the screen and it says, uh, Captain's personal log. I think it's not. I think it's first officer's log because the episode's playing in the background. Wait a second. Dixon Hill's office. Oh, you know what? I'm in the wrong spot of my notes. That's why. Oh, boy. Okay, it was only one page back. It opens with Riker, exclamation point, very purple clouds, first officer's log. We're about to make a brief contact with the Dorada, a reclusive insect-like race known for its idiosyncratic attitude towards protocol. The Dorada demand a precise greeting from Picard, and their language is most unusual. The slightest mispronunciation is regarded as an insult. And then it zooms into Riker's brow, and then right after it gets into Riker's brow, it cuts to Counselor Troy training Picard on the Urardian grammar. And it says, well, it is an insect mind, sir, you know, because Picard's like, I don't get it. You know, this is very overwhelming, trying to learn this grammar and be perfect. And she says, you know what, you, you should take a break, Captain. You need a diversion. And she says, we just up- upgraded the uh, the holiday. Kevin, you've been looking forward to checking that out. And Picard says, Dixon Hill. And she says, it's all ready. And then so he, he goes up to the holodeck. He says, uh, load up Dixon Hill, San Francisco, California, 1941. Uh, Dixon Hill, P.I. And then we get a captain's personal log, uh, and he steps into this dingy office. There's great sound design here. There's typewriters and there's phones ringing, even though it's late at night, I guess. And uh, his secretary's leaving. She says, very funny, Dix. Uh, you see, because he looks like he's dressed up as a bellboy. And Picard, who's totally on the spot, he, he's so genuine sometimes. that He says, oh, boy, yeah, totally inappropriate. I should have changed. Uh, but, who, but we have this, like, noir Chinatown thing going, Philip Marlowe-esque. 
And the secretary's like, there's a woman in your office. She goes, there's a joke about it. She says, nice legs. And Picard says, what do you mean? She goes, no, no, her legs. And Picard goes into his office, and the woman has a lot of stoles on her, whatever, those fur things. Those have fallen out of fashion. And she says, uh, I need your help, Mr. Hill. And what does this say? E-M-A-E-A-E. I don't know what that means. Mr. Hill, Eme, it's is out. Oh, maybe she says uh, someone's, uh, I don't know. She, but she needs his help. Then it goes to, uh, it, like, it, Picard's like, oh, you need my help. Then the episode opens, uh, the big goodbye. Then the Enterprise pulls into the screen. And it's Captain's personal log. Geez, I'm delighted how this good this holodeck is. A fictional world of Dixon Hill, 20th century detective, hero of mine since childhood. Flawless illusion. Uh, the characters I meet are generated by the computer, of course, but they feel real and they seem real in every way. And then we go back to, 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 to take, you know, this noir, noir scene. He, Picard's thinking. He's got his hand to his, hand to his, like his thumb to his mouth. His client's talking, and she's like, I don't know who's out to get me. He goes, a lover, perhaps? And she says, or Cyrus or Redblock. Maybe I'll just tell you. And then she says, name your fee. And Picard says, $20 a day plus expenses. And she goes, yeah, how's 100 cover for now? And then she kisses him on the lips, a very red lipstick gets on him. And then they cue the music as she walks out. And then Picard stays there a second to enjoy, like, the, the scenery and the desk. He looks out the windows, and there's sound design out the windows. And he says, the computer exits. And he collapses and rubs his hands together. Then there's a knock-knock, and he says, hey, you'll have to come back. Some guy's like, Mr. Hill, I get to see you. Uh, this was funny. He goes, I'm not dressed. I'm in my office, but I'm not dressed properly. And then Picard's out, but then the guy just walks into his office. And then Picard, side gone. I don't know what that says. Picard sees the game. But he struts back uh, into the ship. Uh, he's got a face full of makeup. This was a good thing. This is a great scene. It's in 903. I guess the observation lounge. I don't know. That's where they have their crew meetings. I don't have a... A good hold on what's on the ship yet, but uh, 903, Picard's like all excited, just like a kid, so genuine. He said, this holodeck is awesome. And he goes, there's even automobiles. You got to see this. This is 903. Worf says, automobiles? Like, it, it, I fell out of my chair laughing. It's worth it. If you're down, just go to 903 and watch him. Worf say, automobiles? He doesn't say it like that. And Data explains, you know, what it is. Uh, what does this say? Wesley. Oh, Wesley's cracking up even. Like, like Picard's so happy that even Wesley makes it Wesley happy. Oh, and then Data also says, oh, this also cracks up Wesley. So Data says, well, there's a transportation, ancient Earth device for transportation, also virility, also teenage mating rituals go on there. And Wesley says, teenage mating rituals? Uh, then Picard says, hey, Dr. Crusher, would you like to uh, uh, come with me? And she's pleased. But then he's, she's crestfallen after that because he says, and get that. The, I didn't even know this. I put rando ship historian. 
goes, get that historian to come with us, too. And he goes, Data, get on that. And Data says, should I tell him? He goes, no, 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 invite him. Uh, then Dr. Crusher's look of frustration uh, was funny. Oh, then he talks about getting kissed, and Dr. Crusher's like, really, really? And then any, then Picard's like, anyway, on to the briefing, you know, when they talk about the Jardin being so easily irritated, and Data wants Picard to watch a video of the last time they met the Jardarians, but everyone's like, why? Picard's like, no, no, I don't want to see that. Uh, then we have Data and Geordi talking about Dixon Hill. Uh, Data's like, I find this character puzzling, and LaForge says, it's just like Sherlock Holmes, but in the 20th century. And Data says, but it was his modus operandi not dissimilar? Worth investigating. And Jordy says, indubitably, my dear Data, indubitably. Very funny, uh, cute, cute, cutesy funny, but in a good way. Let's see, I lost my spot here. Medi, indubitably. Uh, then Data gets a complete text of Dixon Hill novels and memorizes it. Moves his head. I notice he moves his head while he reads. I bet you he would get longer wear. Maybe not. Maybe if he moves his eyes. I don't know what would you know where he gets maximum wear. It seemed like it'd be more mechanical wear moving his head, but maybe not. Then we have Ricard and Whalen. I think is the historian. He says, "Are you ready?" He goes, "Oh, more than ready, sir." And then this just gets funnier. Data rolls up, like, tro- totally in character, versed in, like, street lingo, like a t- total period piece. And then they walk onto the set. Uh, I think there's an ad there. Uh, the streets wet. I always wonder, like, at night on movies or TV sets and maybe even movie sets, the streets are always wet. And they walk out on the street. There's this cool portal effect where the door from the holodeck's still there, and then it disappears. But again, really uh, advanced. For I mean, I mean, in my opinion, it looked great. And they look at some cars, and then they go, they go up to the newsstand, and the guy says, "Hey, Dick's house tricks," and uh, so cute. And then he, he this was oh, this was, was Picard. He goes. Uh, say, Mac, I would like to buy a newspaper, but I don't have any money. And the guy says, don't worry about it. And then they're reading about World War II and Joe, Joe DiMaggio. And I said, the guys started talking about it. So I kind of felt like I didn't know if that was a rule. I mean, this is very Westworld, too. Uh, but they start breaking the illusion and uh, what does it say? Seize the chicken is gone. Seize the care. Uh, but they also mentioned that data is from South America. Data sees the care. Picard sees the character is gone. History guy is removed. I don't know what that means. Uh, something. I don't know. But they say, hey, don't worry about data. He's weird. He's from South America. Uh, Picard is fully in illusion, I said. And then the cops roll up on dicks, and they say, uh, you, you're going, what you, I can't read any of my handwriting. You're, you're going downtown, that's what they say. You're going downtown. 
and everyone's so happy, but they're like, you're placing him under arrest. Like they're just beside themselves. And he goes for what? And he goes for Jessica Bradley. We found your card. And then there's a, a dramatic music. Then we're back on the bridge, uh, status report, and the ship's getting probed. And it's like a heavy probe. It, like, rocks the ship a little bit. Then they get a subsace message from the insects. And Riker says, let me talk to them, even though I'm a subordinate officer. They don't like that. So they cut off the communications. Uh, then this, I cannot, a Jordy. Ten foreign Geordi find captain, uh, but they send Geordi to find the captain. Meanwhile, Dr. Crusher is dressed to the nines, and then she goes into the holodeck. But at first it says, enter when, it's glitching. It keeps saying, enter when ready, when ready. And then she walks into the police station, and then she kind of slipped on her heels. Like, I, I guess because I haven't watched Star Trek in uh, The Next Generation enough, but it's like Dr. Uh, Crusher a little bit clumsy. Is that like an ongoing joke? Uh, but she slips and trips, but that just makes her more likable, in my opinion, because I do that all the time. And then Data's like totally doing material. Uh, he says, hiya, Doc, what's cooking, eh? And she goes, I had trouble getting, uh, you know, getting here. Where's the Picard? And he says, he's on ice. And she says, what? He goes, he's being grilled. And she goes, like a fish? And then Waylon says, no, 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 interrogated for a crime. And then she says, what? like, but he's so happy. And she goes, why aren't we all being interrogated? This is really joy, like a joyous stuff, I guess. I don't know how to describe it. Like, uh. And then I lost my spot again. They're just so excited. Dr. Crusher, try, then Dr. Crusher sits next to another woman. I couldn't tell if it was his secretary or, uh, but, but she tries to copy the woman's style that she's sitting next to. And then Picard's in his interrogation. Then it cuts to Jordy, who can't get the holodeck to work. And then there's a surprise, of which I don't know what it is. I guess that he can't get it open. Why did I put surprise? Jordy can't get to Holodirk to work. A surprise. He said he can't get a hold of them at all or something. Can't open the doors, so we're toast because those insects need to talk to him. I guess the crew's reaction on the bridge was surprise. Then we go to an ad. Uh, then Riker got a log, you know, we can't get a hold of the captain. We got to talk to these friggin' insects and they want perfect grammar and, you know, total chain of command. So he says, you know, we got to get this thing fixed. And Wesley wants to help, but Riker's like, no way, stay on the bridge. And then Troy said, well, he's missing his mother, you know, so we'll let him help. Uh, then we're in the interrogation, but Picard seems to be getting bored and then we're outside in the police station, and Dr. Crusher's putting on makeup, and uh, there's, like, this total dirtbag watching her from behind, like, making noises, like, very, very old-school uh, dirtbag material. And she says, is there something on your mind? He goes, oh, yeah, but I'm, I can't be shared in mixed company. He goes, you're a hepa-looking broad. And she goes, <laughs> She goes, is that good? And then he says, it's not bad. And he goes, you like Tommy Dorsey? I got two tickets for the dance. And actually, he hands her gum at some point, and she eats the gum. 
and, you know, almost gets sick. So, like, she gulps it down. So that was great. Uh, then we have Riker is really mad. He's yelling at the holodeck, kind of, uh, while Wesley's trying to get it to work. Millihunt by millimeter. Oh, he, Wesley's going to look millimeter by millimeter uh, for them. Oh, Riker, I don't think he, Riker just yells down to the holodeck. He goes, Riker to holodeck, Riker to holodeck. Uh, he says, get this done, you know, come on. Uh, then the other cop at the interrogation vouches for Dix. He says, let, let, uh, let, 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 let's release him. If he leaves, and then Picard says, if I leave town, town leaves with me, so you don't got to worry about it. And then Picard tries to smoke a cigarette. Uh, and then the other cop says, "Why, Dix, why don't you come over for dinner sometime with me and the wife and the kids? And uh, then as Picard exits the back room of the station, the history dude is just standing there looking at light fixtures, uh, which was awesome, and uh, really examining them. And Data's looking in the mirror. He's still practicing material. This is just really, I had no idea how good Star Trek The Next Generation is. This is really, there's so many little gems in here. And then you get the, the underlying uh, sensual tension because Picard runs into Dr. Crusher and both of them are breathless. They make lots of eye contact. And uh, she says, having a good time? He goes, I don't know. Almost seems too real. And he goes, you wear it well. I'm glad you can make it. And, you know, then they get into role play. Yeah, clearly, without a doubt, role play. And she says, why, thank you, Mr. Hill. And Picard says, well, maybe we should get back to the ship. And she goes, we're on the ship, of course. And he goes, so we are. And she goes, do we have time to see your office? And he goes, yeah, oh, yeah. do we have time? We've got about four minutes, uh, yeah, you know. And they both are like, uh, they have hot chests, you know. And then, uh, what's his name? This is the history guy says, hey, can I come along? And then Data says, yeah, me too, boss. I'd love to have a gander. And they both roll their eyes like Picard. And it was just, it was just perfect. I, I was like, holy cow, this show's funny. Well, Crusher rolls her eyes, but Picard does like a what? K look? And then they get to the office and Mr. Leach is there. He kind of gets the drop on them. Uh, then we go back to Riker interacting with Jordy and Wes working on fixing stuff. And then we go back to like Leech and who says, you know, you're not going anywhere. Uh, we're going to hang out here and have some fun. And he, everyone is laughing. They're like, what are you kidding me? Like, he's like, you know, like it's, they, they felt like they were in a movie. Like, Leech, this character's like, you're all in big trouble. And they're like, oh, no, we're all in big trouble. Oh, dear. And then the history guy really starts uh, hamming it up. Did I put, oh, Holy Westworld, I put. And then Leech, you know, Leech, they, Leech had a, what do you call it, a squirt, like a squirter. And he squirts uh, Waylon. And Waylon says, my shirt actually got wet. I'm going to catch a chill. I got to stay warm. And then they said, the holodeck is, uh, so he gets a, a, a little bit of the chill. So he's to lie down and they try to get blankets on him. And he says, I thought it wasn't real. And then it cuts to a commercial. 
then Picard gets a drop on the leech and he says, hey, get out of here. You, you know, you sprayed my friend with water. And Leach goes, well, I see what Mr. Red Black has to say about that. I'm not, you know. Oh, and they're also looking for like a, a MacGuffin or whatever, like a Maltese Falcon type thing. Leach and then Red Black. They say, where is it? Uh, but then they're like, we got to get this guy a dry shirt. And they, and they say exit and there's no exits. And then we cut to the bridge and the ship's getting close to the insect meeting place. They're in a standing orbit, and uh, Riker's like, dude, we're running out of time. And then they go back to the office, and they're still looking for an exit, and even because it's a suggestion, and Data says, sir, I'm at a loss. And then Data learns about light cards. What does that mean? Oh, light cords. Data goes, he says, get some light over here. Maybe we could dry, you know, use the incandescence to dry his shirt. And Data pulls, Data doesn't realize the lights have to be plugged in. I mean, that's a good simulation, too, you know, that the light unplugs. And uh, then Leach shows up with Cyrus Redblock, who's played by... Uh, the great Lawrence Tierney, uh, who, who you've probably seen, you know, in a lot of great movies, he plays a tough guy, and he plays a tough guy in this one, Cyrus Redblock. And this is when things really get interesting. Uh, you know, like we flash back, Riker's trying to get, you know, control of the ship, and uh, like, uh, the, you know, Jordy and Wesley are still working really hard, and Jordy's trying to be patient. Uh, but what was weird is that Cyrus Redblack supposedly may or may not know Dixon Hill, but he introduces himself. He says, good day, Mr. Hill. I'm Mr. Cyrus Redblock. And uh, he, see, he starts making a speech. He goes, life is an endless stream of choices. Unfortunately, you've chosen to make mine more difficult. And he says, do you, do you have the hidden thing here? And Picard says, No. And he says, well, uh, we're going to look around if you don't mind. And Crusher says, you, why are you asking if you're just going to do it? And Red Black says, good manners, ma'am, are never a waste of time. Civility, always civility. And uh, then uh, he says, uh, uh, Leach says, oh, Picard was picking on me. And Red Black says, for every action, there is an equal and opposite uh, Reaction, a Newtonian truism you've obviously neglected. And I don't know if that was a hidden thing in there. I didn't, I didn't think about it till just now. Uh, then the other cop shows up and uh, he's got a bottle of uh, scotch to drink with dicks. And uh, he says, geez, I guess you forgot to throw out the trash. And Red Black says, I don't tolerate disrespect. And Data goes, your devotion to etiquette is highly admirable, sir. However, your methods leave much to be de desired. Let me just check here. Tolerable. Yeah, and then uh, uh, things get really weird at first because he says, what do we have here? They go, you look terrible. They're talking to Data. And Red Black says, where are you from? And Leech says, where, where were you hatched? And Data says, I was created on a planet. And Picard says, Data. And he goes, South America. I'm from South America. And Red Black says, I've been all over the world. I've never seen anything like you. And Picard breaks the wall. He goes for full inception. He says, we're not from this world. None of us are. 
We're from a world of fabulous riches, a world where there's objects far greater than the one you seek. And this is like, it is a bit like Inception in a different way, because then Leech starts to get really nervous. It really wears on the computer, I think, knowing it's fake or manufactured. He says, you're a PI. You've never mentioned this before. And the cop says, I'm not buying it either, Dix. This is weak stuff. And Picard says, I just look like Dixon Hill. I'm not uh, Dixon Hill. And then Data says, he speaks the truth, sir. From your point of view, he's only a facsimile, a cheap imitation. Uh, Data tries to get captains back, uh, but r- roasts, roasts? I don't know what that means. Uh, but the captain says, thank you, Data. Oh, he goes, sorry, sir. And Reblock goes, what a wonderful fiction, quite entertaining. I admire your skill at ab- trying to obfuscate obs- our reality. I think that's what he said, obfuscate or something. And Data says, it is you who are not real, sir. And I don't know if it's Picard or Crusher. I think it was Crusher. He goes, Data? It's just mean. You can't call somebody uh, not real. And then Leech, really, he doesn't like, I, I don't like this. uh because Data says, your imaginary characters derived from world fiction. You're not even a real imaginary character. You're a derivative fictional character. And the cop's like, this, they're not going to fall for your lies. And Data goes, I'm afraid you're not even real, uh, officer. And Leech goes, you're making me crazy. He goes, Red Black, you got to make him stop. And Red Black goes, this is interesting to me. He's even a smart program. He goes, let's test this theory out. And he goes, you know, but we're not going to do anything immoral. We're going to do stuff with a purpose here, uh, and a purpose that's ingenious. And Leach says, well, what's our purpose, Mr. Redblack? He goes, we're on a quest for knowledge, Mr. Leach. We want the item. And they go back and forth, and Picard finally says, well, I have the item hidden here. And uh, Redblack says, well, I knew it. Uh, he goes, man, you're what a character you are. Until the last moment, testing my resolve. All right, where is it? And Ricard says, well, you got to do something for me if you want me to give it to you. And he goes, uh, make your thoughts fruitful and your words eloquent because I don't have time to waste. And Ricard says, uh, okay, I, I, there's, here's my price. He goes, oh, I'm a new you're a man of my stripe. And he goes, you got to get this guy a dry shirt. Go on to the Enterprise and get this guy a dry shirt. Uh, preferably, you know, unif- get his uniform back, a historian uniform. And then it cuts to the bridge, and Troy and Riker, are tra- they're like, man, we're running we're running out of time here. This is not good. And uh, the, Riker says, call the insects. And they just make this insect call. And then they call Wesley, and they're like, Wesley needs a couple more hours. You know, it's a bi-converter. And Riker says, forget the explanations. Can you do it? He goes, well, if I do it wrong, you know, it it could be bad. Uh, But then it was weird because he says, Riker says, well, how much time do you need, actually? And then he goes, no, no. He goes, whether I do it now or later, it's the same risk. And Riker says, do it. And then we go back to the uh, San Francisco uh, risks to be damned. Did Riker say that, or is that just what I heard? If we can. A computer, I didn't know that. So, oh, okay. Uh, then we start jumping back and forth. Like, uh, 
Uh, first, oh, the first there's a thing with uh, Red Black who says, uh, what, what, he goes, we got to fix the computer, Picard says, and Red Black says, computer, I don't know that word. And Data says, an electrical or mechanical apparatus capable of carrying out repetitious or complex mathematical operations at high speeds. And Leach is like, you got to stop talking about this. And then Wesley's working. And then suddenly all the characters in the office are in a snowstorm. Then the exit appears, and Picard says, that's the way to our world. And Red Black says, remarkable. Is this a two-way passage? Can one enter your world and return to this one by stepping through? And Picard says, oh, yeah, if you let us get Mr. Whalen a shirt, you know, we'll bring, I'll go get the item and bring it back to you. And Red Black, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to stay here. I'm going through the door. And Data says, no, no, you can't go through there. It's not possible. And Red Black looks at Data. He says, one look at you is proof anything is possible. And he goes, take a step back, Hill. And then he says, you know, keep all these guys. And then Red, Red Black goes, come on, Mr. Leach. Au revoir, uh, mon ami. Our destiny awaits. And then him and Red, Red Leach step through. And he says, a whole new world to plunder. And then they they just dissipate. He goes, you can't do this to me. I'm Cyrus Redblock. And then they, you know, their computers, they vanish. Or, I mean, they're not, I think they were constructs from the, uh, they kind of explain it. I don't know if it's this episode or another one. Uh, that materially, I think they're real. I, I don't quite get it. I mean, I'm sure I'll watch enough Star Trek over the next year or two. I'll get it soon enough. Uh, but Data saves the day. He does this cool move, and then he gets Waylon and carries him off to get his shirt. And uh, Crusher returns to the ship with Data and uh, Waylon. And then Picard and the cop, we have that scene with the looking out the window and the sad music from the top, where they say, okay, this is the big goodbye. And he says, tell me something, you know, is this world still going to be here? And he says, I don't know. And then the lights go out. And the captain steps onto the bridge, taking off his jacket. He says, I'm ready, number, ready. Oh, he says, ready, sir. And Picard says, ready as I'll ever be. And he loosens his tie. And he says, open hailing frequencies. And then he does a, he does it perfect in uh, their language. And they say, you've honored us, as Jardarians say, you've honored us with your words of greeting. A new day dawns between us. Yeah, he drops it, uh, Jardarian language, perfectly, nails it. There's applause on the bridge. And then Data even takes his spot. Data's still in his full outfit. And, you know, Data, they still have to do a little uh, vacation because the Riker says, so how was your trip, Captain? You know, you dress like uh, totally uh, wild. And he says... Uh, it's a nice place to visit, number one, but, you know, I wouldn't want to, you know, spend the end of my life there. Uh, but even Picard's mannerism and saying it and then kind of Troy going along and just rewatching it's really good. And then LaForge, Jordy kind of says, hey, Data, how was it? And Data starts doing material. He goes, it was raining by the, in the city by the bay. A hard enough rain to wash away, and Picard says, Data. And uh, Data says, sorry, sir, I got, you know, I'm glitching over here. And then Picard says, Lieutenant, take us out of orbit. And Jordy says, aye, sir. And Picard says, and Mr. LaForge? He goes, yes, sir. He goes, step on it. Picard, he does it, he closes it out a little. 
uh, with a little humor, and that was how the episode came to a close. Right, everybody, so tonight's quote, I don't know if this will be a new thing, but I think there's always like a little quote. Uh, I don't know. The, this quote, the quote of this episode is from Counselor Troy, who says, Sharing an orbit with God is no small experience. And, uh, you know, there's so many different ways to wrap your head around that one. Quote of the night, sharing an orbit with God is no small experience. Uh, thank you, Counselor Troy. All right, folks. So this episode, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 7, Justice. And it kept, the suggestion came in from Jonathan Mann. So I think I'll probably record an extra segment on the top here before that. And I haven't listened to last week's episode yet. but uh, So I don't know if I did this last week or this is the first time. But so, like, as I said, this, this Star Trek Next Generation thing is probably going to evolve over the next, uh, like, I don't know how many episodes. Uh, but with Justice, what I decided to do is watch it. So I watched it once, like, actually happened to watch it, like, a few months ago. Uh, then I watched it again on mute in three 15-minute segments so I could maintain my focus, even though it was on mute. Uh, then I watched it a third time with the dialogue on. And then, you know, in the second half of this, I'll have it playing while we do the dialogue run-through. Uh, but let's run through this first, uh, like, interpretation here. It looks like season one, episode seven, it looks like in my handwriting it says juices, but it's justice. It didn't put a T in justice. And then I spelled planet wrong. Earth-like plant, P-L-A-N-T-E. Uh, Picard's arms are crossed and uh, over, wow, this is a tough one. Over the, oh, over the shoulder of Picard and... So there's like an over-shoulder shot of Picard and the planet, or P-L-A, this is my handwriting, it says P-L, P-L, squiggly line that could be L-A, D-R. But since I spelled planet wrong, I'm going to guess it's planet. And then Troy is in, uh, oh, I said, what's up with her red gem hair thing? Is that like part of being a betazoid or, or not? And is that, I think, I don't know if that's just a season one thing. It looks good. Everyone's on deck. Uh, Dr. Crusher's arms are crossed. <laughs> what does this say? Baller's seeds? Oh, pleather seats. It looked like baller's seeds. Like, I said, what is that? Like, uh, I don't want to think about that too long. What are baller's seeds? But, uh. Uh, leather seats. And I think maybe I meant to put pleather seats. Oh, no, then I said or pleather. The backs look like pleather. Uh, man, my handwriting's really off here. Riker, clean, oh, Riker, it looked like clean squirm, but I think it's clean shaven. Oh, also another question came up. What's the maximum number of people on the deck at, at all times? Like, is there a fire code? Well, you know, because there has to be, like, in, in a, like, a, like an alert situation, you know, you want everybody to have, you know, efficient movement. I bet you there's even, if you're on one, if you're going one way, you're close to the console. I don't know. I'd like to know these things. Uh, uh, then the opening, maybe Earth, I, I couldn't follow it fast enough. Earth, Jupiter, Star, star Saturn, Enterprise. Okay, then we're in orbit of the Earth-like planet. And then I put WTF joggers. Uh, you got to watch this episode. 
It is like straight out of the 1970s or 60s. And it's pretty awesome. I mean, again, uh, the sensibility of next generation that I'm slowly learning and dawning on is this uh, trickster, like a trickster creator. And I don't know if that's a personality thing with Roddenberry or Moore or somebody else, but uh, very, very funny. And then you see these Jaggers, and they're very perfect people, uh, like in very skimpy clothes, not diverse, very white uh, and very uh, Nordic, I would guess. Uh, But they're not humans either. They're diverse in age. After you watch it three times, you start to notice these things. Uh, Worf is very defensive. I put Holy Disco Duck. And then the primary female character from the planet, I couldn't tell if she was wearing a wig or not. Her hair was very curly. Then they put very airy in there. Uh, Tasha is very warm when they're meeting because they're all giving hugs. Worf smells the woman's hair. Yeah, Wesley's wearing the sweater, and I, I didn't even mean this. I, maybe I did mean it as a double entendre, but I put Wesley hot in his sweater, question mark. But I don't, I, like, I was honestly thinking that, too. I'm like, doesn't Wesley get hot in that sweater? And there's lots of shared awkward looks. Guys, X, oh, he has, like, a, the guys have this, like, they have, like, a. there's different outfits. I don't think I quantified all of them. The guy's X of cloth looks like Burning Man. Oh, like it looked like the shape of the Burning Man uh, statue when you see it on uh, pictures. Because uh, the guys, they have like, and now I can't even remember. Maybe I'll just talk about that when it, like, I'll describe the episodes in the next run through. And I said, oh, this place is like some sort of space rehab. There's this big giant building. I was also wondering where they filmed this. It looked like a big like municipal like Civic Center or something, like that might have been built in this, like during the like exurb period, or the suburb period where it was like built outside the city center somewhere, and it has these landscaped grounds. I mean, Marin Civic Center is very different than this one, but it kind of reminded me of that, like structurally, not uh, design wise. And if you never Googled Marin Civic Center, you know, do yourself a favor. Holy moly! I went to the bathroom there once. I just drove there. I was, I was up there for work. This was like 20 years ago. Maybe not that long ago, but. And I drove there, looked around, went to the bathroom and left. It was great. Oh, and then everyone just jogs off, uh, like some space rehab. I said that. Where'd they film this? Uh, Wesley meets some other kids. People are playing lyres and harps, and there's some strange interpretive dance going on. Tiny cocktails are being drank, like champagne. Uh, full public oil massages. And the kind of characters lead the uh, uh, crew of the Enterprise away on their, by their hands. Which is always like an enticing, you know, at least uh, it, it does stir this feeling of uh, seduction, you know, uh, being led away by your hand. Uh, Data's on the bridge with Geordi and Picard. Uh, they're turning away from the ship uh, for the planet to see something. The alarms go off, and there's like this half-visible ship or structure. Everyone's perplexed. Jordy looks at it uh, from the lounge. It's some kind of Pepper's Ghost effect. Uh, then a light bubble floats out. It goes onto the Enterprise, up onto the bridge. What? Right up to Picard. And it makes a loud noise that kind of shakes the ship and talks to Picard. 
Uh, then it shakes the ship some more. Uh, Picard seems to make some long speech at the bubble, like a little soap bubble, the theme of this night. And then it faces off with Data, who's like mesmerized by it or something, and then it just fuses to Data's forehead, which was, you know, just a bubble on the forehead. And at some point, Data just lies down and says, okay, let's just fuse here. Then we're back on the jogging planet. The kids are walking on their hands, and Wesley's kind of showing off. And then I wasn't sure if the kids were more advanced uh, in their development than Wesley or, like, uh, their practices. Because uh, Wesley kind of says, no, I'm not ready for that, but I am ready to teach uh, baseball. Uh, Riker's walking around. He's kind of taking it all in, and it's just, like, a very... Um, loving free love planet i guess and there's like people kissing everywhere making out and now they're not kissing and tasha like uh i mean for the time being one of my favorite characters because she's just she's she, i don't know there's just something about her but she's kicking it in the in the background and she's just having a drink with these two people and then another group of people are playing this game with silver balls and there's you know lots of free love as i said Riker loves it. He's cracking up. He finds everything amusing. And maybe that's like something that works about the show. I haven't watched enough of Next Generation, and I haven't done any reading because I'm paranoid about listening to other podcasts or reading about Star Trek Next Generation. So I have my apologies to any you know people that actually know stuff because I don't. I mean, my ignorance is... Uh, it just I, I, I fear that it'll complicate the podcast, you know, or mess me up. but. Like, how much does Riker's amusement give the audience permission to be amused? You know, so it's like, okay, Riker's laughing. We can laugh, too. We don't, we, like, it helps to give us, like, an emotional anchor, maybe. And I don't know if Deanna Troy is another part of that. And then, uh, anyway, not important in this second. Uh, but then Riker's laughing. Worf doesn't like it. You know, Worf's but is so serious. And then Riker tries to check in with the Enterprise, but it's no dice. Uh, so then Troy and Worf are kind of worried about that. Then Tosh is kicking it, and then Worf goes over. He's not happy. I didn't know if he shamed her because she wasn't. She was just like enjoying herself in the company of these two people, like in just the art of conversation. And they were uh, drinking red cocktails. And whatever the aliens told about, uh, whatever. Whatever they're talking about makes Tosh and Worf wonder, double question mark, and what? And then they get up and it confuses the aliens. I don't know what this says, A-N-O, an ad, and then there's an ad break, and then uh, Wesley and the kids are playing in a very manicured park. And this was ridiculous. I mean, this part was, like, uh, ridiculous. Wesley crashes into this small greenhouse. It was like... Uh, it was just, I mean, it didn't take away from the episode. It was just ridiculous how uh, unlikely the, the crash was. Uh, but security shows up, and they're also half-naked and jogging. And uh, it must have a lot of assault, like, like a lot of non, you know, de-chafing things on this planet. Uh, Riker, or maybe they just build up a resistance. Probably that, I guess, uh, and then Riker and the trio show up, and they, how much for the flowers? Oh, yeah, Riker's like, how much do we owe you for these flowers? 
And then Worf and Tasha show up. They're like, hey, don't break any flowers. They got big rules about that. And they're like, oh, too late. Uh, and security's like, sorry, Wesley, you know, you got to you gotta go to you know, jail for this, or for breaking the flowers. Uh, but the Enterprise crew's like, no, no, no way. This was an accident. Hey, have you ever, you haven't heard about what, we didn't tell you about Wesley. Like, he, he'd be, he crashes into flowers and stuff. He's brilliant. Uh, but there's, like, this kind of standoff. Then Riker checks out the Enterprise. Spaceship. Oh, the spaceship was like a table. Like, then we're back on the bridge looking at this weird spaceship that's, like, half visible. Uh, Dr. Crusher's something. She's, like, scanning the Data's bubble brain. And then after a minute, it lifts off and leaves, and Data's still asleep. Then we go to another commercial break. Then we're in space. Planet Picard walks into Troy. They put serious arm angles. I don't know what that means. It means their arms were at serious angles, saying this is serious business. Oh, when we're, then we're back on the planet. There's lots of side thigh. Oh, he must have talked to Troy over the radio. But yeah, like everyone talks about different side things. If you lived in a place that forbid viewing thighs, like you would love this because you say, wow, that's a lot of side thigh to see. Uh, everyone sits down and they try. Maybe Picard must. This one, Picard showed up, I guess, at the planet. Uh, combat serious. Uh, some people uh, have necklaces, some people don't. Some Van Dandy, I don't know what that is, is some V-A-N-I-C-T-Y, some van variety to their outfits. There we go, I figured it out, all very clean. And, oh, I wondered, is there commu- do they do community laundry or their own? Like, do they use oat soap on this planet or some other soap? Uh, Crusher's kind of crushed by what Data says to her, then we go to an ad. Then we're in space, both the ships. Picard, so Picard's still on the ship, I think. Maybe looking out, hands clasped, uh, thought with he's thought he's thinking and worried. Uh, data comes in. I don't know what room this is, but there's a small bar. So I said, "Is this the officers' lounge?" But then I think I looked it up as the viewing viewing lounge. Uh, data's got a theory. Then Crusher shows up. She's stoic and sad because her son's been arrested. Then we see Riker back in the planet. He's looking at trees. Uh, then Riker and Crusher beam in, and a uh, woman bows to Riker. I, don't, I, think that, I think these notes are off. Uh, returns his pin. Yeah, I missed a set of notes because I thought Riker beamed back with someone, for, or Picard beamed back from someone with the planet. Uh, Wesley comes out with security, but Tash is with them, and they kind of discuss uh, uh, Picard kind of l- l- laces down, lays down. He makes some kind of pitch to the security guys, and Wes kind of just trying to be strong, but then he kind of lets uh, gets to go to his mom. Uh, then Tasha kind of seemed to be trying to play peacemaker for everyone. And then everyone just beams up, uh, but no dice. I don't think it beamed up. The beams didn't work. And now everyone on the planet is like, uh, we're going to be in big trouble with that table up in space. So Picard yells up to the gods, and Riker kind of makes a comment, and then they get beamed up. So that's that's like uh, 
It's kind of how a lot of episodes end. You know, Picard does something, Riker makes a comment, boom, the problem solved. And this was one to check, set your uh, time codes for. We're on the bridge, 4327. You got to check this out, Justice, 4327. I think that's the Amazon time code, but I'll probably work on the Netflix. Like, I just happen to be pausing it or something at this moment. And Data's totally having this social, uh, he's sitting in the captain's chair. He's talking to Counselor Troy. And it was like social hour. Like, there was no crisis at all. It's just hilarious. Like, just happened upon it. Data's like, and then, you know, Counselor Troy's like, tell me, Data, how do you process, you know, and then he goes, oh, funny story. I mean, that's not how Data talks, but... Like, so, like that was what their body language said was happening. And that's all hands on deck, and the strange ship, build, ship build, build, building uh, disappears. Picard nods. Crusher puts her hands in her pockets, and they head off. And that was the end of the episode. All right, so here we are with the like, dialogue run-through and the live run-through. It's playing now, and it, it started, the captain's like talking about an M-class planet. I love how Picard says, unusually lovely. And uh, Riker's very excited uh, to uh, report, or what is, what is Riker excited about? Yeah, it is Earth-like beautiful, it will startle you. Oh, yeah, they walk on the bridge, and Picard is, like, grinning and clean-shaven, so happy. He looks like he just got a haircut. He's grinning ear to ear, ear to ear. And uh, double team, uh, Troy and Crusher, they both say the crew needs some lead time. Uh, uh, Oh, Riker comes on the bridge laughing, uh, full teeth. He's so smiling, so big. And he says, is it as good as you report, uh, uh, number one? And I love how uh, Picard, this is another thing I'm learning because I'm new to this. He always says, suggestions. Now, why does it say pound 17? I don't know why I put pound 17. Maybe he said suggestions, number one. Let me just check here. And, uh, so Troy and the, the Crusher they say we got to go down here. They say they're wild, like they're you know they have different beliefs. You know they're uh, very lawful but very amorous. And then Picard says, "What are the negatives?" Riker says, "Not any that we know about." Uh, and then they're having this faulty reading, which is a little bit of you know pre you know saying. Uh, and then they say, "Well, let's take a small group down there." And they say, "Why don't you take a Wesley to check out if it'll be good for young people?" It will startle you. Open things for the children. Then Tasha and LaForge, oh, they talk about no negatives, faulty reading. Seemed like a little tension between Data and Worf about the glitch in the system, but I'm not positive about that. And then Tasha's like, I'm in a hurry to get down there. Let's do this. And then, of course, there's let's hope this isn't too good to be true. And then it opens. And then, uh, what is CLS? I started trying to make notes for stuff. What is it? What would CLS stand for? Oh, Captain's Log Supplemental. Edo is the name of the planet. Uh, they call it Rubicon 3, or the people are Edo. And, uh, finally earned some well earned regulation. The people certainly are fit. 
I noticed on this one that Riker also smells the woman's hair, not just Worf. So in the earlier one, you know, Worf kind of got pegged for that. But Riker also sniffed the woman's hair. And I can imagine if you're on a ship, like, uh, you say, well, geez, that smells like uh, coconut mango. Like, uh, we don't have that on the Enterprise, you know, cocoa mango shampoo. Uh, you know, Riker asks well, Troy what she thinks. She says they have healthy sens- sensuality. And then Worf has a killer line, which I'll have to look up here. Oh, he says, nice planet. When he hugs, uh, it's just hilarious. He hugs a woman. She says, I welcome the huge one. Oh, yes. And Worf says, nice planet. It was so smooth. Like he was at a bar. I don't know. And then she meets Wesley. says, oh, you were a young one. I don't know how, what your customs are regarding love. Uh, and Wesley says, well, whatever you're into. And she says, uh, well, uh, uh, she just kind of gives what she gets. it. So she kind of gives him a basic uh, thing. And then they say, well, Jesus, do you want to go to the council or do you want to stay and play with love, you know? And they're like, oh, boy. And then Wesley's like, maybe I should get out of here. They say, well, let's find you some other kids to play with. Don't worry. Uh, no one does anything uncomfortable to them on the planet here. Uh, whatever pleases you. And when they say play, I love, there's like lots of good looks exchanged. Oh, I like how the woman says, oh, this is unfair to them. Uh, yeah, our, our rules are simple. No one does anything uncomfortable to them. And then they say, well, do you want to run there? And then they say, perhaps they can't run. They they find that hilarious. And they say, can't Wesley, he's this is great. He goes, can't run. Of course we can run. Let's show him, Riker. And then Riker goes to Worf. He goes, hey, buddy, when in Rome, you know what I'm saying? And Worf goes, when and where, sir? And uh, everyone's saying, hey, welcome, welcome. Uh, to your good health. Uh, and Riker says, uh, uh, like, she's like, is there a surprise they can run? And Riker says, we may surprise you in a lot of ways. Uh, uh, then we're back on the ship, and Data's like, that's not a glitch, sir. There's some sort of shadow out there. It's kind of in, in and out of our dimension. And uh, Data, like, uh, that's what Data says. And Ricard says, we request you identify yourself. And then he put WTF Zoom to Picard uh, when the ship comes out or something. I don't know. And then there's a Zoom to Picard and the ad. Let's see the WTF moment. Picard's looking. I see nothing. Oh, Data says, uh, there's an object. request you identify yourself. And then this strange table, like uh, a ship also looks like a structure appears. Oh, here's the zoom. Oh, Picard just has a WTF look on his face. Uh, then there's an ad. Then there's a hailing. I don't know what's hailing. Unintelligible. Oh, the, the, whatever they're saying. And this, it's half there. And then uh, Jordy looks at it. He says, it's something I've never seen before. It's almost, It's not really there. Uh, which is like I said, just something I've never seen before. I kind of thought that was a joke almost. And then uh, Data says, they say, "What can that? What do you think they're saying?" Data says, "It says they stand by." And then the, that's when this like uh, soap bubble comes to the ship. And Picard, uh, why does everything become a something or whatever state a D? What does that mean? And then Picard says, "Why does everything become a, a something or whatever?" 
And then he, the uh, Edo, the thing says, state the purpose of what you're doing. Uh, that's what the bubble says. And he says, I'm P- Picard, Federation. Hey, what do you want? He goes, oh, we're trying to make peaceful contact. Uh, and they said, are you going to leave people here? He said, no, no, we're just visiting. But we did leave some people somewhere else. Uh, we did do a colony. Uh, I think Ito asked about that. They said, well, it was uninhabited. The life forms we left there had sought the challenge of creating a new society. He goes, life on our world is driven to protect itself by seeding itself as widely as possible. And then the Ito said, don't mess with the children below. And then it goes over to the data. And it says, can we exchange data? And then they say, Picard says, but probably be a good idea. Uh, then we see Wesley and the kids. There's like all the subtext and confusion. I also noticed that some people are wearing slippers at this point. I noticed, but you know, for, at some point Wesley's playing with the kids and he thinks uh, she goes, oh, "I'd like to teach you something." And Wesley goes, "Well, I'm not, you know." He goes, "I'm not." He goes, "I don't know." And she goes, "Playing ball." And he goes, "Oh, I, he goes, if you got a bat, I could show you how to play ball." A stick or a branch, something this long. But Wesley's kind of supposed to be the the, the wallflower, which is, I mean, because he, like, I don't know, it's just, it's hard not to read between the lines on some of this. But I think it is, and in, in, in easy to miss, too, in a good way, like where you're not, like me, you know, over-reading. Uh, then Riker, this will please you. Oh, there are people playing the ball game. They say, hey, this will please you. Join us. The good like wharf. Oh, I think that's what Riker says. This is a good life, huh, Worf? And Worf says, I'm not concerned with pleasure, Commander. I'm a warrior. And uh, he goes, uh, Riker goes, don't you need love? And he goes, uh, well, if I wanted love, I'd like a Klingon woman. And Riker goes, what about, like, pleasure? He goes, don't you have a need for that? And Worf goes, yeah, but uh, he goes, it's too fragile. And, you know, this is killing him, for Riker even. He goes, Worf, if anyone else said that, I suspect he was bragging. And he goes, bragging? And then he goes, I got to call. He goes, I got to check in. Oh, wait, there was also, um, oh, also the bubble. I forgot, the voice of the bubble sounds like Paul Fries, the famous voice actor. Riker cracks up. Worf just has a serious face. Then Riker can't reach the Enterprise. And he goes, get our... Uh, uh, selves together. And then just the way Worf said this, he goes, including Wesley, the boy, he just says it in this way, I love Worf. I mean, if you don't get that, you'll soon realize my love for Worf. I mean, I believe most of the roommates I've had in my life have been a Worf. If it was a personality type, uh, I mean, I don't mean like physically, I mean, but, uh, so then Riker, uh, yeah, Riker and Troy go to look for Wesley, and Tosh is having this crime, like conversation over cocktails about crime, because they say, "Oh, we used to have crime, but now we don't, because uh, there's just a zone, and if you uh, are breaking any laws in that zone, you get you get in trouble, and it's pretty strict, so no one breaks any laws." And Tosh is like, "Any law?" And they're like, "Any law?" And she goes, well, "Why didn't you tell the?" visitors about this and Worf's like, then Worf's there they're like we better get Wesley because uh, you know how clumsy he is uh, then we have the law is the law they say 
And uh, then Wesley goes past the line and falls into the new plants. He goes, it's fine. I'm fine. Wesley's like, don't worry about me. They're like, no, no, the plants. And then security uh, shows up. And this was very science fiction-y in a good way. Because they say, oh, how sad you uh, you broke those plants. They say, well, he didn't know about the rules. And they say, always sad, now doubly so. And he said, Wesley says, well, I was just play, playing ball. Like, uh, he goes, I'm from Starfleet. We don't lie. And they say, well, okay, but sorry, we do, uh, you, you know, you're in trouble. And uh, Riker, let's see. I'm sorry, I messed up new plants. Uh, it's like a totally confusing situation. And then Riker shows up, and then they say, well, is this how friends, you're, you're friends? Riker's like, well, you're not arresting Wesley. And they go, is this how friends act? Riker can't get through the Enterprise. Then we see, like, we, and then Tasha and Worf show up, and they're like, this is trouble. And then, let's see, Data and the Bubble are having an information exchange. The Bubble leaves. And then they get a call from Riker. And I think that's when Picard says, I'm beaming down. Then there's an ad. And then Riker and Picard, they talk to Troy. And they say, well, here people are honest to a fault, uh, uh, but they have great pride in, you know, how they do things. And then they they said, Yartha, Captain, we're ready. And then that's when the prime directive comes in, because Picard's like, well, I just can't break. uh," They say, well, these are our rules, and we have to follow them. Wesley damaged the plants. He was in the non-damaging plant zone. Yeah, he goes, that's our laws. Maybe you have laws where you come from. And, uh, you know, they talk about, you know, crime and punishment, you know, Dostoevsky type stuff and how laws change and how people advance. And they say, well, geez, well, maybe you could just take Wesley. Like, we can't release him because those are our laws. But maybe, you know, if you're so advanced, you could just take him from us. And then Picard's like, well, we have the prime directive, so it means we can't mess with your laws. We have to follow your laws, kind of. And Riker goes, there's this big thing going around your planet. you have any idea who what that is? They go, oh, yeah, it's God up there. He goes, it's like a table-building ship. They go, oh, yeah, it's God protecting us. It, but, you know, Riker doesn't say that. They go, He goes, how would you describe God? They said, existing here and in another place also, which was true. And if God wants to show power, it can make itself felt most full, fully. Also, this was a WTF uh, thing that could be invested. We have learned to detect the seeds of criminal behavior. Picard said that at some point. I said, what? And that sounded controversial to me. Uh, then Picard takes a woman with him in Troy, and she says, I'm frightened, uh, you know, going because she's about to get uh, transported to another planet to see her God. And Troy says, don't worry. She actually says there's no reason to be. I don't know if that's like a proper counseling. And her name's Riven R- R- or something. And she's like very impressed with the ship. She goes, she says this is like a big thing. Uh, then she has to like go look at her own God. Of course, she falls to her knees. Uh, then Picard ticks the God off, you know, because he says, uh, you know, identify. I don't know. He wants to know. That this is definitely like, how do you know it's your God? And have you talked to it? And the, the God says, "Put my kid back on Earth." And so Picard sends her down. 
says, well, that didn't work out. And Ricard says, geez, I feel bad about that. And uh, you go, see, she, she was really frightened by her God. And Troy says, uh, it's understandable, sir. Sharing an orbit with God is no small experience. I liked that in line. And then, you know, Crusher says, geez, what are you going to do, uh, you know, to get my kid out? Uh, and she, she goes, I expect some action. He goes, if he was your son, you'd be as frightened. And Picard says, but I am. And then we have this funny thing that's becomes a kind of recurring theme for me. It's like, is Data is like a super stoned person sometimes. Because uh, the data re- recovers from the data thing, the data exchange. And Ricard says, well, what do you think's going on? And he goes, perhaps it's not a vessel, sir. He goes, the dimension, this, uh, they're talking about the Edo God. Uh, the, disp- the dimensions that occupies them allows them to be in several places at once. But they consider this entire star cluster theirs. He goes, probably shouldn't have put a colony here. He goes, uh... But we picked the one that was the largest and the closest. And Picard says, Data, don't babble. He goes, babble, sir? I'm not aware I ever babble, sir. It may be that from time to time I have considerable information to communicate. And you may question the way I organize it. And Picard says, please, I said, Data could do this podcast. Please organize in brief answers to my questions. And he says, you know, get to the point. And he goes, do the gods accept our presence? Like, Picard's trying to find his way around the prime directive. Uh, but then he says, but he goes, Data gets too terse. And he says, Data, please feel free to volunteer any important information. He goes, well, you just shamed me for being a babbler. And then they kind of go back and forth about the prime directive. And if they violate it, what will the Edo God do? And Data says, well, it's just judging us by our own rules uh, that make us untrustworthy. But Data doesn't know the context. And then at the end, he goes, you're right, sir. I do tend to babble. Uh, I just liked it. Uh, but then Picard kind of figures out, uh, figures it out. Another sh- sto- stores moment. Another, oh, another stoned moment. Uh, I do tend to babble. Then there's an ad. Uh, then there was a really good uh, star date, a captain's log star date. Uh, Whatever object or vessel is in orbit with us, it hangs there like a nemesis. I just loved that, too. And then Data goes to meet with Picard. Picard says, he goes, Data goes, you want me, sir? He goes, yeah, let's have some more talk, Data. And he goes, uh, sit down. And Data says, well, what level of communication, sir? And Picard says, any. My apologies for saying you babbled. And Picard is such a... Uh, I mean, he's really quick to apologize when he's wrong. He's a good captain. It was just funny. Like, uh, you don't know, the details you could pick out of the show that are cool. I just find this so cool that there's this uh, babbling thing in here. And it just really makes me love the show and watching it for the fourth time this episode. Um, let's see. So they have more talk. Data's got some great questions. He really helps Picard kind of find an answer. Because uh, Picard says, well, what do you think I should do with it? He goes, well, with the Prime Directive, he goes, uh, how do they evaluate the Prime Directive? Uh, what are their values? And Picard says, she's not how I had to explain it. He goes, I, I, he goes, the way Wesley being arrested with everybody I'm in charge of in the Prime Directive. And Picard says, uh, 
And Data says, will you choose one person over a thousand? And Data says, or Picard says, I refuse to let arithmetic decide questions like this. And then they kind of talk about, like, uh, Jesus, well, how is this a god, this this uh, device? Uh, the big question, like one versus a thousand. And I just put wow about this uh, discussion, uh, you know, because he says, well, any advanced life form is going to seem like a god to a lesser life form. Uh, but even Data says this is like this is cool because he says well maybe this is another step in evolution because when they were probing my mind they saw they existed once just in this dimension like we do, maybe even flesh. And he goes, but now they're living in some sort of multi-dimensional universe, which has advantages we do not even understand. And actually, I think this is what it gives for. I didn't realize it till just this moment. But then Picard says, well. Maybe they had shared values when they were, you know, flesh, if they were flesh, you know, humans. And Data says, well, the Edo, you know, the Edo are like uh, somewhat uh, mammalian too. And Picard says, well, why would an advanced, uh, like, you know, multidimensional race be looking over this planet? And he goes, well, it's like a colony maybe. Uh, then Crusher comes and they get ready to go down. Picard says, don't worry, I'll deal with this. Uh, Something regret, something Wesley. Then they're on the planet, and Riker, they're like, okay, it's almost time. Then Picard and Crusher come, and the woman almost confuses them with gods. Uh, then Wesley comes. He goes, are you going to let him arrest me? He goes, no, but we have to find a way out. And then the security guards are like, you know, you're here. what are you doing? You're kind of disrupting our way of life uh, with all this nonsense. And Picard's trying to weigh out the different rules. And Wesley's like, geez, I don't want my, you know, he goes, just cause he goes, I don't want to like my, he goes, I'm not more important than, uh, you know, all the other people on the ship. I don't know what, what I'm going to do here, but Captain Picard. And then Picard's like, all right, I think we're ready to go. And then the Edo even warned them. They say, well, our God's not going to be happy with you if you just do what you wish. Because uh, Picard's like, geez, we're supposed to, we're not supposed to interfere with other lives in the galaxy. Because uh, they're like, what kind of justice is this if it's just your justice? You know, this is a kind of like a subtle anti-colonial statement. But then Tasha's like, well, what about Wesley and Justice? He didn't know your laws. And Picard's like, well, I got to make a decision. You know, I got to worry about my form of justice, kind of. Uh, and then the transporter won't work. So then Picard yells up to the god. Well, I think first, uh, uh, Dr. Grusha says, this is an unfair God. Uh, and they say, well, ignorance of you know, law doesn't, isn't a defense. And Picard says, I don't know how to communicate this, but, you know, quite, justice has concerned me of great lately. And I say to any creature that's listening, there can be no justice as long as the laws are absolute. This was the same message at the end of Aladdin, by the way. Uh, even life itself is an exercise in exceptions. And this one, Riker goes, yeah, when's justice as simple as a rule book? And then they beamed up and Picard says, it seems the Edo Lord agrees with you, number one. And then we're back on the bridge. And Riker uh, puts a viewer on Picard, says, let's call him. Uh, he says, uh, he goes, we're going to remove the colonists from the solar system if you signal us to do so. Please tell us. And then the ship just disappears, and 
Uh, they say, is that, was that a signal? And Picard says, I suppose, I suppose it must be. I was hoping for more. And Jordy says, of what, sir? I'm glad it's gone. And Riker says, yep, short and sweet, godlike efficiency. And Picard, of course, like being the commander, he says, geez, I was hoping we'd learn more about it. But since we can't, let's roll, uh, number one. And he says, gladly, sir. And that ends the the episode. All right, so we're talking about Roy the Royale, which I had a lot of trouble with the title, R-O-Y-A-L-E. I didn't write that. It's season two, I, I think around episode eight. I didn't write that down. I think most of the time I called it, I was calling the episode either the ho- in my notes, the Hotel Royale or the Palace Hotel. Again, you know, that's just dyslexia talking. But this week I did the same, like I watched episode once. Uh, our good ha- friend Ahab's wife recommended this episode. And I'd never seen it before. So what I did was I watched it once, like a, a, a like casual watch for pleasure. And didn't take any notes. I just enjoyed it. And I really, this is the episode of when your first time viewing it is really enjoyable. And even on your my second and third time. So then I watched it again with that with the on mute, and I still found like okay, how much is this going to damage my sanity? Like, should I watch it at three, uh, like fifteen minute increments? Like, which going to like which is going to like uh, like watching a TV show on mute? But so that's what I did this week was I watched it in three fifteen minute chunks, and then I watched it again with the sound on. Uh, you know, to kind of pay, you know, get it to get a better sense of the dialogue. I think I watched that one in like a 30 minute chunk and then a 15 minute chunk. And then maybe on our second run through, I'll roll the episode in the background here. So this one won't have any dialogue discussions unless I remembered something. But it opens with a very green planet. I put Earth like question mark. And we see the Enterprise, and we're on the deck, which is actually the bridge. Sometimes I call it the deck. I don't know why. Uh, Data gives was a befuddled, annoyed look. Except that's not was, it's Wes. So Data gives Wesley a befuddled, annoyed look. Riker and Geordi are figuring out some sort of scan. The scan's a little bit 8-bit. I don't know what this says. Jordy Gel Chill. Uh, Jordy Gel. Or 6-E-E-L. Chill, that's definitely... Oh, Jordy gets a chill. I remember this now. He does a little shiver. More of a shiver than a chill. Uh, then Picard's kicked back. Uh, definitive screen. What does that mean? Rotation. Definitive screen rotation expression question mark. Wow, these notes are unbelievably detailed. Uh, definitive screen rotation expression or express scan. Mailing points and amusing Riker. Making points and amusing Riker. So he's making some points and it's amusing Riker. Uh, then he takes a poll. I don't know what this means. Maybe next time I'll have it running now. Takes a pull. I don't know what happened, but uh, uh, then the Enterprise, then we see the planet, uh, trampoline row. Oh, transporter room. Something, nope, use fling. 
Oh, what they, what happens is they they uh, they bring in a, a piece of a plane or a spaceship. Oh, that's junk. Transporter room junk. Nope, use flag. U.S. Nope, USA flag. And then they see NASA on it, and they say, "Holy cow!" And then the episode opens. So they found a piece of junk in space, and it has a United States flag and NASA on there. Uh, then we're in the conference room. We see the episode's called The Royale. Static steers. I don't know what that says. Static steers at staff meeting. It's two exclamation points, too. Oh, you know what it is? I remember. This was disappointing. I don't want to, you know, I, I, I'm not here to criticize Star Trek. And the fact is this: the air date of this episode was like March of 1989, so 28 years ago almost. But I was a little disappointed because I do appreciate whatever that Disney concept is of uh, motion. I forget there's a nice word for it that I don't remember. And how that adds to our immersion and illusion. And in the the boardroom, it was clear that the stars were just like projected or, you know, some sort of uh, like just static part of the set. So the stars weren't moving. You know, they were actual physical, um, what do you call that? What do they say about Star Wars? You know, they say, oh, they're using something effects, uh, like the real effects. Like, like instead of, it wasn't green screen stars, uh, but it wasn't moving. And, I mean, just a mild, it pulled me out, and I said, oh, man. You know, it, it could, like, but not a huge point, but big enough for me to talk about it once I could decipher my handwriting. Uh, counselors, Troy's arms are crossed, which brings up this question like about climate control on the ship and what is the ideal temperature of the Enterprise? Uh, is Counselor Troy cold at this moment? Like, like, can't you wear, I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't really want to delve into like, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not, I haven't watched enough episodes again. I delved into the outfits and controversy around that, but is he just, can she, could she have a sweater? Or was or was it body language? But her arms are crossed in a way they said, maybe she's cold. Uh, then I can't read this thing. Something Clint control on the ship. Uh, oh, climate control on the ship, double question mark. And my handwriting in this notes is terrible. Uh, Jordy does another scan, very Minecrafty. Uh, then Wharf Date and Riker transport out. Uh, and they're in this, like, uh, really cool. This was very David Lynch. It was great. Uh, they're just against this black. They're in, like, a pure blackness. Uh, but under this, like, gas, uh, green gas sky. Very dreamlike. And it phases something. Fa oh, no, they pull their phasers out. And then they see a lone revolving door against pure blackness. And I think this was inky. I, when people say it was inky blackness, I would say this is like it, it almost had a. It was like almost textureless. It was so deep, uh, but it was so textureless it had texture, which probably doesn't make any sense. But I bet you you can picture it in your head. And there's just this lone revolving door, and it's revolving, old-fashioned wooden. It's it's calling, and it's not attached to anything. Uh, spinning on its own room reminds me of something, but I couldn't figure out. It reminded me of something. I never placed it. Uh, Riker checks in with Picard, who's like, what? Warf looks irritated. 
and then they go through the door, and then they're in like a Las Vegas hotel, the palace. Of course, I kept I was wrong. It's the Royal. It was palace like, oh, palace motif. Confused? Yes, they are. And then the bridge, and Jordy's confused, and Captain Picard's not happy. And then they're looking around the hotel. I, I call. I started calling them the hotel crew. The three of them. Uh, then Picard seemed like he was scolding Jordy. Then we see the big green blanket on the screen. Uh, then we see Dade and Riker. They put their phasers away, but Worf uh, still has this out. Finally, he puts his away. They go to the lobby, the desk. Uh, they talk to the assistant manager, who's definitely an actor we've seen in a lot of things before. But, uh, of course, I put a star, so I would look it up, which I did not. And then there's a bellhop who's in a balloon maroon, and they share a moment, him and the assistant manager. Uh, then he gives them a key. He gives the guys, Riker, Data, and uh, Worf, uh, keys and casino chips. And Worf's very skeptical. He has, like, really hilarious looks in this episode. He kind of looks at the cheese, you know. I don't know. And then they kind of, like, uh, somebody asks the manager a question. He looks at them like they're dense. Uh, here's another question. Then Data pulls out some kind of scanner. And I think I mentioned it later in my notes, but it looked like a receipt printer. And I, like, I asked myself this. I guess I didn't follow up, but, like, where is he keeping this? Like, did he, like, I didn't notice it. Like, I mean, I'm not good at, continu what is that called, continuity anyway. So he could have had it on his belt the whole time. I didn't notice it, but I put from where. Then people are gambling. Then it's an ad. Then Data's doing a scan, and they're discussing. Then there's, like, this older Texas rhinestone-wearing cowboy guy with a little bit of a Rodney Dangerfield look. Riker's cracking up at all this. Uh, then on the bridge, we got Wes and Jordy, and Picard's like, WTF, man, like, he's not happy. And I think he was saying, like, press some more buttons and use both hands. And then I brought up, again, another, this is like, how much of this is improv, like, Wes and Jordy's, like, hand motions? Because uh, I was just watching, like, a lot of what they were doing. And then Picard and Troy are, uh, like, on the bridge. She seemed less cold. Her arms were uncrossed. She seemed relaxed on the bridge. So maybe the bridge has a different temperature. And then Data starts rolling around the casino. I mean, this episode, thank you, Ahab's wife, for mentioning this, because this is just, uh, if you're a fan of Data uh, or Worf, like I am, I mean, this is just a gem. And if you're a Riker fan, which I'm not, I mean, I don't want to, I guess I'm, I don't know, it might just be like a testosterone thing. Uh, I'm not, not anti-Riker, but I just, tre like, I treasure moments with Data and Worf. So if you like moments with Data and Worf, this is an episode for you. Uh, so Data starts playing blackjack. The cowboy puts his hat on Data. Data says some, like, comedy moves with their cards, like shuffling them raises his eyebrows is like i think i said i don't know when i said this but i would love to like i don't know let me know if you're a huge next generation person like where i could see episode outtakes because there's some outtakes i would love to see uh so he does stuff with his eyes 
And like, I don't, I guess I don't want to delve too deep into it, but like who hung with who of the cast? Like who's friends? I guess they probably don't want to know. Cause they're like, what if they didn't like each other or something? I guess then I could, you know, I could hop in the fantasy fiction machine and deal with it. Okay. So data hits, so it gets a lot of hits when he's playing blackjack, uh, Texas guy, Texas guy's a little leany. He's like a bit of a dirtbag uh, to this woman next to him. A uh, dealer has a very uh, sweet tuxedo shirt on. And Data gets all the, hits all these low cards, and so he gets 21. Blackjack, he has a pleased look. You know, then Riker and Worf roll up, and they kind of like, uh, oh, yeah, this is where I put, there must have been really good bloopers because, uh, when they see Data in the hat, there's no way there wasn't outtakes from this scene. It was almost like something on a um, vibration level I could detect their total amusement with the ridiculousness in a good way, like Worf and Riker. I don't know. I, I guarantee there must have been, because he, he looked hilarious. And he was just really hamming it up in the best way. So then they roll out. Then Picard checks up on Jordy and uh, Wes. They're still pressing lots of buttons and moving, doing sliders. Like uh, two-finger slide, like stuff Apple would invent, you know, 20 years after this. Like Wes has got a lot of finger moves. Then he does the spider crawl up the screen with his fingers. Also maybe curious, like, what is more better, more better, but... Uh, like, we you know, uh, physical sliders or finger sliders? Uh, I mean, I guess in this future, it's, you know, touch screens. Uh, then, what does this say? Place three? I don't know what that means. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that means. Place three. Uh, but, oh, maybe the, the three. The palace three? They try to go out the door, the ro- rotating door, and they just rotate right back in. And they give it two tries, and they're totally baffled. Uh, Then Data starts talking to, like, a retiree who's on a slot machine. She hits a jackpot. And Riker's trying to talk to people. They're ignoring him, so he seems annoyed. And then Worf, he, like, walks over to two slot machines, pushes them out of the way, starts, like, pushing on the wall, trying to find, like, a secret door panel. Then he tries to phaser the walls. And I think in, like, stun and full mode, no dice, and Data returns. He's like, hey, bros, we're stuck here. Then we see the green planet. We see the bridge. Then we see Jordy on the case. Then Picard and Troy talk. Uh, then we see a little bit of this Riker swagger. Like, so this might be why Riker, because Riker swaggers. Uh, and I think that triggers, like, my, like, uh, Something in me, you know, to say, well, why is this guy swaggering? Uh, you know, I want to, I want to be the swaggerer, Riker. But I mean, I, I, he is growing on me because he's so always so amused. Probably just jealous. I mean, why lie about it? Like, uh, probably just jealous of Riker. I mean, a part of me would be like, is this is what my life's gotten to? I'm jealous of uh, Riker. But I think. Already doing this podcast, is this the fifth fifth episode? I think, like, it's a deserved thing in a good way to be jealous. He's swaggering. Then we see the bellhops in trouble with the manager. Riker's in the background waiting at the hotel desk. Riker talks to the manager, kind of gets a runaround. Riker clicks his chest, tries to check in with the bridge. 
data has some data on his receipt printer. Uh, then they try to go on the elevator, but their tentative uh, data just presses the button. And then they're walking the halls of the hotel. They knock on a door. Worf pulls out his phaser. They go into the hotel room. There's like a surprise uh, fruit basket in the room. Uh, but the fruit is old. Like, like, you know, when oranges get that stuff on them, that's what happened. Worf looks in the closet and there's a spacesuit in there. And then I put dudes close to the door. Like they're in the hotel room. They left the door open. Uh, then we see the, a patch on the spacesuit. It says C Y A R Y B DIS, Charabidis, uh, NASA, first beyond the solar system. Check the flag, Colonel B. Ritchie. Then they check in with the ship. Then Worf's like, dude, check out this. There's two Bibles in here. And then Data reads one of the Bibles, but it's a book, not a Bible. Also, I put, who are the Gideons? I think I answered that in one episode, and now I've forgotten. Man, I was really I was writing jokes. They have a, they have a Goodreads moment with the Bibles or whatever. Then they find his journal. Whatever's in the journal is bad news. So bad, Picard crosses his arms. And there's a commercial. I mean, not really. There's just an ad break or act break. Then there's uh, the Greens planted in the ship, and then Picard and Jordy and some other staff member. And they're in the hotel room. It's Data and Riker, kind of like a conference call situation. And Picard seems to be like, ideas, people. I need some ideas here. Then Worf takes a phone call in the room. And from what I could tell, I think it was someone that said called Worf. They said, is your refrigerator running? And he said, I don't know what you, what you mean. And then they they said, do you have Prince Albert in a can? And Worf didn't like that, so they say, let's get out of here. And then Worf actually closed the hotel door, so I had to give him props for that. Very considerate. Then Picard and Troy, he's like looking at his laptop. He's grimacing, Picard. Then Data and Worf, uh, uh, they come off the elevators. They're ready to work the room, especially Data. He meets up with this cowboy and the woman. At the, and he does something to annoy the cowboy. And I don't know what this says. Data confounder. Data confound. Data con founder. Data can founder. Looks like data co-founder. I don't know what that means. But then Riker and Worf watch the bellhop and the manager. And then this, then it just gets even more bizarre, especially if you have no dialogue. There's a dude in a white suit. Like, uh, it looked a little bit like the guy on Wings, whose name escapes me, the main guy, who was also an airplane, I think. And then he's wearing a white suit with a coat on his shoulders, like where your arms aren't in the coat. And he must be, there's some kind of showdown. Uh, then we have Picard and Troy, they're thinking. Picard's eyes are closed while he thinks. Then the guy in the suit with the bellhop, there ends up he's the one in charge of the oranges. So they have this thing about the oranges. Worf almost gets involved, I think, just as you know, because he's you know goes into Worf mode. Then they figure something out with Picard, and then there's a commercial. 
then Riker comes with the book. Riker comes bowl. Riker comes boot. Riker comes boot book. Something like that. Data has a plan, explains it. Then they play craps with the Texan and the woman, and it's Data's turn. He blows on the dice. I think he has a woman blow on the dice first. He does this palm-up thro- dice throw. That's a, This scene is amazing. 40 minutes. Get on your DVR. Not your DVR. It's on Amazon and Netflix, so there's no reason to miss this. 40 minutes to the, the Royale. You got, I mean, if you see only one part of Next Generation this year, uh, another point, he rubs the dice, he blows them, he does a no-look dice throw like we've seen in the, uh, like the Tom Cruise did in that uh, pool movie, and then Ramsey Bolton did in the pool movie on Game of Thrones. I mean, I wrote like a, te- like a teen from eight years ago. I put OMG, the data looks... Uh, Holy gif, or holy gif, depending on how you say it. Like, it's another thing. If you can generate any memes or gifs or gifs, please get a hold of me and get some of this 40-minute scene down. Another point, he snaps and winks. And he's cra- he, he's cracking Riker up. Uh, then Riker's on a call with the captain, still cracking up. Everyone's happy. Riker's a big tipper. Uh, very smiley. Uh, Texan tries to rain on their parade for a minute. Uh, living bellhip. Loving bellhop. Living bellhip. I don't know what that says. Dice blow. Big win. Uh, Data gets to trade money. Everybody's happy. Riker uh, breaks it up. Uh, oh, no. Riker breaks the thing. He shows off the book. I, I, he, like, broke the illusion. Throws the book on the craft stable, and they walk to the doors and into the, out into the darkness. Uh, they call Picard, who's happy, and then they're out shipping the planet. And then uh, Picard and Riker were in the office. Something about the wall panels distracted me. I don't know what, because I didn't write why. And that's the end. Okay, good news. Here's some facts. The Royale Season 2, Episode 12. Uh, yeah, I'm going to try reading through this one without having it playing in the background, but because I wish you could play it on, like, 1.5 speed. Um, eighth plank, distorted scraps. Uh, let me read the uh, dialogue I have here. Oh, yeah, Captain's Log. We're entering the uh, orbit around the eighth planet in the Theta 116 solar system. Passing Klingon cruiser reported a strange vessel pieces in the atmosphere we're investigating. And I think that was another thing. I don't know if this is in my notes, but I realized watching this episode, how many of these are like mysteries, you know, very procedural. Uh, but I guess in a more episodic way, because they don't never have a set. They don't, don't never. They do not have a set procedure they follow, you know, every time. Or maybe I'll learn they do, but... Uh, like they, so, this is the mystery. There's scraps of a ship, in the, and then they're investigating. I guess that's why the captain said it, not me. But then Jordy's talking about the planet. He says it's nasty: methane, neon, ammonia tornadoes. It's got the debris and elliptical orbit. And then he says he has the chills, like I said earlier, and he says nasty. 
And then we have the quote. I'll just read through this dialogue because it's quick of this uh, setup with Riker and Picard. Uh, Picard, uh, looking at his computer, he says he spins it. Does he, is this when he spins it? Uh, it's later, but he says, Fermi's last theorem, are you familiar with it? And Riker says, vaguely, you know, more of a charmer than math guy. As daydreaming about being on a starship. I don't know, is this the one, what's this, Matt Damon figured out in um, Goodwill Hunting? Is this the same theorem? Uh, Picard says, when Pierre de Firme uh, died, they found this equation scrawled in the notes. X to the nth plus Y to the nth equals Z to the nth. When N is greater than 2, which he says has no solution in whole numbers. But he also added this phrase, remarkable proof. Riker said, yeah, it's coming back to me. No proof included. And Picard, like, it's just part I love, I mean, man, talk about, like, great. He says, well, the 800 years people have been trying to solve it. And Riker says, including you. Picard says, I find it stimulating. And it puts things in perspective. In our arrogance, we feel we are so advanced, and yet we cannot unravel a simple knot tied by a part-time French mathematician working alone without a computer. And then this says a lot about the relationship. Riker just moves into the business. He says, uh, uh, Captain, there's debris in a loose orbit. And Picard says, can you identify it? And uh, Riker says, no, let's beam a section aboard for al- analysis. And Riker says, make it so, number one. And then they see the markings, what sort of markings... And, no, this is another one. Picard says, we've got ourselves a little puzzle, number one. And he says, sir, I guess we have. And that's when it opens. So, again, setting up the investigation of the mystery. I underline, I liked it so much, I said, we've underlined, got, underline ourselves, underline, and so on. Uh, Then it opens, and then data, he says, data analysis. Oh, no, data says analysis. Uh, it said, yeah, this is a, a terrestrial in our origin, uh, mid 20th century. In regards, like, no Earth ship could have been out this far. And data says, nevertheless, uh, that's not what our tests indicate. And the markings on it are consistent. So this is after they found the piece and beamed it aboard, you know. I guess this is the benefit of having it playing in the background. But they say, any indication of what destroyed it? Troy says that uh, data. He says, well, that's even more in, in, in more significant, Counselor. The molecules seem to have disintegrated. And Riker says, how? And data says, there's something from our time. Ricard says, curiouser, curiouser, and curiouser. And then Wesley says, yo, there's a, a building on this planet uh, sitting on frozen methane and uh, something, something unknown, sir. And then I love how Picard built, he says, suggestions. And he said, well, it's got breathable air. Maybe somebody has to go down there. You know, it doesn't seem like there's anything dangerous down there. Uh, but we don't know. And he says, I think we could risk a minimal weight team, number one. And then they set their phasers for stun, green light, energize. 
uh, like to, it's like we're on the edge of a hurricane. And then they said, Commander, what is that door? Uh, what is that, a door? It's, and it's kind of spinning and inviting them in. Unusual place. There is a tape on the, what does this say? There is a tape on, there is a tape on revolving door. I don't know what they, I don't know what that notes is. I think that's what the report, they said, well, there's a revolving door down here, Commander Picard. They say we're entering. And then there's lots of happy sounds, and all three of the data wharf and Riker seem confused. Then up in the bridge, there's like, there's nothing to lock onto. Then Riker tries uh, uh, to call the Enterprise. He says, we've entered the structure, come in. And then Wesley says, and when they went through that antique doorway, the sing- signal disappeared. And then he says, Jordy, what do you think? And Jordy says, unknown. That's twice this episode, unknown. And then Data's like, we better get back. And Riker's like, dude, are you seeing this place? We're here. We might as well check it out. So, again, the Riker swagger. And then there's a bellhop. Uh, they check in. says, go to the front desk. Uh, very uh, good. And then Riker rings the bell. The guy's been ignoring him, like doing the mail or something. So then Riker clears his throat. And the guy says, the assistant manager says, welcome. Have you had a nice trip? We've been expecting you. And they're like, expecting us. Then there's this scene with bad dialogue and music with uh, the bellhop talking about Rita to the manager. Very melodramatic. And as it will be revealed, and oh, and they, they're talking about Mickey D, who's like the antagonist for these characters. And my question was in 1989, was it called Mickey D's in 1989 or 86? I think it was 89. Like, 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 uh, or did it become Mickey D's after, like for McDonald's? Because if it was, this is like, they just say, they say Mickey D a lot, so, uh, uh, read is too much for you to handle. Then they get the manager gives out the keys and says, "Enjoy, gentlemen." And then uh, Riker says, "What is this place?" And then, or no, Worf says, "What is this place?" He says it really funny. And the guy goes, "What do you the palace, the Royale?" And Riker goes, "What planet is it?" And he goes, "Earth." What do you call it? And Worf goes, "We we call it Theta Eight. It was just." <laughs> It was so funny. And I mean, I think intentionally, he was, we call it Theta 8. I don't know who was better in this episode, honestly. And then Data says, Commander, none of these people are emitting life signs. And he says, what do you mean? They're not alive? And what are, War says, he says, a very, you mean they're not alive? Like very, uh, I don't know, you got to hear it. And they say, well, what, what do you mean? He goes, Worf says, these beings are the machines or mere del- illusions uh, designed to deceive us. And Data says, no. He goes, they exist, but they don't register as man or machine. And at this point, I would just wonder if they, why do they don't think they're on a holodeck? And why, like, why does the, how often does, is that going to happen in Star Trek or how often, 
wooded in this world in reality, like that you trap people on holodecks. But I think I learned, maybe it was from the episode I'm watching now, that they consume a lot of energy, these illusions, like the holodecks do. Uh, but he says, no, 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 they, they just don't register as man as machine. Then the Texan comes out, uh, the elevator, and uh, he says, this creature has no DNA structure. And the guy says, look, who are you talking about? And then this is Ahab's wife's uh, favorite moment. Uh, Data says, uh, the guy says, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Time to get to business. And Data says, what sort of business do you think he suppose he's getting down to? He really said that. What sort of business uh, do you suppose he's getting down to? Uh, then on the bridge, Picard wants a status report and uh, West and Jordy are working on it. Uh, then Riker talks to Troy. He's not happy. Uh, he's like, he goes, what if Riker is not following procedure? He should have immediately come back. And Troy says, I don't think he's in danger. If I could guess what he's feeling, it's amusement. And Picard's like amused or bemused. I put bemused. Uh, then Data plays Blackjack, which is pretty funny because he rattles off, you know, he learns Blackjack or like reads it off the back of his eyebrow, oh, eyebrow, eyeballs. Then he has the hat on. They say Annie up, which I don't think you Annie up in Blackjack. He just bets. Oh, he says Blackjack, access. And then he raises his eyebrows. That was funny. I wonder if every, how many people were, I think the, the man and the woman here have a gambling problem. And then Data's, like, taking too many hits. The guy's like, what are you doing? And Data says, if the objective of the game. Also, the guy from Texas was rattling on at one point, and Data's mouth was open. Uh, then, like, uh, he has a please look, and then they say, uh, I think Riker says, Data, you having fun? And he says, fun, sir? Uh, while there's a certain amount of enjoyment involved, I'm conducting research. And he says, Riker says, save it. We're getting out of here. Also, it's like, how often does Data use sir? And Picard is like, uh, uh, progress. Uh, and there, Wes is like, we're doing this encoding scheme, alternate or something. And, you know, hydrogen, hydrogen, carbon. And they're going back and forth. And this was fun. It just, just like, I love it. He goes, those are some very aggressive, fairly evacuated. Picard says, those are some fairly aggressive computations, Lieutenant. Uh, like when he's looking at what uh, Jordy's doing. I mean, I underlined it because it was so good. And they say, blah, blah, blah. And he says, make it so. Uh, then we're at the hotel. They try to leave. Uh, then they say, try that again. They So they did two tries. But they try to go through the revolving door. It just brings them back to the hotel. There's some mystery music and confused looks, and Rikers, let's find another way out of here. And they kind of get the brush off, and that's when uh, Worf tries to phaser the wall. He says, I believe we're trapped, sir. Or maybe Data says that. And something, uh, trapped here, and then there's an, an ad break. I've been trying to come up with initials that are always wrong. CL, Captain's Log. Oh, yeah, that's what CL would stand for. Yeah, Captain's log. We're still out of touch with the, them. Uh, then uh, Troy, uh, she says, she says she's Captain Riker's feeling tense now. There's been a change in the situation. 
then Riker goes up to the um, assistant manager. He wants some answers. Uh, then Archer something. Oh, another bellhop uh, manager exchange about Mickey D. Oh, that's when Riker says, I want some answers. And the guy says, I'm sorry. He says, that's not good enough. And then he says, I want to see the manager. And he goes, sorry, the manager's really busy. That was Lynchian. There's something about that that was Lynchian, that there's a manager. Or, yeah. And then Picard gets through. It's very choppy. He goes, number one, why haven't you left the building? And you can tell Picard's a little testy with number one. And this kind of makes me wonder about, you know, they they do have different personalities. So Riker's a lot looser, like if this is some sort of resentment thing. Uh, but then Data says, so Data's looking at this. All of a sudden, after that, he says, I'm picking up some human DNA in the hotel. I put an exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, because it's just hilarious. Uh, I mean, <laughs> You don't want to think about it too much, but I'm picking up some human DNA. And then they say, let's take the turbo lift. Or if it's like, this thing's malfunctioning. And then they're in the hotel, and they say it's behind the door. There's DNA, but no signs of uh, life. And then they, there's the astronauts there who's passed in his sleep, and Worf says, that's a terrible way to go. And they said, typical Worf. They said, well, how long has this person been here? 283 years, a sterile environment. And they, they, then I guess Riker kind of figures out this whole place is just window dressing. And then they pull out the uniform and it has 52 stars, which Riker says that means it was from the years 2033 uh, to 2079. So it means we're picking up a, a, something in the next few years. He says, rest in peace. Then Picard calls, he says, what's your situation? Which I thought was like a, you know, a thing you said. And then they say, well, there's this novel about the Hotel Royale. And he says, summarize it, please. Uh, so Data starts reading it. Uh, or no, then Wesley looks it up. Uh, oh, no, Wesley's looking about Colonel Ritchie, who says... Uh, they launched on July 23rd, 2037, third manned attempt to travel beyond the confines of our solar system. Telemetry failed, never heard from again. And then Hotel Royale by Todd Matthews. Story of a group of compulsive gamblers, you know, caught in a bunch of melodrama. With uh, then Data's like, yeah, Mickey D, you know, in the bellboy. With a subplot with an old man and a younger woman gambling and squandering money. And they, then they figure out, well, that's exactly, we're in this story. We're immersed in the story. And then Rick says, wait a second, there's a diary here by Colonel Ritchie. I write this in the hopes it'll be someday read. I can only surmise at this point our shuttle like got some sort of alien contamination. And, you know, I, I was left. I fell asleep, and then I woke up in this Royal Hotel, Royale Hotel, precisely the same as the novel I happen to be reading in my room. And he goes, for the last 38 years I've been here, and he goes, I think the aliens uh, created this place out of guilt, presuming the novel we had on board was uh, a guide to our preferred lifestyle and social habits. Obviously, they thought it was the world I came. I hold no malice towards them. They don't know you know, how awful it is living this novel every day. 
uh, for his badly written book with endless cliches and shallow characters. Can't wait till I move on from this one. And Picard says, okay, now that now it all makes sense. But why can't you leave? And then they're having the conference call. But Jordy's like, maybe I'll cut cut something. Maybe I could cut you out of there somehow. And we could freeze something that's like the extra character. And they say, in theory, we could do that. But then Picard's like, okay, we'll take as long as it takes to figure out a good option. And Riker says, are you trying to motivate us? Because we'll find our own way out then. And then uh, 29.30, like the phone rings, which I didn't know how Worf would know how to answer the phone. But again, this is another scene to watch. Uh, and why Worf answers the phone, I guess because he's a security officer. He says, there's a female voice on here. She wants to know if we want the room cleaned. And it's like a panic. It was just, oh, this is a really good scene because Riker's like, tell her no. And Worf says, no. And then Riker says, what did she say? And he said, she says the kitchen will be open for 24 hours if we change our minds. I think she said room service, not room cleaned. And then Riker's like, let's, let's go down to the lobby and figure this out and get out of here. They want a room, room service. And the way Worf looked at the phone, it was just worth it. Uh, and they're out. And then Troy and Picard are like reading the novel. On Picard's screen, uh, he's just starting it. His face was really good when he says, it was a dark and stormy night. He goes, oh, this is bloody terrible. Uh, then Data and Worf have this funny moment when they get off the elevator. Data says, I suggest we separate and blend in. Casual queries offered inconspicuously may prove fruitful. Worf just gives me, he's like, yeah, right. I put blend in, triple exclamation point, uh, 3128, Worf's face, like he wants to say something back at him. Uh, then Data taps, texts on his shoulder, and he says, how did you get here? And he goes, I drove here, I'm a caddy. Uh, he goes, I got a sweet car. Data says, where's your automobile now? He goes, out front. And Data says, could you take me there? He goes, no, 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 I'm trying to gamble with this uh, other customer. And Data says, I believe you're trapped inside the Royal just as I am. He goes, no, 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 I'm trapped in this game and my gambling obsession. Uh, but then Data gets a clue because he tells her to stay pat because he says, like, uh, like he's like, wait a second, the novel is playing out here. Can't remember what the clue was and I didn't write it down. Is he tells her the odds to that she, the odds favor her staying pat, but she still hits. Then Riker and Worf, and they see Mickey D come with this little interlude. Then we see halfway through the scene, Pike, Picard, and uh, Troy are having an audible moment. They're like listening to the deluxe version on Audible, like a voice acting version. And says Troy says, "I don't believe humans used to talk like that." And Picard says, well, it's a second-rate novel. And then they don't interfere, like, with Mickey D and the Bellhop, which I said, is that part of the Prime Directive? It could be. And then Mickey D leaves the hotel, which gets Riker's attention. There's Riker's clue. And then he calls Picard. He goes, what's going on on page 244? 
Uh, Riker says the hotel gets, or Picard says the hotel gets bought. And he goes, by whom? Very good language, by the way, Riker. He goes, three men from out of town, 12.5 million. And he goes, captain, and he gets this huge grin. And he says, we're buying the hotel. Then there's an ad. And then we see data. And I said, is this like that movie? Like, which came first? The, uh, the Tom Cruise, Dustin Hoffman movie, which, of course, I name I should have looked up, but now I can't remember. Uh, and I'm not going to remember it now. And then the data's talking about how he can win a craps. So Riker's like, elaborate. And then data talks about, you know, all the odds and craps. And he says, can you do it? And data says, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do it. Don't worry. And single digits on each cube. And then the guy says, your turn, slick. And then Riker says to data, go to work. And then the first one doesn't go well. So then Data says, I will make a new attempt. And then he goes, baby needs a new pair of shoes. This is when it gets really good. And he has a woman blow on it. And then there's a montage. I can't read this. Strauts one, number one. I don't know what that says. Run of luck. And then uh, Picard says, like Riker tells him. And then he says, don't get out of character. Uh, the characters in the book are flamboyantly generous. And then Riker gets really funny. He he starts uh, talking to everybody. He says, like, bet it all, you know. And he knows everybody. He goes, we need some spreading around money data. And then he knows everybody's name. He goes, hey, Ziggy, here's some money for you. For the cocktail waitresses, give some to the parking lot attendants. Which was weird because he says, go outside. And he goes, Vanessa, here's something for you. And Riker goes, when the train comes in, everybody rides. And I said, Riker, you you dog. Like my handwriting at the bottom of this, I cannot understand anything. Puzzle, I see. And puzzle, New Year, she, she. Oh, so then the montage goes, and and then it's like just a little bit more funny, you know. Riker says we bought the place, place lock, stock, and barrel, done deal. And then you know there's a little more comedy. Then they get out, and then they go up, and then they have the little thing with Picard and Riker to close it out in the room. And Picard says, "Welcome back, number one." And Riker says, "Very strange experience, puzzling. I can't comprehend." How Colonel, this is what's good about Star Trek too. how Colonel Ritchie's vessel traveled out that far, not on its own at any rate. And Picard says, perhaps they were brought here by whoever created that make-believe world down there. It's possible they didn't know how fragile the humans aboard were. And Riker says, none of it makes any sense. And Picard says, like Fermi's theorem, it's a puzzle we may never solve. And I guess the puzzle was solved at some point, but uh, uh, just amazing, like good stuff. And that's the end of the episode. All right, everybody, we're talking about season three, episode four, Who Watches the Watchers? And, you know, I'm I'm trying to make this evolve slowly. So now I got my full setup. I got Who Watches the Watchers playing on an old iPhone 4S. And I have I got all my stuff here, so we'll do a little run through. And the episode is rolling, but it opens with Captain's Log Mente. Can't read my hand. Unfortunately, I don't have a handwriting reader here. 
Uh, but but regards is Mintaka, they're Mintaka three or something. They're anthropod, anthropo, anthropological field team with a bad reactor, and we got to get down there. Jordy does not understand. Like this was an interesting little uh, two or three minute exchange because uh, Jordy says, "Geez, why do they have such a powerful reactor?" He's representing the audience here, I think, and saying, "Well, what what's the hook here?" And Riker kind of teases. I says, well, a phaser bank, a subspace relay, or Jordy, come on, figure it out on your own. You're a big kid. And he says, oh, a hologram generator, a duck blind. They're anthropologists. And then Picard says, yeah, they're studying Mintakins at close range, but they're camouflaged. You know, they're just anthropologizing. And uh, uh, Troy says they're proto-Vulcan humanoids at a bronze age level, peaceful and rational. And Picard says, yeah, they've uh, paralleled uh, the Vulcan evolution, so that makes sense. And let's see what else we have here. Didn't uh, Jordy? Uh, oh, yeah, this was one qu- criticism I had of Jordy. Didn't he, aren't you shouldn't have he read the reports and known this all? But I guess he's a representative of us. And then the re- reactor goes bad. So, uh, like Picard says, you know, we got to get down there. Uh, and Data says, don't worry, sir. We get to warp seven. We could be there in 27 minutes. And he says, uh, make it so. And then we see it's who watches the watchers. And then team, what does that say? Team beams in a good Elastat. Oh, okay. So team beams in. We see the uh, away team. They're in the uh, reactor or the uh, duck blind, the anthropological station. And there's some good electrical effects. And then I don't know if anybody's watched a certain TV show with uh, Twin Peaks, but you get a, if you did, you're, you're in for it here for a good, I guess, a laugh. I don't know if the laugh's the right word. Maybe a pleasant surprise uh, named Leland. Uh, but uh, whereas a father and a daughter, they're going to read the sundial. It's very cute interaction, very nice uh, father-daughter interaction. And they see this spark, uh, like a, a reflection of the sun. It's the observation post. And then we go back there, and Jordy and Riker and Data are, like, repairing stuff. Crusher's taking care of the staff. Uh, uh, then the father and daughter, what does it say, OG? Is that what that says? Father and daughter, o- O-G-E? Oh, yeah, that's the father's name, OG. Oh, no, the daughter's name. You think I haven't seen this episode before. Yeah, but the father climbs. Uh, the father goes, he goes, you wait here, OG. And then he gets up and he peeks in, like, the window of this observation post. And he sees Data. He, like, basically locks eyes with Data. Beam out with Patton, then eye contact with Data. What does that say? Beam out. Oh, no, somebody, like, uh, tra- transports out with a patient. Uh, then Lico's this guy's name. He makes eye contact with Ada. It's like he, he couldn't be- like you can't believe his eyes, you know. He's in the Bronze Age. Uh, so he has a little feigning spell, and then his daughter runs to him. But, you know, it's Bronze Age. They don't have smelling salts, so she hides. His crusher runs down to give him smelling salts. 
And then she says, we got to, I don't even bring any with me. We got to beam back to the uh, Enterprise. And this brought up a lot of questions for me, like, uh, like curiosity questions, because then the generator's fixed and the daughter climbs up to where the father was. And she checks and she feels and it's stone, which I guess, like, uh, from what I've been learning as I've been watching these Star Trek episodes, is that these holograms, that might not be the real right word because it's the same technology as the uh, transporter and the food generators and stuff. It's not a it's not a fake. It's a real, I think, as I'm learning. I, you know, and I'll keep learning. That's why I'm here. I mean, you know, it'll take me. You guys saw how I did with Spanish, right? Um, let's see. Feels this fake zone. Then six sick bay. Picard's not happy with how things went on the planet. He's like, Crusher's like, well, we had he fainted, so we had to get him out of there. You know, he had already seen us. And Picard says, uh, I'm not sure I like uh, concur with your reasoning. You know, this is total prime directive trouble. And then he says, you remove all memory of his, you know, and, uh, you know, and she says, well, I could try Dr. Pulaski's technique for short-term memory. Uh, but, you know, mentalic and brains are different. And I don't know about their lie zones. And uh, let's see what happens next here. Guards not pleased. Damage was done. Picard's very cool when he says remove all memory. But then the dude wakes up and sees Picard as Picard's uh, giving out orders. And they're looking for a guy that was missing from the duck blind. And, and Picard says, you know, I want that 4%, you know, because they say if we get closer, I could get you 4% more efficiency. And then the dude says to himself, Picard. And then he gets beamed back uh, and wakes up. And then he says, OG, OG. I spelled OG, you know, phonetically, O-H-G-E-E, exclamation point. And the daughter's looking. Now, here's a little, inf- like, uh, interruption here. Like, if, you, if you've been to Disneyland, in Cars Land and Disneyland, obviously it didn't exist when they shot this episode, but the mountains look a lot like the man- manufactured mountains at Disneyland, the Cadillac Range. And I just thought that was interesting. Then the uh, father and, and his great ride there it was just a, like uh, it's worth it to go to Cars Lane. Very, very immersive. And you got to stay for the neon when the neon comes on. Uh, then the father and daughter talk. Uh, she says, Father, what happened? And he goes, I met the Picard. The uh, He goes, so long ago, we believed in beings with great powers. And they made the rains come and the sun rise. And she says, those are tales, Father, superstitions. And Liko says, well, maybe they're true. He goes, everything has changed now, OG. We got to tell everybody about it. Also, these people have humongously strange eyebrows. And uh, then there's a commercial when they go to tell the others. Then there's a staff meeting. And they still, they're like, we can't find the guy who left the dike blind. And we're looking around the planet, and the, like lots of places he could be hiding out. His name's Palmer, which is totally like this wild because Leland Palmer is a character that the the that just it's just wild. But they say we got to track this guy down because you know we can't have any more cultural interference. Uh, you know the, we need to let these people develop on their own. 
And then Riker goes, well, I got a little idea. And this is when the show go. This is when this episode goes from being good, uh, at least like this with this interplay. It's just worth it to just watch the episode for this one portion. Uh, that just lets you know how on how many levels the show really is operating. It's, it's total like like it's role like it, like uh, I put holy role play, and that's exactly. I mean, I don't know. It's a. Uh, it's a serious role play situation in Riker and Troy. You know, they cut that part out. I put holy role play, exclamation point, so awesome. You know, even on the next, the second rewatch, like it just, like even the way Picard's dressed, he has green shorts. I mean, Riker, he's got these interesting boots that are like just below the knee, but they're open boots. So you definitely must not be a lot of rain on this planet, which it doesn't look like. He's got kind of a darker blue-green vest. They're both holding fabric. He's got chest hair. He's rocking his chest hair. Oh, I guess I should explain to you what happened. So Troy and Riker beam down to the planet dressed as Mentakins. And they're both into it. And I mean underlined in exclamation point, what do you call this in quotes, in quotes, you know, you know, like interlocking parentheses or whatever you want me to say. Like, they're very playful acting. And, you know, I prefer Troy, like, I don't know about the uh, eyebrows, but this is a much more, like, natural, like, human look, even though she's a Mentak. And as far as her dress goes, uh, and her and uh, Riker have a little, like, a flirting situation. They say, uh, you know, Mentak and emotions are interesting. This is Counselor Troy. Like Vulcans, they have ordered, highly ordered minds. They're sensible people. For example, Mentak and women precede their mates. It's like a single to other signal to other women, and then she goes in front of Riker, and she, they both have these great looks on their face. And Riker uh, says, "This man's taken. Get your own." And she says, "Not precisely. More like if you want his services, I'm the one you have to negotiate with." And Riker says, "What kind of services?" And Troy says, "All kinds." And then he says, "Riker says they are a sensible race." And uh, it was just awesome. And uh, also, Troy was like, uh, like I don't know what shoes she was wearing. The walking was a little awkward. And then they just roll up to the Mentakin thing. This is where I was like, would, wouldn't they need a little extra training before they try to assimilate? Also, they were covered in straw, of course. She said, why, how, why is there straw in their bags? But, you know, don't worry about it. And they go into this assembly hall and... Uh, uh, Liko's telling them all about what happened. He goes, yeah, I realize you're skeptical. And he goes, but my daughter saw most of it. And, uh, they have this guy, Fento, who's their wise person. Like they say, do you have, then there used to be gods that could appear and disappear. And Fento said, yeah, there, there was one called the overseer who could do that, uh, and heal people. And they say it was supreme power. So the ancestors believed. And Liko goes, yeah, I met him. His name is the Picard. And I love that, the Picard. And Riker and Troy are going on the down low. So they say, like, they're talking, communicating, like, with Bluetooth, with the one that, like, where you don't need a speaker. So they say, oh, his memory's intact. This isn't going to work. 
And then Noria, who's their leader, says, uh, she says, uh, Liko, this is supernatural talk. No one's to believe that in generations. We don't believe the stars control our fates or the spirits. And Liko says, well, not, I don't think everything's true, but I met the Picard, and that's who healed me. And then this was like a little bit, I don't know if like, like, I don't know if you would lose your uh, license. Troy seems to, I don't know. I'm again, I'm not a therapist. So, uh, but while lawyers, uh, being like, like Luria is being the voice of reason, the Picard, uh, Troy goes, well, you know, we're just in from out of town and I don't want to throw shade on all your ideas because we're just here celebrating, uh, you know, sell a, sell a, selling fabric, and I'd love to validate your feelings. But, you know, it was just a dream, you know. It was interesting, but just a dream. By the way, this is Riker. You know, sorry, our hair's all messed up. We, 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 we slipped and fell in one another's arms, you know. Oh, boy. And Liko goes, no, 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 it wasn't a dream. I, I'm sure I was, uh, like, observing and his daughter says, yeah, we, me and my father both saw this. And Troy says, oh, well, maybe you had a shared no, yeah, share dream. And Liko goes, that's not reasonable. And Riker said, Riker, I didn't know, I don't know if they, he said, well, is that, you know, uh, is that less reasonable than magic uh, by some Picard? And, oh, yeah, this is another thing. It was like, this was really a Keystone Cops episode because everything... Uh, that the crew of the Enterprise does just keeps, like, falling apart uh, uh, step after step. Because then they roll in with Palmer, the guy that they've been looking for, and he's, like, weekends at Bernie. He's totally fainted. And he has no motor function, just like weekends at Bernie's, but, you know, different because he's fine eventually. And they say, well, Jesus this is Picard's guy. He's going to be pleased we found him. And even Nuri is like, well, I guess you were telling the truth. This is a guy in a spacesuit. And uh, Liko says, the Picard will be pleased. And then Riker goes, uh, Riker to Picard, well, yeah, we got a big problem. It's uh, go not going good. And Picard says, well, how bad? He goes, well, they're starting to believe in a god, and it's you. And then there's a slow pull in and a commercial break. Then this create this anthropo the lead anthropologist is really salty. He's arguing with Picard. Like, I mean, again, I don't know anything about authority, but I'm like, uh, the guy's really like, uh, like adamant with Picard, which I guess is good because he's about his support, staff support, but. He said, he says, Picard, I must protest. And I put, this is one bossy dude. Uh, and then we're back in the plane. Everyone's touching the Palmer's face. Uh, and Liko's like, oh, you know what? This is a, a servant of uh, the, the overseer. And they say, right, Vento? And Vento says, well, maybe. Like, uh, but why would he be down here in a cave? Uh and they say, well, maybe, like, uh, the, the Picard's not happy with him. And then Riker tries again. He goes, these are just superstitions. This guy's just in a spacesuit. Don't you have Halloween? We have that in our village. So they say, uh, oh, Riker says, oh, it's superstition. And Nuria says, no, 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 no. She goes, normally I agree with you, but the evidence is contrary, my dear Riker. And Liko says, I heard Picard say he's looking for Palmer. 
And here's a little uh, pandering for fans of a certain Mr. Palmer is concerned with the $1,000 question, you know, just like Roger. Anyway, that was a little pandering to a certain group of the audience. Uh, but just like they say, well, if Mr. If we keep Mr. Palmer safe, uh, please Picard and they'll give us favors. And this is when you get the subtext and the emotional drive. And I just had seen, I'm going to see Rogue One again tomorrow, I think. And I don't know, you think about why certain movies work and then why is Star Trek like, uh, like uh, so beloved by so many people? And I've been really impressed how, like, I just I'm watching another episode right now, like, uh, the, the emotional substance they can, they can put into these episodes. So, the, so the thing with, uh, Liko and OG is that, uh, like the, there was floods and, uh, during the floods, uh, the Liko's wife, OG's mom, she took a boat in the flood and, and you know, went to, to visit this uh, farm island. And so OG's kind of obsessed with this higher power thing because he said, well, maybe my wife will come back from the farm island to live with me and my daughter again if I can get Picard, the overseer, happy. So it's kind of driving this obsession. Uh, I don't know, it just it's really like, in, in I mean, especially his spectacular acting, but, uh, I don't know, it just really, I don't know, it just sticks out to me because you can see that it's just driving subtextual force sometimes in the episode. Or maybe not subtextual, I just like using that word because I, I do think it makes me sound, one time a teacher praised me for using that word. So if you're ever wondering, like, like why is Scoots who use subtextual so often? Teacher praise. So, you know, works, praise works. Uh, uh, you know, I guess uh, for so for me, overusing words, uh, shame does not make me underuse words. By the way, because I do get like uh, every episode I hear from some person uh, hasn't worked. It just just keeps me up. It doesn't help me to say the words less. Uh, anyway, let's get back to the episode because I, I like he's a servant of the overseer. Bring back those who've passed, which is a nice extra. Uh, then Troy, they do this Riker and Troy, still a Keystone cop situation. But Troy says, geez, I seen uh, somebody else that works for the overseer outside. Everybody come on. And everyone runs outside. And then Riker's inside with the older wise person and Palmer. And Riker says, you know who, you know who Will Rogers is? And the guy goes, no, I'm, uh, this is the Bronze Age. You're breaking rhyme directive. Riker goes, well, he would do these rope tricks. Let me show you them. And then Riker takes Palmer and tries to bolt like another weekend at Mer breakout with weekend at Bernie's gets caught by OG. Who's going, who picks this time to go check the sundial. And she tells on them. So Troy busts, uh, Troy gets busted because Riker gets away. Um, but before Riker gets away, there's like a fake bird, 2215. I wasn't sure if it's fake bird or real bird. I just rewatched it and I couldn't, well, let me see. I'm still playing it. I didn't see it. Uh, you couldn't tell if it was a bird on a stick. Oh, there it is. I just saw it. It was, uh, couldn't tell again. It's 2207 actually, in case you're playing the at home game. And again, I couldn't tell if it was a fake bird or, you know, with a real bird with perfect timing. Just appears behind the mountains. And it caught my eye. 
Then Riker's out. Then Troy's in the middle of a group of the Mentakins. And they're like, why did you take uh, Riker from us? Uh, Why did you you and Riker take Palmer from us? And Troy goes, I don't know what you're talking about. We We set him free. We don't believe in fables about the overseer. And Lico says, you've angered the Picard. You know, I've, I've met the Picard, all-powerful. And Nico has all these crazy ideas about what to do with Troy, like, uh, should we arrest her, whatever. And then there's an ad. And Riker and Picard are having a meeting with the anthropologist. Uh, they're like, man, we really messed this up. And they say, what do you think they're going to do with... Uh, with Troy, or what should we do? And they're like, well, they, they think you're a god. Uh, and Picard says, recommendations? And the, the anthropologist says, well, you you got to send them a sign. And Picard says, what do you mean? And Baron, the guy, Baron, I think, is, he says, go down there. And Riker says, as a god? And Picard says, no, 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 this is against the prime directive. And they're like, we're just trying to minimize the damage we've already done. And Picard says, by sanctioning false beliefs, and uh, Aaron says, give them a guideline so let them know what the overseer expects. It's really good because Picard's under a lot of peer pressure here, and he realizes like his actions have consequences. He says, I cannot, I will not impose a set of commandments on these people. He goes, this violates the very essence of the prime directive. And they say, well, you, we, we uh, you know, stirred up their belief in the overseer. And Riker says, so this is going to become a religion? And Baron says, it's inevitable without guidance, and it could, you know, uh, be the negative side of it. And Ricard says, he says, horrifying. He goes, these are rational people, you know, without supernatural. And he goes, we're going to sabotage this and send them back into superstition and fear? No. He says, also, the, the, the anthropologist is dressed as Obi-Wan Kenobi in this uh, part, too. He says, oh, no. Picard says, we're going to find a way to fix this. And he goes, number one, who's the leader? And he says, a smart woman named Nuria, very clear-minded and sensible. And they trust her. If we could, you know, we could convince her you're not a god. And then Picard says, she might persuade the others. And they say, well, how are you going to do that? And Picard says, well, if she thinks the Picard's a magical figure, I'll show her behind the magic. I'll bring her aboard. Let's see. Masquerading. Oh, also I said Holy Sims. Like This was like the Sims game a little bit. Oh, also I said, this guy's the worst anthropologist. I said, what the heck kind of Dr. Baron is this fool? I mean, first of all, he's dressed as, I mean, I guess I'm no one to criticize, but he's dressed as Obi-Wan. Oh, you know what? No, he's dressed as Uncle, uh, Aunt, Aunt Beru, Uncle Owen. He's dressed as Uncle Owen from A New Hope. I'm not kidding. I'm looking at him right now. He's dressed in the exact same outfit Uncle Owen was dressed as. And uh, just the worst thing. I mean, I don't want to fire get anybody fired, but this guy should have never been an anthropologist. He's been in that duck blind too long. And it put Holy Sims, because this is just like a Sims game where you become, you know, the whole God complex type thing. Uh, horrifying, strong stand by Picard, rational, Nuria. Okay, then we have Data talking to Troy, uh, and she's trying to be sly. She's like, well, by the way. And they're like, once Nuria's alone, we'll beam her up to a transporter room one, which I said, there's more than one transporter room, really. I didn't realize that, but I, I did hear transporter room three. 
recently. And this was pretty cool because Picard goes down Transporter 1. He says, I'll handle this. And he even does the the working of the transport controller. And Nuria comes aboard. He says, hey, don't be afraid. I'm Jean-Luc Picard. And she goes, she says, or Jean-Luc. And she says, Picard. And she kneels. Then we go to commercial. Picard says, get up. He goes, look at me. I'm, you know, I have, you feel the warmth of my hand. I'm flesh like you. And this is from the opening. The doors open and she sees the door open by itself. She says, what a wondrous place. Even the doors obey your commands. And Picard says, wondrous, yes, but not miraculous. Uh, then they look down at her planet, which was a little disorienting because uh, I thought that would melt someone's mind seeing their planet from outer space. But she says, this is my home. And he goes, seen from above. And she goes, yet we do not fall. I never thought I'd see the clouds from the other side. I, this was a little advanced for me. I mean, a little bit of a jump. And this this was funny too. But she goes, your your power like at first uh, Picard's like, okay, I taught you know I told her I'm flesh and blood, oh, problem solved. And she goes, your powers are truly boundless. Uh, and she says, can you bring some people back from this island farm we have? And Picard gets a headache. It's so funny. And then he weaves this really like a uh, good metaphor. He goes, geez, uh, do you live in uh, huts or caves? And she says, yeah, like, uh, we live in huts. He goes, well, did you live in caves? He goes, yeah, but we learned how to make huts. And he goes, oh, that would be a re- I don't know. Like, uh, they, he brings, him on, brings her on this logic quest of reasonable assumptions. Someone invented a better hut and bows and then taught it to others. Uh, Picard was really good here. Uh, he says it's ma- like uh, like magic or something. He says it's magic or something, and he says it like a whisper. Let me see if I can find the dialogue. Oh, she's they say oh because we hunt with bows, and Picard says, well, you, what if someone's never seen a bow? Doesn't exist in their world. To you, it's a simple tool. To her, it's magic. You know, he says you know they just like that, like a whisper. And then they say, well, how would the people react if they saw you, Nuria? And they say, well, maybe they'd be afraid. And then Picard says, just as you fear me. And she says, I do not fear you any longer. And Picard says, good, because we lived in caves once, and then we built huts, and then we built ships like this. And she says, perhaps one day my people will travel above the skies. And Picard says, of that, I have no doubt. And then we're back on the planet, and uh, what is the name? Liko's freaking out. He's like, well, there's lightning. That, can't, that means Picard's not happy. He blames us. And he's totally going back and forth. Then we go back to the ship, and Liko, Luria's uh, touching a model of the old Enterprise. Oh, this is when she says, Jeez, by the way, Picard, this is when Picard gets a real headache, because she says, we got six people on this farm island, and they... They win a boat, but they need a ride back, we think, from a god. And, uh, you know, could, do you think you could handle that? And she says, Picard says, no. And then they said, like, and he said, I don't know what we could have done to get you to bring those people back from the island. And Picard says, I failed to get through to you, haven't I, despite all my efforts, which I like again because we were close to the finish line. And again, this Keystone Cops theme keeps, you know, they fumble the ball. 
And then we're back on the planet, and uh, Lico or whatever is like, we must do as the Picard wishes. Uh, lots of sleep-making ban-ban. What does that mean? Magic ban-ban. I can't <laughs> What does that mean? Okay, we must do as Picard wishes. Lots of sleep magic ban-ban. Man, I can't figure that out. Searched everywhere. And the scene's going on now. Like, uh, I don't know. I'm almost positive that's what it says. Not Picard wishes, uh, I don't know. Maybe he wishes everyone goes to sleep. Then there's an ad. Uh, but that'll remain a mystery. Then we're at the med bay, and one of the anthropologists says, you know what, I'm going to do some anthropological work on this farm island. And the guy the, the guy dressed as Uncle Owen with a bad attitude is, you know. Uh, and then Loria says, Picard, uh, that anthropologist, she went to live on the same island. I get it now. Just people sometimes go to live on islands, uh, farm islands. You are not masters of life or farm islands. I understand it. For all our advances, we are just as mortal and powerless to stop the inevitable. She says, you are not supreme beings. Oh, no, she says, you're not superior beings. My people must understand that. And then let's see. Uh, they're not superior beings. Uh, and then, oh, I just figured out the uh, last mystery. Like, because every Star Trek episode's kind of like a mystery. I just realized that there's lots of sheep. There's some sound design on the planet of lots of sheep going ba ba. So if I go back... What I thought said lots of sleep making ban ban actually says lots of sheep making ba ba with the b a n being b a a b a a. Though it looks like ban ban, lots of sleep making ban ban is what a normal person would guess, you know. But you know, it's a mystery, just like every Star Trek episode or a lot of them are like a mystery that has to be solved. My handwriting is a mystery that may accidentally be solved by. Uh, doubling up my notes, but on the planet, Troy's still pushing for a solution. Liko's still pushing for something wild. And then the daughter stands up. She says, Father, we don't need uh, to do anything wild. And he says, Picard, we need your guidance. And he's kind of answering, and then Picard shows up, and he says, Liko. And he says, the Picard, the overseer has come. And he says, no, 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 I'm not an overseer. I'm a traveler from a faraway land. Nothing more. Liko says, but you uh, healed me. I'm your servant. And Picard says, I'm, you're no one's servant, Liko. I don't desire obedience or worship. And Nuria says, Picard speaks the truth. It gave him a headache. You know, that's proof right there when we were on his ship. Also, I have a great idea for doors, uh, Luria says. Like, you know, once we get back to doing the doors... You know, you were just sick, Liko, and Picard helped you with technology. And Liko says, no, 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 the Picard, the Picard can bring my wife back from the farm island. And Picard says, I can't. And Liko says, did I fail you? Why, why won't you help me? Are you upset? And Picard says, I'm not upset. And Liko says, I'll do whatever you wish, Picard. And Picard says, it's beyond my power. It just, I like this cause you could, just because Picard's kind of helpless. 
like against Liko's logic. And Liko says, nothing's beyond your power. You're the overseer. And Picard says, I'm not all powerful, dude. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. And then Liko does one last test, one last test, which, uh, you know, then, then it cuts to a commercial. I think, let me see. Let me read through Picard. We need your guidance to Picard. No, I'm a traveler. Then we have more sheep sounds. Nico's still a believer, uh, beyond my power. Picard does a bold all or nothing move to prove it. The daughter saves the day. Then he says, uh, captain's commander, captain's log. Yeah. Supplemental. You know, I'm healing up, but I have one last visit to Mintaka three. And, uh, one last visit to Mintaka three. And he kind of shows them what the uh, observation post is. And they say, what is it? And he said, well, a place to watch you. And they say, why? And he says, to understand you, to study you. And then it vanishes. And they say, well, why would advanced people want to learn about us? And Picard says, well, we were once as you are now. Little, you know, little uh, first world there, Picard. You know, easy on the uh, first world stuff. But it says, to study you is to understand ourselves. And they say, well, why hide? And they say, and then Liko says, well, because the presence would affect people like me, you know, because I get all bent out of shape. And Picard says, it's our highest law that we not interfere with other cultures except by incompetence and accidents. And they say, oh, so it's an accident. OG says that. And then Picard says, all right, I got to get out of here. You know, I got a spaceship with, you know, with and then he says, maybe Dr. Crusher and I would like to dress up as Mintakins first. And Wesley says, great, I'll come with you. And Picard says, oh. And then the, the dude, uh, like, the, I think the guy dresses on Glowin goes. And so, but they, they did that in the countryside. So that part was cut out. Yeah, but OG says, well, why don't you teach us more before? And he says, I can't teach you about this. It's called role play. You'll learn about it maybe. I don't know. It's a first world thing. I don't know. Maybe you have to be bored first. And he said, also interfere with your own progress. You'll progress in your own way. And Nuria says, uh, so we will. Just as, you, just as you have taught us, there's nothing beyond our reach, not even the stars. And then they give Picard, like, a cool belt or something. And uh, he ties it up with, he ties up all their screw-ups with a neat bow. That's what I put. Uh, nothing beyond our reach, not even the stars. And a gift. And he says, uh, Nuria says, I wish you good journeys, Picard. Remember my people. And Picard says, All, always, actually, since Dr. Crusher is with Wesley. He says, no, no, that's definitely prime. And then the episode comes to a close. Very good episode. Uh, but I want to talk about a couple of things from this episode, facts-wise. First is the great actor Ray Wise. Ray, this is from Wikipedia. Raymond Herbert Wise uh, is an American actor, played Leland Palmer in Twin Peaks. He was in RoboCop, Rising Sun. Uh, he's been in a, a bunch of TV shows, and I think he's in a bunch of twenty season 24 of season 5. Uh, from Akron, Ohio, went to Garfield High, just in case anybody, and then went to Kent State. Wow, he's Romanian of Romanian descent, according to Wikipedia. And best known for his uh, roles in Leland Palmer, was also on a soap opera, Love of Life, for seven years and 950 episodes. 
uh, was in the TV pilot of uh, TV show Beauty and the Beast. I remember that. Uh, in addition to Twin Peaks, uh, he's been in a lot of science fiction. Played Leco in Star Trek. Uh, and was also in an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Uh, he's been on Tim and Eric's awesome show. A bunch of other stuff. Ian, I mean, just an amazing job. I mean, Leland Palmer, like, uh, uh, just, I mean, amazing. I remember watching a couple of those big episodes with my mom when they were on TV. And to say it's hard to ever even see acting at that caliber. Uh, if you watch season one of uh, Twin Peaks, you, uh, you won't be disappointed. Uh, I was also in uh, 1982 film Swamp Thing. I saw that. Uh, I always liked that. Uh, Journey to Natty Gan. That was a good one. I think Natty Gan was one of my first, not my first crushes because I'd have been in fifth grade, but uh, it's been a bunch, bunch of movies. Uh, Battle of Shaker Heights. Wasn't that the uh, uh, first Project Greenlight? A uh, friend was in that Shia. That was season two of Project Greenlight. And I'm pretty sure he's got a couple of projects uh, coming out soon. Oh, no, it is in, yeah, like uh, Commissioner Jordan, an animated film coming soon. Uh, so that's Ray Wise, very, very good. And then I'd say the Vulcan Bronze Age is a little bit more advanced than the humans just by looking the way they look on TV and into my imagination. Uh, but according to Wikipedia, real quick, uh, the Bronze Age is a period characterized on Earth by uh, bronze proto-writing and early features of urban civilization. So that's true there. It's the second uh, principal period of the Three Age uh, stone, bronze, and iron system uh, for classifying and studying ancient societies. And a civilization is defined to be in the Bronze Age by either smelting its own copper and alloying it with tin, arsenic, or other metals, or by trading for bronze from production areas elsewhere. Uh, copper, tin, ore is rare, so there was no tin bronze in Western Asia before trading began in the 3rd century B.C. Uh, worldwide, the Bronze Age generally followed the Neolithic period. And uh, although the Iron Age generally followed the Bronze Age, some areas uh, the Iron Age intruded directly on the Neolithic. Uh, Bronze Age cultures differed in their development of writing. According to archaeological evidence, uh, uh, Mesopotamia and Egypt developed the first early viable writing systems. Uh, so that's a little bit about the Bronze Age. And uh, I looked up Vulcan Bronze Age. It only brings up stuff about the uh, uh, this episode. But what about the transporter room? This is from Fandom, uh, Memory Alpha Wiki. Uh, transporter rooms are part of Starship of Space Station, uh, outfitted for transportation of life forms. Life forms are small inanimate objects. Uh, there are a number of transporter rooms per ship or station, main criteria being, you know, to get everybody off of the ship in a key amount of time. Uh, some ships, such as the NX-class Enterprise, did not have a transporter room. Huh. Okay, let's see. I guess I should know the uh, transporter room by heart, but I don't. I mean, the number of the starship... Uh, so this might be the original Enterprise, uh, Galaxy-class Starship NCC-1701D. 
at at least 20 transporter rooms. So let me just check the internet. You know, I don't want to give you the wrong info. Okay, here it is. Uh, NCC 1701D. Was I talking about the C earlier? I don't know. Um, you just see, this is also uh, from Memory Alpha Wiki. A lot of stuff on here. First contact. This is everything. Okay, here we go. Technical data. Um, main shuttle base on deck four. Uh, uh, deck 12. Um, shipboard, ship directory, crew. Okay, that's not going to help me. Um, so anyway, like at least uh, they, they have a lot of transporter rooms to get everybody off the ship, which totally makes sense. Uh, so it's good to know, like, if you're on the ship, uh, let's say they had, uh, just been watching an episode where they had the number of crew, I think it was a thousand people. So a thousand divided by 20 is like 50 person per transporter room. So you could get, yeah, that, that sounds very efficient. Uh, so yeah, that's a little bit about, uh, some stuff. Bronze Age, uh, a great actor, actor. And I guess it wasn't, let's try attempt to look up stuff about the Enterprise. All right. Uh, good night, everybody. Hey, everybody. I wanted to, just before we get to the Star Trek part, I want to thank some people who have uh, helped me out with uh, getting this thing off the ground. Uh, the Big Goodbye episode uh, was recommended by Summer uh, with an E. Uh, Summer with an E, who's actually working on a, like a short, short-form documentary about this show, and, and she had suggested The Big Goodbye. Uh, then the mystery uh, mystery bar, Jonathan Mann, suggested the episode about uh, justice. Uh, I don't know if that was because of the outfits or not. I didn't want to ask him. Uh, but, but, but I think it was just because of the content only. Uh, that was suggested by Jonathan Mann. And then our good friend Faye of uh, Ahab's Wife fame uh, suggested the Royale, which I always called the Palace for some reason. So shout out to Faye. And shout out to the Silvertone. Uh, then our uh, lovely friends over at the Spoilist, uh, who make uh, First Contact, a uh, Next Generation intro cast, they suggested uh, they suggested the Watchers episode. Uh, so that was the Watchers episode. And then Christine M., a good friend who uh, wrote about the podcast a while back, a really, really kind supporter of the show. Ed suggested the Remember Me episode, which you're about to be listening to, which I guess I didn't like. Uh, and then when you hear the content about this episode, you say, oh, yeah, this is a really powerful uh, episode to me about a, a kind of a men- m- positive mental health uh, of uh, Dr. Crusher. Uh, so I want to thank everybody who's uh, helped out with the. Uh, with the great ideas, and they got a couple more coming up from some great folks. Uh, thanks, and let's keep it moving. All right, here we are at sleepwithmepodcast.com. <laughs> Why did I say that? Sleep with me, Star Trek Central. I'm getting command, I'm getting command of the situation, and I got my transcripts up here. I got the episode on my old iPhone 4S. I, 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 I actually have tested out watching them on Amazon and on, um, what's the other one, Netflix. Uh, the nice thing if you're doing podcasting is that you can download the episodes onto your Amazon. And the episode is rolling. The lights aren't bright enough for me to read, so i got to pause it one second. All right, the lights are on now. Season 4, Episode 5, Remember Me.
And oh boy, was this a, this is a good. I really, really, I loved this episode. It is a Beverly Crusher uh, extraordinaire. This episode. So if you're a fan of Beverly Crusher, Doctor Beverly Crusher, uh, check Chief Medical Officer's log and get over here because uh, you got to watch this episode. And that's what it opens with, Chief Medical Officer's log. And it starts out, I think I, the audio is, I thought it was muted, but maybe I'm, I think maybe I'm hearing things. I'm hearing, hearing Bill Irwin in my, in my brain. But it starts out with some wonderful, I don't know if those are painted, like I don't know anything about visual effects. My brother's in the visual effects business, but I'm not. I'm in the suspension of disbelief business, you know, just for real. And, and that's my hobby too. And my lifestyle, my belief system. My belief system is suspension of disbelief, I think. Maybe not. Maybe it's a hyper. I guess my belief, you're right, brain. Hypervigilance is my belief system. Anyway, good thing I'm hypervigilant about this episode because it starts out with these beautiful uh, shots of the space station or Starbase. Again, I have not heard from Star Starfleet, so I don't know if it'll be accepted. Uh, but Dr. Crush is meeting her old friend. Uh, I put from where because, it, but it ends up she talks about it later. But he, he's because he's much older than her. That's why I, why I say, like I said, from where are they friends? Because she, like, uh, probably 20 years, uh, no offense to Bill Irwin, he's passed anyway. You know, I don't know, like, uh, I just think there's a big age difference. And, and they're just, it's platonic friendship. Just, you know, cut your snickering. Uh, but they have a very thematic, very good, to, they say, geez, great to see you. And uh, Dr. Curtis, his name's Dalen uh, Quince or something. Dalen Quace, right? You're right. And he says, she says, sorry, but he's sorry about that you lost your uh, wife. He's just retired, I believe. And she says, is that why you retired? And he says, yeah, it was a lifetime together uh, doing all the things we'd ever dreamed, you know, but I don't know if I want to work in the same office and live in the same place anymore. And then Crusher kind of talks about her husband. She says, she's, we didn't have, we just had a couple of years together. Uh, but she goes, uh, like, this is very, this is a hard one to say on this podcast, but it's very important for the theme of the episode. She says, it's hard to, when you realize someone you love is lost forever. And that's something, let me talk, talk just, I don't want to front load this, but holy, if this episode represents the Beverly Crusher subconscious, what a, like, what a healthy mind this person has, this character has. What a, like, uh, her internal support systems and her belief in herself is just very, very, very impressive this episode. And she even has this healthy attitude about, you know, loss. Uh, I don't know. I guess that this will forever change how I view Dr. Crusher. Uh, like, uh, I mean, because I'm, you know, I'm looking at this Star Trek with new eyes. Maybe I think I don't know. I don't know how many. T if I told you how many times I watched this episode, you'd probably like that. You know, I wouldn't be making podcasts anymore. Uh, but a couple times I had it on in the bank. Really, I just want to see how many times. Can, like, I guess this is testing. Like, uh, how many times can I watch an episode of Star Trek? And maybe you'll find out when you see that Scoots hasn't put out an episode in three weeks. And I say, yeah, he. Yep, he hasn't. Uh, but then, then what's his name? So, so Mari Crace, what's his name? Dalen Quace says, uh, Sumari Roll. Sorry, that's one of my favorite football player names, former football player, I believe. He says, well, you know what the worst part about getting old is? You know, so many people are gone. 
So this continues the theme, even though it got interrupted by me making a tangential point. So many the people in your life are gone, you realize you didn't take the time to appreciate them while you could. And then he says, sorry about the baggage. She's holding baggage. And he says, usually I travel light. And then this will be a little bit of a spoiler, too, like uh, interesting relation. Oh, I was also interested in, like, in, like what is Star Command? What is it called? Is that what they're called? Anyway, the Federation, that's what they're called. What is their view on relationships? I know you can live, you know, there's families on the Enterprise. It sounds like Quace, he worked with his wife, and they lived together, obviously. I just would like to know how they, you know, what their EAP situation is, you know, to make sure that, you know, because they seem to be doing a great job of managing all that. And here in our world, it doesn't seem, I mean, so the future looks great from where I'm sitting. Okay. And really soon you realize, you know, didn't take the time to appreciate them. Then we get another nice base, star base shot. And then Jordy, now, now I try to avoid, like, uh, there's a lot of great Star Trek podcasts I have not listened to and tons of great writing about it. And I try not to read it because I don't want to, like, uh, I, you know, I'm a paranoid, like, uh, loon. So, but I accidentally, like, saw some people talking about Jordy in a non-positive way. And again, I don't know if that this is why I avoid reading stuff, because then Jordy just seemed very testy. He was getting on my nerves. He's like, he says, Wes, time up. And Wesley's trying to do an experiment. It's just a few more minutes. Uh, and then Dr. Crusher goes to see Wes, obviously, because she just had this moment with it, uh, her friend, and she wants to go see her son that she loves. And Wes is really focused on this Wesley Crusher. Is focused on this uh, experiment. And she says, don't mind me, Wes. I'll just be standing here behind you with my arms crossed, breathing and staring at your back while you do that experiment. Yeah, then I guess another sign of healthiness between the crew, like uh, Jordy says, Wesley, like, you're like, hurry up. And then there's like this pulse of light. And then Wes is breathing. I don't know. That must have been important because I noted it. And they say, geez, what happened? Uh, and then, like he said, they both are like, no idea. And then I think Jordy's like, Jesus, not supposed to. And then Riker calls, he says, prepare for umbilical disconnect. And they say, well, Jesus, that was a weird flashlight. And then Wes starts to walk off, and then he kind of looks back as if something is off. Like, because there is something off. Dun, dun, dun. Then at 3.40, 3 minutes and 40 seconds is another great shot of the star base. I don't know when the, oh, I guess the opening's down there. Uh, then Beverly tries to get into Dale and Quace's room, you know, to say hi. And uh, uh, we, 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 I lost my spot. Uh, but there's no sign. The, the door's a little, She's ringing the doorbell, I guess, and there's no sign of Thalen. Then the computer, she says, computer, current location of Dale and Quace. And the computer, who gets a lot of sh- uh, airtime in this house, says, no one by that name here. Also, I didn't have time to look this up, but there's a painting behind her. It was very interesting. It had, like, a planet and a shielded planet or a planet, like, something with a sun. So anybody, Super super Trek fans, let me know what that is. And also, as you'll see in the facts portion of the show, I had some trouble. Then it opens. Then we have Dr. Crusher in Warf rings the doorbell. I was not aware of this. Oh, like Worf, you know, you know how I feel about Worf. I love Worf. 
he's just so honestly grouchy, like in a non, non-passive aggressive way. Uh, irritable, I guess, in, like, but not like a mean irritability. Because uh, she says, she's Worf, I can't find my friend Dalen Quace. I, requ- and he, I requested quarters for him. He goes, I was not aware of this passenger. And he says, please proceed or something. I think Dr. Hirsch said, oh, Picard approved it. And she says, geez, I can't, like, you can't find him. And then uh, Worf says, uh, where's Dalen, computer, where's Dalen Quace? And the computer's like, nope. And then Worf glares. He says, why would his belongings be missing? Uh, then we report into Captain Picard. Now, he has these pink things in his hand I've attempted to identify. It looked like, I, at first I noted slide rule, question mark. And I can't, you know, it was on a time limitation. So I thought they were like these pads, P-A-D-S's. Uh, but that, I don't think that's correct. Uh, but everybody's in the commander's, uh, like, uh, Jean-Luc's office and Worf and Data reporting. Jeez, we can't find it. This Data, Dalen Quace isn't on board. Uh, Data says, Jesus, there's no, like, uh, there's only the regular uh, complement on board, the regular, no one else on board. And that con- concerns Dr. Crusher. And they're like, well, could he have returned to base? And they're like, check, uh, you know, check that out. You know, a call, yeah, call command, uh, then, uh, like, Crusher's worried, but then she goes, leave. he says, one moment, doctor. And she says, I'm not, he goes, I'm not sure if you're aware of the procedure, you know, that you're supposed to ask if you're going to have a guest on board. It feels like college or something. And she goes, I sent the request a few weeks ago, and you proved it. He goes, I don't recall, uh, I don't recall that. And this is oh, this is like a mystery. This whole episode, a slow mystery that I I was even slower. So this would have been like a first clue that something is off, you know, other than the other clues. Because Picard says, "Huh, I didn't know. Must have been intercepted before it reached me." And then Crusher says, "Well, you emailed me back, or it was an okay." And Picard said, "It'd be prudent to find out if anybody like if anybody else has their hand in this." Uh, let's see. Then we're on the bridge. Data says this is this was good. Uh, Data says like uh, there is no Dale and Quace uh, like uh, on Starbase one three three. And Ricard says Beverly, you said he was there for six years. And uh, Data says not the computer doesn't say that. And according to Starfleet records, there's no Quace, not even any Quace. In fact, not in any no never even existed. And Dr. Crusher says, I interned with him on Delos 4. I've known him for 15 years. And then Data says, I don't doubt you, but I've tried 173 phonetic variations of his name. And Dr. Crusher is like, Quace, Q-U-A-A-I-C-E. Your records are wrong. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, and she's like, he was on board. And then Picard says, uh, someone has removed all, again, the, the, like, this is very... Uh, he goes, someone has removed all traces. So then they say, well, he, you know, he uh, materialized on board, whatever they call that. Let's talk to O'Brien. And O'Brien's like, I don't remember. Uh, and then I put in parentheses, hey, what is going on? I had already seen the episode once. Uh, uh, but I think that's like a good 1045, uh, uh, like, uh, Maybe somebody said that. Why do I have it in parentheses? But at 1045, Crusher has kind of the sad, like awkward, confused look on her face. 
then she's on the lift with the turbo lift with Riker. And Crusher's like, I don't think O'Brien was lying. And Riker goes, no, 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 no. There's no trace of Dr. Quace. That rhymes. They didn't rhyme in the episode. And she goes, well, I just didn't conjure him up. He's one of my best friends. And Riker seems suspicious, but he says, geez, if the ship's records are off, the transporter records would be off. That makes sense. And Crusher's like, well, maybe he was busy, but that's O'Brien's good at his job. And she goes, well, maybe I'll run a diagnostic on him. Riker says to make sure he wasn't tampered with. Yeah, maybe give it a shot. I'll see if he's eaten. You know, if Quace has been on board, he would have eaten something from one of the replicators. His Riker's just swift. Uh, let's make sure O'Brien, okay, and they're at Med Bay with Chief O'Brien. And then uh, uh, Dr. Crusher says, Dr. Solar, Dr. Hill, and there's no Dr. Solar, Dr. Hill on board. And O'Brien has to sit through that. He's like, huh, I don't I don't know what to say about this. She says, "Where?" She says, computer, where are they? And computer says, they're, they're, they don't exist. So then Dr. Crusher's meeting with, uh, like, back with Picard. She goes, two of my doctors and four of their medical staff are missing, and they're not in the computer's memory. And Picard's like, were they friends with Dr. Quace? And she says, no, 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 they work on the ship. Uh, but my nurses and their family, I missed this the first three times I saw, like, and their families don't remember them. And then Picard, also I want to say a big shout out to Picard and the writers, because Picard really stays steady in his, uh, I mean, he does great acting to show that he's in some kind of conflict about this, but he always trusts his crew. So he's still going with it, you know, even though they did never took the easy way out in this episode, even how the characters interacted was saying, well, geez, Dr. Crusher, you just like their bodies in acting may have said, well, geez, are you, Beverly, are you sure you're not imagining this? But no one ever said that. And it's really like uh, that's that would be lazy st- storytelling, which I mean, I, you know, hello, but uh, that I specialize in. But I mean, like, uh, I don't know, I just really respected that. It just struck me. Uh, but she says, uh, like, uh, as Brett Picard says, Jesus, they're missing just like Dr. Quace and nobody knows. And she goes, O'Brien checks out. And, and Picard, and he didn't laugh, but it would have been funny if he said, really? O'Brien checks out 100%. And then Wesley and uh, Jordy say, well, geez, we we kind of had this weird thing happen. Maybe you should come down here, Chief uh, Picard. And then they start to go down. He says, I'm on my way. Then they stop at the bridge. They're like, number one, what's the progress? And he goes, no one's seen him. And he goes, Mr. Worf, uh, check every, check the, sh- sh- uh, the the shield in the hall. And Worf ta- talks back. He goes, uh, he goes, I've been closely monitoring everything. No indication. Picard says, what are you kidding me? Give me a level one diagnostic then. Don't, don't you know, I, I, I liked that. Okay, check the hall. We have Worf talks back. I want some answers. That's what Picard says. Uh, then we're with Wesley. He's talking about Kaczynski's. Uh, this is an old episode that I have seen, like when I was prepping to make this series. And maybe we'll watch it some point. He's talking about Kaczynski's formulas and uh, something kind of happening outside our space time continuum. So there's lots of clues being uh, toiled out here from the mystery, for the mystery, 
but no answers yet. Maybe Picard says that because uh, uh, it doesn't sound like something I would say. But they're talking about this strange warp bubble, like, you know, beyond our time-space continuum. Uh, that's what Wesley was up to. Uh, but Picard's still on board. He goes, uh, let's see, he goes, this is our only working theory. That's our only working theory, this strange warp, not Beverly's mental health. So he says, let's keep working on it. Uh, then we see an empty med bay with music, and then we're on the bridge, Riker, Picard, and Data. It's wild. Why'd I put that? WTF what? I mean, because what happens is uh, Crusher comes in. She says, there's no one in sick bay. Apparently, I guess because just everyone's reaction is so, this was very Twilight Zone now. She goes, there's no staff in sick bay. And Riker says, and that surprises you, doctor? She says, surprises me. I'll say there should be four people on duty at all times. And Data totally, Data face says, the ship's records do not concur, doctor. She says, what do you mean? She, he goes, you have no staff. And this is when it gets chilling, I guess, because she says, what do you mean? I'm the sole medical officer for a thousand uh, staff members? And Data is totally st struck. He goes, uh, there's only 230 people on board. And then Picard says, uh, Dr. Crusher, maybe we should talk in private. He orders up a Earl Grey tea hot. He says, geez, you want something, Beverly? Oh, wait, right before I forgot this. This one is double starred, so you should check it out. At 1555, uh, Riker glares at uh, Dr. Crusher and his eye twitches. Double exclamation points. So that's worth checking out. Uh, so then Picard, like, uh, like orders Earl Grey, like, uh, what does this say? Earl Grey hot. I think Dr. Crusher just sits there in shock. There's two neon slide rules, which I didn't understand. And Picard says, so Beverly, you're saying we're missing 800 people. And she goes, I know how it sounds. And he goes, there's nothing abnormal. And whatever Wesley was doing down there, that was uh, like, like it only affected the locally stuff. And she says, she's captain. My gut is telling me this isn't good. And he goes, I have no choice to believe you, you know, safety of the crew. But he goes, I got to be sure. And Crusher goes, what the bill of my mental health? She goes, I scan myself, you know, my adrenaline's up. Uh, Ricard's still like a Sherlock Holmes. Says, okay, well, what else could it be? Uh, you're the only one experiencing this. And she goes, well, I could talk to Troy, you know, Counselor Troy. He goes, well, it won't hurt. And then I really like this. She goes to leave, but then she turns back. She goes, Captain, please return this ship to Starbase 133 for a full diagnostic. I realize you only have my word, but you got to do it. And Picard said, trust her. He says, okay. He calls her. He says, Riker, head back to base. He says, your word has always been good enough for me. Uh, then Beverly, uh, so any more clues? I have no choice. Any more clues? No. I'll talk to Troy. Oh, then uh, uh, Med Bay, this strange portal opens up and tries to, like, uh, have Beverly come visit. And she has this WTF look on her face. Then there's a commercial. Uh, then there's a crew meeting. Jordy says, geez, I don't know about this vortex Dr. Crusher saw. I mean, she's the one that thinks there's all these people on, you know. Uh, but Picard still really wants to get to the bottom of it. You know, he's not willing to give up. Uh, then Data rolls in. 
He says there's no malfunctions and all ships nearby, all their crews are accounted for. Uh, so there's nothing weird going on except right here, right around this seat. And Crusher says, how many people are on board anyway? And he says, all 114 people are here. And she says, what? And he goes, that's the exact number it should be. And she goes, this ship's almost empty. There's only 114 people on board a ship for a 1,000. Like, all these rooms, why are they empty? And Data says, transportation at colonists and columnists, diplomatic missions. And then the Crusher says, geez, let's monitor all the crew. That's when it starts, 451 right there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But they say, watch all the crew. Uh, this was very Twilight Zone. When they say 114, I was really feeling that uh, that f- the tension. Like I said, because I did not like I, I did not know what was happening. Still, this is the wonder of coming to a show like this new. Uh, so Picard puts the ship on red alert. Oh, because she says, "Gee, can you have Worf do something?" And Picard goes, "Worf," and she goes, "Worf, chief of security, the big guy that never smiles, the Klingon." And then everyone has a reaction, like Klingon, like they're like those are just, just as gold. Then we have Troy and Crusher in the hall. Again, if this represents her subconscious, her ability to grapple with things and doubts, she says, "Deanna, I gotta like. Can you tell me if I've you know if I'm having some sort of mental issue?" And she goes, "If you're asking me, then probably not." And she goes, "Don't evade the answer." And Troy says, "Well, then ask me a question. I can answer." And she goes, well, I've delivered people's kids and, you know, no, you know, these are people I've worked with for a long time and no one, she goes, I can picture all these people that are missing. They're real. And if it's not the ship, then it's got to be me. And I want us to turn around and Troy says, well, what if it is you? And she goes, well, then I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. And she goes, no, no, you are acting in the best interests of the ship and the crew. What more could you ask yourself? If it's a mistake, we'll just be a little late for something. It's not a big deal. And then she says, it's not a mistake. And then Troy says, well, you know, I'll have a full exam when we do get to a base. But uh, And then she starts to worry if Wesley's going to, and then she finds Wesley in engineering. Uh, Troy has this look after she says, Wesley, Wesley. And then he says, Mom, are you all right? But Wesley's look says it all. She goes, no, but Wesley goes, yeah, I already know. And she goes, you don't believe me. And she goes, we got to find someone to help. And he says, well, there's this alien from Tau Alpha C, the traveler. And he used to, you know, he was the one that worked with the Kaczynski. And he doesn't live in all, rea- he lives in more than one reality. And she goes, could you have made something that alters reality? And she goes, I don't know. And he goes, well, we have to find a way to find him. And they start to walk, but then Wesley's gone. She turns around. So she goes back to the bridge and only, this was cool. This was just so good. I mean, the show works on so many levels. I mean, I guess even if you wanted, like, I don't see why you would need to make fun of this show. uh, Because it's just so enjoyable. Like, she goes to the bridge and Picard's just kicking it by himself. Uh, and he, she, he, he has his back to her. He turns around uh, and she just looks around. She kind of shudders, uh, and gives a smile, like uh, one of those smiles, like, holy cow. She goes, they're all gone. Riker, Troy, Data. 
And he goes, you know what, doctor, I've been more than fair with you. You know, I've tried to work with you in your perceptions. And then we learn about Will Riker's dating profile. She says, Will Riker, your first officer, good at playing poker, loves to cook, likes jazz music, plays the trombone. Jeez, holy cow. No wonder he's so smooth. And then Picard says, I find no evidence of uh, uh, Will Riker. And she goes, what about Data, the android that uh, wants to be human and doesn't get jokes? He goes, don't worry, we'll be at Starbase soon. She goes, Troy, half betazoid, loves chocolate. Arrival of her mother makes you shudder. Uh, she goes, the whole breathing heart of this crew for three years. They deserve more than to be shrugged off, brushed aside, and pinched out of existence. They deserve so much more. And he says, you, maybe you should just stay at your, uh, at your uh, like, in your quarters. And this was like around 2530, just in case you want to see it. It's good. It's just Professor combined a sick day, and she laughs. And she goes, what do you, like, uh, why do you think we're just the only two people on a giant spaceship? She goes, this makes perfect sense to you? He goes, yeah, we've never needed a crew before. It's just the two of us cruising space uh, for Starfleet. And she goes, you remember a, a traveler from, uh, we got, she goes, we got to get a hold of this traveler from Tau Alpha C. And Picard says, sure, you know, I'll make every effort to find him. And this is when I, what I open the show with. It's not a delusion. It's not a dream. There's a physical measurable phenomenon at work here, which is true. Perhaps you could help me to identify. And she goes, well, let's just keep an eye on your heartbeat. And then she says, sorry, I lost your temper. I'm sure you remember it. And he goes, vividly. And she goes, John, Luke, I've been meaning to tell you. This is very, a little, and then he vanishes. I've been meaning to tell you this. I want to tell you. And he's out, O-U-T, out, 2755. And she gets another great close-up of Hope leaving her face as it twitches. But she goes, I won't forget. I won't forget any of you. Uh, Then another vortex forms where they're trying to pull her in, the portal. And then this, for me, was a big reveal. Like, I didn't realize at this point it's Wesley and Jordy on the other side of the vortex. And then the vortex fails. And they're like, I lost her. It's over. And then Jordy says, it's not over, Wesley. And then the traveler peers out of the mist. He says, don't worry, Wesley. There's still a way. And this was a big twist. I did not see what was coming. Uh, you like, I couldn't figure it out. I mean, I guess I'm good that it's like I'm, like I'm easily uh, deceived. Also, the reason I've never mentioned the original Traveler episode, I couldn't put my finger on it. Maybe it was something about Kaczynski. It made me uncomfortable. But then they have, they come back from an ad, and they say, Picard says, And now the Traveler, a mysterious visitor from our past, has reappeared. And then they're uh, having a meeting uh, about her, and they say, well, What's going on with Beverly? Is she okay? He goes, As long as she thinks she's okay, she's okay. Riker, said, Riker uses hell every episode. He goes, What the hell does that mean? And he says, Your species has a very narrow perceptions of time and space and thought. He goes, when she got caught in this warp bubble, she created her own reality. And he says, you like, uh, they say, can you get her back? He goes, no, but there is a way. Uh, I can help. But Wes, he goes, Wesley, there's a power within each of us. I thought I was going to use this for the opening that most people haven't even begun to realize. This is very, you know, uh, Star Wars. But you've begun, or else I would not have known to come here now. 
Together we can open a gateway, but she must choose to walk through it. Uh, then we got Crusher, who's really using the computer. She goes, okay, let's start with the assumption uh, that I haven't, like, like she goes, that I'm not crazy. And she goes, let's, like, she goes, read the whole crew roster. They say, just you. And she goes, am I the only crew always? And they say, yep. And uh, she goes, if this was a bad dream, would you tell me? says, it's not a valid question. She goes, like, hell, it's not. And she's, she's really the detective now. And she goes, what date did I get on board? And they said, like, uh, 4-11-54. And she goes, okay, that, that, at least that's right. And she goes, is there more than one USS Enterprise? She goes, There's, this is the fifth one, but only one in service. And then she says, what is the mission of the Enterprise? Explore the galaxy. And she goes, does that make any sense? And the goes, well, not really. And she goes, well, why am I the only crew member? And the computer says, that information's not available. And then she says, what about Tau Alpha C? Like, is there anybody, like, from Tau Alpha C around? They go, no. And then she says, how long to get there? 120 days, or 23 days or something. She goes, set a course for Tau Alpha C and send a message telling them we're coming. Uh, laying a new course. Uh and the computer says, okay. And she says, engage. And then it's like, what? And the computer says, she's a computer, why aren't you doing it? And she, the computer says, where? And she goes, Tau Alpha C. They go, that doesn't exist. Uh, then we have, I think, an ad, uh, because we have a captain's log. Um, oh, she stands at this total loss. I like, then the West and the Traveler are trying to create a staple bubble. They put holy family therapists. Let me see what that means. Oh, because just the subtext, they think is Wesley's a teen. The traveler says, our goal will be to create a stable gateway between your reality and your mother's reality. Wesley goes, We've, I've tried. We can't stabilize that link. And the traveler, this, uh, this is very, he goes, uh, equations are only the first step. We're going beyond mathematics. And Wesley says, well, I don't know what to do. He says, we'll let go of your guilt, Wesley. And Wesley goes, it's my fault. He goes, focus on the present. You have to be completely here to help your mother. You must open yourself to the time and space and the intricate threads that bind them. You know, trust yourself. Um, intricate threads, uh, close your eyes, and see past the numbers. It can't when the, uh, then we see the ship, no star base, uh, not the people, everything. What does that mean? Uh, I think uh, Crusher thought she should be at the starbase, and then it's just a cloud. She goes, what is it? It goes, mass energy field, 705 feet in diameter. And she goes, around the ship? And uh, yeah, and she goes, if there's nothing wrong with me, maybe there's something wrong with the universe. I was like, holy ego. I mean, I say, I always say that the reverse way. I say, well, there's nothing wrong with the universe. There must be something wrong with me. But that's also a sign of a huge ego. Uh, she goes, what is beyond the energy field? The computer says, it can't tell. And she goes, what is the nature of the universe? And the, the computer basically says, the, the energy field of 705 meters. Uh, but then we go back and we realize the bubble's collapsing through Wesley. Uh, then Crusher says, show me what the universe looks like. It looks exactly like the warp bubble. She's like, oh, it's the bubble and I'm in it. And then they say, whole integrity compromised because the bubble's shrinking. Four, four minutes and 17 seconds. 
And then the traveler says, it's time, Wesley. I also put Wesley is very tan at this point. And he says, let it go, Wesley. And then Beverly's still on the case. says, come on, Beverly. What was the next step? Dale and Quace. And she goes, my thoughts created this. And again, she has, I guess this is resiliency at work, really. She says, my thoughts created this and they'll get me out. 40-55 is all, like, just really good. She says, okay, that's when it started, and I just have to figure out again. And the computer says, I don't understand. She goes, I'm not talking to you. And then it's just this cool scene. She goes, click my heels together three times, and I'm back in Kansas. Can it be that simple? And I realize she probably doesn't. Like, that was for the audience. But I just liked it. I think it was excellent how it was delivered. And then we see the travel, Traveler and Wesley are working and kind of phasing in and out while Picard watches. Uh, and then she says, like, computer, like, uh, wh- what do you think? Uh, she goes, hypothetical situation. Parents went away on a week's vacation, and a person's in a warp bubble. How would they get out? The computer says, well, it depends on a stable threshold between warp field and the outer environment, or subtextually between a mother and her son, like an umbilical cord, of emo- emotional umbilical cord. And the computer says, I can't describe what that is within the threads of time and space. And she goes, theorize. How would it manifest itself? And she goes, Oedipalian or non-Oedipalian? And she goes, non-Oedipalian. And then it says, a dynamic atmospheric disturbance of great intensity. You know, they call it, like, I think they call it, what do they call it? Angst, I think is what they call it. And she goes, angsty vortex, eh? She goes, now I just got to find this ang- angsty vortex. And then uh, uh, they say, yeah, but it's got to be stable as an umbilical cord. Angsty, but stable. And she goes, oh, engineering, that's where they tried to do it. Uh, she, was, uh, she tries to take the herbal lift, but it won't work because the ship's shrinking. So she says, just take me anywhere on deck 36. And then they're losing the bubble, but then Crusher shows up in engineering, the bubble's there, and she just jumps right through it. And then uh, Ricard says, Beverly. And she says, Jean-Luc. She sees the traveler. She goes, do I have you to thank for bringing me back? She hugs Jean-Luc first. And he goes, no. And then Wesley kind of gets up from the floor, and he's all out of it. And, uh, they give, they have a big, they share a moment, mom and son. And she says, Jean-Luc, if I might ask, how many people are on board? And he goes, 1,014, including your guest, Dr. Quace. And he says, is there something, she said, Jordy says, there's something wrong with that? She goes, no, it's just as it should be. And then the episode ended, which is like interesting because it didn't end on, uh, like a meeting with Picard and anybody. Oh, also Wesley, when he got up from the floor from uh, phasing in and out and saving his mom, also this would be super subtextual, he uh, pulls his jacket shirt down just like Picard does, like very clearly. And uh, also I had a little quibble, a tiny quibble. I said, isn't it with the traveler wouldn't make it because they say 1014 with Dale and Quaze. Exactly, should be. I said, well, isn't it 10, 15? Doesn't the traveler count? No respect for the traveler uh, with his three th- fingers. But th- And then that's the end of the episode. And it was a good one. 
Now, just a couple of things came up. Bill Irwin was the actor that played Dalen Quace. I, re- I remembered him from somewhere. It ended up as from Seinfeld. He was also in a lot of different movies, uh, uh, John Hughes movies, too. I probably saw him in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. She's Having a Baby, Home Alone, Dennis the Menace, uh, the third Naked Gun movie. So we could have seen him in one of those as well. He's been in, like, all the TV shows, uh, a lot of Nick at Night style shows, Andy Griffith, Mr. Ed, uh, Twilight Zone, Fugitive, Mannix, uh, ER, Highway to Heaven, Who's the Boss, Holy Cow, Growing Spain. I've definitely seen him a lot. He was part of my childhood. I guess I didn't realize it. I spent more time watching Who's the Boss, Growing Pains, Full House, Golden Girls, uh, Moonlighting. I didn't. I, maybe that'll be a series we could do some episodes of Moonlighting. Uh, and then uh, Next Generation. And then, yeah, he was this grouchy older foster grandfather in, uh, in Seinfeld. And yeah, I think that's it uh, for for Bill Irwin. And then I was like, I thought Picard was using these pink slide rules. And then I said, I didn't even, I don't know what a slide rule is. And I'm, yeah. A uh, slide rule known in the U.S. Is, is a mechanical analog computer for multiplication and division, division uh, but also exponents, uh, not for addition and subtraction. I've never, I, I don't know if I've used a slide rule. If I did, you know, I got it. I, I just like, I can take tests so I could get a D on a test without doing anything. Don't follow this example, kids. So if, if there was like a slide rule related to tests in high school, I just took the test and I said, well, I could probably, well, I never passed math in high school. I'd take the test at the end of the year and pass that. But uh, it was developed by William Autred in the 17th century based on logarithms by John Napier. And, you know, obviously, you know, as much as I love computers, I'm sure it did um, forge a way for computers. In its most basic form, it uses, this is all from Wikipedia, logarithmic scales to allow rapid multiplication and division. Well, there you go. I don't have any interest in doing that rapidly. Uh, you know, these could be time-consuming and error-prone when you do them on paper. And again, I think I said I'm starting to get, you know, a little math anxiety talking too much about it. Uh, then I asked the question, what is this stuff that Picard, Picard's, the pink stuff on Picard's desk? And over at the Fleet, Fleet Workshop, there was just a lot of good pictures from it. Uh, they did say, well, like, uh, one single layer P-A-D-D-S. Uh, and I think they were talking about getting them, at, like, where you could get them. And they show, like, from the whole series. I guess they don't understand because then they show a couple of green ones and then a bunch of different ones in different situations. But what is a PADDS? Well, we know what it is. It's a personal access display device, which we use every day, a lot of us. And this is where futurism gets good. I mean, like the like if you watch The Next Generation, you really do see like iPads and and iPhones more or less. And so... uh you know, they were used, this is from uh, Memory Alpha. Yeah, the PADADS, a personal access display device, used as early as the 22nd century. Eh, wrong. I don't know what century. Is, are we in the 21st century? 20, yeah, so we're using it. So we beat, we're ahead of the game. Soon we'll be living in peace and prosperity. Anytime now. And uh, it's a touch screen with a minimal, minimalist uh, manual interface. 
uh, sometimes one or two buttons, variety of functions, and uh, very varying in size and say space. Uh, you know, depending on if they're from the Earth or Federation, uh, Klingon or Cardassian, Cardassian. You know, any of those. You know, and they really look cool. They, like I said, some of these pictures on Memory Alpha, they look, it's just very impressive. I don't know how they did the effects either. A small button located below the screen, uh, but a large display to screen. I'm trying to find the pads that I saw, which weren't display screens. They were just these pink things, which like, looked like a, uh, like a pink, tra- neon pink translucent circuit board. So I don't know how you would read those ones. Uh, so I do. I guess I do have to rely on the audience here to set me straight nicely. I'd prefer to be set straight nicely. There's a lot about Klingon. You know, a lot of these look like iPhones. People are FaceTiming. Uh, the pads depicted on Star Trek The Next Generation and onwards were conceived and designed by Rick Sternbach, uh, who came up with the design in, in January 1987. And the vast majority of the... Uh, Variations uh, following the first version. Uh, Steinbeck noticed, Sternbeck noted the pad was initially scaled to be the size of a book with a larger, more comfortable screen than tricorders. And the internal isolinear circuitry was supposed to be many thousand of times more compact than the clipboard uh, Kirk was used to signing. I always assumed pads to be a highly capable device, able to communicate with other devices. Uh, the fact that we don't have devices like it today doesn't surprise me in the least. They're all very cool, but I expect them to show up a- eventually. Uh, the only Maybe this is modern, like, uh, the only aspect about today's gadgets I didn't think I saw coming in 1987 was how multifunctional they become. So it is, he's talking about, so I misquoted him, sorry. But yeah, so that that's the pad. P personal, personal something to display device. Personal access. Again, I don't know if those pink things were pads. I saw people referring to them as pads, but I'm not sure they were because they didn't seem to have a digital display. But they people are looking at them, so I don't know. So that's it for tonight. And uh, so good night, everybody. I'll talk to you soon.